Hello and welcome once again to the Raw Attitude Podcast, where we chronologically take you through episodes of Monday Night Raw from the Attitude Era. I am, of course, your host, professional wrestler, Henry Hugepex, the suplex-throwing human duplex. As always, thank you for listening, and we welcome your feedback at rawattitudepodcast at gmail.com or reaching out to us via Twitter at Raw Attitude Pod. Also, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play as well. And of course, if you write a five-star review for us, I will be sure to read it on this very show and give you full credit for doing so. And speaking of which, we have a new one from Stitcher user Apoicio99, I hope I pronounced that correctly, who writes, quote, Love the show. Henry does a great job balancing between doing shorter solo shows and longer deep dives into pay-per-views and go-home shows. Great guests, and this show will bring back great memories. Well, thank you very much, sir or madam. I greatly appreciate that fantastic review, and quite frankly, what you wrote actually provides a perfect segue into this week's episode, because this will indeed be a longer deep dive into a pay-per-view with a great guest. And so, without further ado, I might as well just introduce him right now. He is the host of the Nitro Mania podcast, and he is returning to the Raw Attitude podcast for a record fourth time. He is none other than Adam. So, Adam, in case they forgot, would you care to remind the fans of this show what Nitro Mania is all about? Sure, but first, who's the great guest? <laughs> well, Sal canceled, so, you know. Oh, okay. Yeah, um... <laughs> Uh, I, I have been on a bit of a podcasting hiatus recently due to my, my real life, but I could not uh, I could not force your fine listeners to sit through three Sal pay-per-view recaps in a row. So <laughs> here I am. I have returned for for the fourth time. Um, Nitromania is uh, is a podcast on the Rundown Wrestling feed, just like WrestleMania Salvation uh, on the Rundown Wrestling feed, where uh, I go back and watch episodes of WCW Monday Nitro from beginning to end, much like this fine show that I absolutely did not steal the idea from at all. It's, it's an homage. <coughs> yeah, so right now, uh, the last episode that I was able to do before the hiatus was the go-home show for Fall Brawl 97. Uh, and that is, uh, so when, when I'm able to pick back up, that will be the next episode will be the actual fall brawl pay-per-view and the raw after the, nope, the nitro after that. So yeah. So if you haven't, uh, if you haven't listened, uh, you can certainly subscribe over there and download the back catalog, uh, over there at the rundown wrestling podcast feed. But, uh, at this moment, the show is on, uh, is on a bit of a break while I sort things out in my personal life. And then we'll pick back up when I actually have time. <laughs> But, if that ever happens, yeah. But I did. I did promise to do this episode before uh, before that hi, uh, that self imposed hiatus began, and I didn't want to let you down. And like I said, three episodes in a row of Sal would just kind of. I, I, I can't do that to your ratings. Yeah, we can't make him Mister Pay Per View like Rob Dan. Dan Dan. <laughs> My question is: So, Fall Brawl '97 is your next one. Have you actually watched Fall Brawl '97 yet? Uh, I think I. I think I'm like two matches in. Okay. Okay, so you got the, you got in a start. That's the one with the war games, right? Yes, Fall Brawl is the is the war games, the yep. match beyond. 
the the Horseman versus NWO for 97, I think, right? Right. So you would have just covered Arn Anderson's retirement speech about a month prior to. No, that doesn't sound familiar. Really? I, oh, maybe I'm thinking of the wrong one. I think you are, because last week was the was uh, Sting joining the NWO. Oh, God. Oh, wait, no, you, you said 97. Isn't it 96? Maybe it is 96. Yeah, it must be 96. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I well, think you're right. Well, guess what? I just I spoiled Fall Brawl 97, 97 for you just now, Great. so there you go. 97 is, is Horseman versus NWO again. Great. It is. I have that to look forward to. There you, and and Arn Anderson retires as well. So Good. there's a spoiler alert <laughs> for you. If you haven't yet listened to the Nitromania podcast, uh, you're, you're about 60-something episodes, and you're pretty close to – is it 60? It's, it's right around where we um, are, I think. It's somewhere between 60 and 70, yeah. Yeah, so there's a lot of – there's a big back catalog there. So if you want to go check that out, I would definitely recommend that you do because it's coming from a perspective of somebody who has never actually watched Nitro, these Nitro Correct. episodes. Yeah, yeah. yeah so that, I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, I, I did not watch any WCW until <laughs> – until what was it the winter of 2001 like the very beginning of 2001 so like the last three months of wcw when when we watched uh back at college pretty much yeah back in the day yeah there's a little there's a little look behind the curtain for you when we when when uh, adam and i were in college we used to of course watch raw at nine o'clock but they would they would air the rerun of nitro at midnight which Mid-Nitro. we affectionately exactly which we called mid nitro so on days when we had classes on a tuesday the next day we would be up to like two o'clock in the morning watching nitro and not even really enjoying it heavy yeah heavy air quotes on affectionately there yeah i think we every monday night we gave dominoes quite a bit of business so they should be <laughs> they should be very thankful for us quite frankly mm-hmm and yeah, actually, on that note, we did mention Sal. I do want to give, give a quick uh, a quick plug to Sal as well because he and I actually talked for about three and a half hours about WrestleMania 19 recently. I had a lot of fun doing great, that episode. Great episode. Um, thank you, thank you. So I'm going to put a link to that in the episode description. You can just click on over and listen to that if you want to hear Sal and I break down WrestleMania 19 for uh, for about three and a half hours. I think a really Fun show, uh, not just the podcast, but also the actual WrestleMania 19, I think, was a pretty good show. One I'm pretty sure that you and I watched at Hooters back in the day. It was either Hooters or Good Time. That's true. That's true. I think this one was Hooters. See, I was uh, I was disappointed when uh, when I was doing WrestleMania X7 because of the because of the whole Limp Biscuit thing. But uh, but Sal got you in there with a different Limp Biscuit uh, uh, Limp Biscuit WrestleMania because I know you're such a big fan of Fred Durst. Oh yeah. Well, this was like this was 2003 when uh, Limp Biscuit had already they were already um, <laughs> on the way out at that yeah. point, I think. So instead of uh, that awesome, you know, Stone Cold Steve Austin rock my way montage, we got a Stone Cold Steve Austin montage to the Limp Biscuit song Crack Addict, which is <laughs> not nearly as memorable. Yeah. But, but Fred Durst did show up to play uh, live and in person at that show. He played The Undertaker down to the ring and also played and, Crack Addict. And he didn't even almost get dropkicked by a clown. Um, that's true. <laughs> sure. No, that was that's the present day. Yeah. Quickly, on a, on a similar note, completely unrelated to me, just a shout-out to the Three-Way Theater podcast, which I have done, but have not on the most recent episode. They, they watched uh, some Nickelodeon cartoons that feature wrestling on the most recent episode. Oh. And at one point, it devolved. Uh, there was a SpongeBob episode that somehow transitioned into Limp Biscuit discussion. And now, for just listening to that episode for the rest of the day, I just kept going, Patrick Starfish! Uh, uh, yes, nice. Could not, could not stop doing that. 
I've never, I can't say I've seen that one. I do remember back in the day when I watched Hey Dude as a little kid, that yep. Captain Lou Albano was they on talked Hey Dude. To, they talked about that episode as well. Oh, gee, well, I guess they should just invite me on then, shouldn't and they? Started, uh, started singing Hey Dude instead of Hey Jude. Oh, God. Yeah. What the fuck are we doing here? Uh, I forget. I think yeah. we're, we're covering WrestleMania 19. That's what we're doing. Okay. All right. Okay. Uh, yep. Let me get my notes. No, that, you know what? That would be a much better pay-per-view, but anyway. <laughs> So with that being said, I guess, what would you like to dive into St. Valentine's Day Massacre? Yes. Get ready a pol- policiano, whatever it was. This is a, this going to be a deep dive. It's, it was going to be a deep one. So, well, actually, of course, before we get into St. Valentine's Day Massacre, though, we have to get into Sunday Night Heat. So let's dive into that. But then again, oh, even God. before we get there, oh. there is, however, a dark match that was not covered on Sunday Night Heat. Oh. And it was, yes, it was the team of too much defeating the Hardy Boys. And funny enough, even though too much are quite clearly heels, reports from the show say that the crowd was firmly behind them. Adam, do you happen to know, would you be able to make a guess as to why the crowd was firmly behind too much? Uh, wait, where was the... Oh, that's right. That, this, was in, this was in Memphis, wasn't it? It was. Yeah, so there may have been a, a slight uh, hometown advantage. For a certain member of that team. You got it exactly right. Yes, because Brian Christopher is one half of too much. The crowd was fucking loving them. So <laughs> I don't know but, what you're uh, talking about. They're not related at all. Oh, no, of course not. No, not at all. Well, I, it used to be funny because Jerry Lawler would say that, that Brian Christopher was Jim Ross's son quite a few times. I think, he, he I think we talked about that the last time I was on and how and, and Jim Ross's constant needling about, about their family resemblance. Yeah, when like when Max Mini jumps into Jerry Lawler's lap and Jim Ross is like, pretend it's Brian at Christmas time. <laughs> so, it's awesome. But yes, so that was the dark match. Too much got the victory over the Hardy Boys. I uh, wonder what ever happened to the Hardy Boys. Huh, I, I don't know. Uh, so we opened the show with a recap of the feud between Stone Cold Steve Austin and Vince McMahon over the past few weeks. Now, Adam, in case you need a reminder, here is a quick synopsis. So Vince McMahon won the Royal Rumble last eliminating Stone Cold thanks to interference from The Rock. Mm-hmm. Vince then forfeited his right to the number one contendership to face The Rock at WrestleMania, but Commissioner Shawn Michaels informed him that once he did that, the runner-up of the Rumble then became the number one contender. So, of course, once again, Stone Cold is in control. However, Austin said he was willing to put that number one contendership on the line if Vince would face him in a match at St. Valentine's Day Massacre inside of a steel cage. Surprisingly, Vince agreed, and last week on Raw, he even upped the stakes by promising that if any member of the corporation attempted to interfere in the cage match, they would be fired on the spot. And then, later on in that episode of Raw, Vince forced Austin to run the gauntlet against the entire corporation, and the match finished with Vince pinning Austin for his first ever pinfall loss on Raw. Of course, it was... You know, after Bossman bludgeoned him with a knife, <laughs> but still, I, I enjoyed I enjoyed very much your description of that match. Yes, it kind of kept devolving into chaos thanks to that Toronto this, crowd. This match must be won by pinfall or submission. Oh, e- fuck, we're just gonna switch. Yeah, except uh, now we get five disqualifications in this match. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was gonna say I don't think that's how gauntlet matches work, but no, I guess I guess Steve Austin would have won each of those falls if it was a disqualification, wouldn't he? Have? I think that's what they were going for. Yeah, I think I think they were all DQs. Ugh. Even though in the pre-match it clearly said pinfall or submission. So, good consistency with the Attitude Era. 
But uh, of course, in that show, as I was saying, that show went off the air with the very famous visual of Vince getting in Austin's face in one of the corners while several corporation members held Stone Cold's arms mm-hmm. behind his back. So so now do you feel all caught up there, Adam? Which which would you say is is more classic as a Vince face? That that shot of him yelling at Steve Austin in the corner or the shot of him from WrestleMania 19 uh, sadistically peeking his head up uh, over the edge of the ring while holding the pipe? <laughs> Oh, man. Well, for me, I'd have to go with him yelling in Austin's face. Yeah. But we did just cover that on WrestleMania 19, the bloody uh, the bloody Vince with the pipe. That That's amazing. So, so great. That was actually when I put up the episode link on Twitter. I used that picture for, the, <laughs> for that because you have to. It's amazing. Nice. So, yes, from there, we queue up the opening credits, the pyro, and the obligatory scanning of the crowd. Now, don't worry, Adam. I'm still going to list all the entertaining signs in the crowd, but we're just at Sunday Night Heat so far. So I'll save it for when we actually start the pay-per-view. Yeah, I didn't I didn't get any signs from Heat specifically because because the, the scanning on Heat goes a lot quicker than the scanning on the pay-per-view because they only Very have that, that hour to fill. So not there, was, there wasn't really anything in focus that I could read. But yeah. I did get some good ones during the pay-per-view, I promise. Yeah, well, we got to fill heat with a lot more time of uh, important stuff like Dominic DiNucci and, and, you know, so clearly. (laughs) Spoiler alert. But we open the show with Shane McMahon in the ring wearing blue-tinged sunglasses as though he was fucking Gorilla Monsoon or something. (laughs) So he immediately brings out his father and Vince walks down the aisle and enters the ring. He then cues up footage from the Royal Rumble last month where, yes, as we mentioned, he tossed Stone Cold over the top rope to win it. And for my money, Vince is probably still the worst Royal Rumble winner in history. And that's saying something because Sheamus has won that match. (laughs) (laughs) That's just my personal bias. But then Vince also cues up footage from last night's episode of Raw where he pinned Austin and he informs us he is now 2-0 against him. Quote-unquote last night. Quote-unquote live, right? Yeah, well, it aired last night, but it was... It's not often that an episode of Raw literally gets taped on Monday night at its usual time, and then they air it five days later. So nice, nice quirky little thing. Although, again, it did air live in Canada, just not in the States, because yeah, you, know, you got to get that dog show in. I had a note about that later. There's a line that Cole says, and, and I made a note of that. So, but we'll get there. We'll get there during the pay-per-view itself. All right. So, yes, Vince says instead of beating Austin for a third time tonight, he's going to give him an opportunity. If Stone Cold cancels the match before the end of Heat tonight, then Vince will spare him a beating. If Austin still wants to go through with the match, however, Vince says he has some big plans for him. Oh, interesting. Big plans. Hmm. And if Vince doesn't come to the ring, rather, excuse me, if Austin doesn't come to the ring, Vince will track him down himself. And he then ends the promo by referring to Austin as Pally, which I thought was a nice touch. And so we then cut backstage where we see Stone Cold watching all of this on a monitor, and he then proceeds to angrily throw the monitor <laughs> against a wall. So did you enjoy this uh, opening promo, Adam? The shots, the shots of Steve Austin backstage just in the locker room just looked like a still picture, like when they take the still picture of someone watching TV and then they put the actual video you know, <laughs> where the TV screen is in the picture. Like he didn't move. It was right. just, he was just sitting there. And then, uh, and then all of a sudden, you know, like you said, he throws the TV into the wall and destroys the TV. But so the, when they were cutting back to him in the locker room, just sitting there, I'm like, is that, is that actually video? Or is that, is that just a still picture? Well, he was just so stoic. He was so intent on watching <laughs> what Vince was saying, clearly. I got to make um, sure I hear him. So that's, that's, yeah, exactly. 
I did like this though because it's uh, it's basically Vince. Um, one thing I didn't mention in the intro there was the fact that Vince is basically trying to you know get under Stone Cold, get on Stone Cold's nerves because if Austin hits him before the match, then basically the match is off and Stone Cold is fired. So essentially, right. you know that's what Vince has been doing the past couple of weeks, like on Raw when he went down to Victoria, Texas, with the express purpose of getting Stone Cold to punch him so he'd be <laughs> fired, which obviously did not work. But yeah, that's a. It's got. That's I think what was playing up for uh, the beginning part of this was basically Vince, you know, calling out Austin, trying to be like, "Hey, you're not much of a man if you're not going to come out and face me." So, I guess we'll see what happens there. Will Austin hit him before the match starts? Yeah, I guess and we'll I, see. I definitely agree with your take on uh, on that that story from a couple of weeks ago, where I think I always thought it would have been better had he not found Austin in Texas because, like, because like you said, they have that face off. And, you know, you get that face-to-face -face that you've been looking for all night, but Austin is just like, nah. Yeah. Meh. <laughs> nah, I'm going to punch you. I ain't going to hit you, you dumb son of a bitch. Yeah. It's like, what? Well, you're not? Why Why wouldn't you? He's he's coming to He came to you. He got in your face, and you're backing down from the challenge. Because, you know, that's what Stone Cold would do. Right, exactly. That's... That's the Stone Cold we know and love. Who's afraid of a little? Who's afraid of like a legal challenge? Like, well, I don't want to. I don't want to get fired again. When he already got fired back in October, but but that's not whatever. It's it's the Attitude Era. So after Vince leaves, we then see the footage from Raw Saturday Night, which was strangely edited out on the WWE Network for some reason, where your WWF Hardcore Champion, the Road Dog, was found unconscious on the locker room floor, bleeding from his ear. So apparently whoever attacked him was blaring loud music. <laughs> So Kevin Kelly informs us that due to the injuries he suffered from that ambush, Road Dog has been forced to vacate his hardcore title. Yes, there's nothing more hardcore than giving up your title because you got a boo-boo. <laughs> and so, because of that, because of that, because we no longer have a hardcore champion, Al Snow will face Bob Holly tonight at the pay-per-view to crown a brand new champion. And yes, Adam, of course, in case you need a reminder, they're writing Road Dog off of TV yeah. because he's going to rehab in real life. Yeah. So, I mean, that's tough break. That's I mean, that's the difference between the hardcore champion and the WWE champion. You know, if you're a WWE champion, you can take 12 unprotected chair shots to the head and, and you'll be I mean, you'll still lose your title, but you won't have to you won't have to you won't give it up. But uh, hardcore champion, hardcore champion, just a little little bit of a like a popped like a like a pimple in your ear that pops and bleeds. You got to give up everything. You got to give up everything. Yep. Somebody comes in with a boom box and puts a death metal up to your ear. And all of a sudden, you got to vacate that title. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's, a, it's a shame. It's a, it's it a damn is. shame. And honestly, I don't know if this ever gets gets paid off. Where I don't know if we actually find out who is the person who, who viciously assaulted Road Dog's ear. But it was, uh, maybe. It, was, it was his meth dealer. There you go. <laughs> or actually, this is a this is a brief callback to earlier in this podcast. Back when Owen Hart first turned heel and joined the Nation of Domination, he was biting people's ears and making them bleed. Like he was doing a Mike oh, Tyson kind of gimmick. So I, so I don't remember that. Yeah, it only lasted about two weeks. Thank goodness. Um, but actually, funny enough, one of the people he did it to was Road Dog. So I think we have our top suspect here. I think so. Indeed. In all in all seriousness, though, respect to Road Dog for his uh, his continued sobriety at this point in his life. Absolutely. He's doing great these days. He's still a road agent, I think, right? Yeah, and he's he's to blame for anything that sucks on SmackDown. Oh, so he's to blame for SmackDown. <laughs> oh, you don't even watch. No, I don't. That's true. <laughs> 
So anyway, we then cut backstage where we see a black... <laughs> yes, where we see a black stretch limo pulling up to the arena. And funny enough, they did this same thing on the last episode of Heat that aired before a pay-per-view. But this time, hopefully the limo will contain someone more noteworthy than friggin' Mabel. And after commercial break, we then go elsewhere backstage where your WWF champion Mankind is greeted by Dominic... Denucci. Now, in case you're not sure who that is, he's the former wrestler who was actually Mick Foley's trainer, so presumably he's the guy who taught him how to jump off of his own roof. So, Appar- Dominic... Apparently he taught him how to dropkick. <laughs> yes, we did see that, yes. Which, which I find highly suspect. I doubt Dominic Denucci was throwing too many dropkicks in the 50s, but maybe he was. I don't know. Maybe he was ahead of his time. So, Dominic then says he brought two other people with him, Bob... Backland and the Iron Sheik, who I don't think we've seen together since they teamed up to manage the Sultan. <laughs> there's, there's a cut for you. So Foley tells Backlund that he was in attendance the night that the Sheik beat him for the title, to which Backlund tells Foley not to exacerbate him, which is, of course, not the proper use of the word. And sadly, Sheiky doesn't get to speak at this point, which is probably for the best because the USA Network may not have a seven-second delay. Yeah, no, I, I exacerbated before we started tonight. Oh, good. Well, yeah, you got to, you got to, you know, uh, clear up your mind space and be ready, you know? Yeah. Question. I hope I have an answer. Is that Bob Backlund's actual hair? Ooh, you you think he's rocking like a toupee or something? It certainly looks like it. (laughs) I don't remember. I'm trying to think of what his hair looked like the last time we saw him. Probably when he was like campaigning for president back in uh, 96 or whatever it was. I recall it being like a buzz cut at that point. This was like a big, almost, almost poofy, not quite a bowl cut, but it seemed very reminiscent. Yeah, I actually when you when you say that, I do have fond memories of um of like shorter haired Backlund when he was going crazy and talking to his hands. Yeah. I think we've, that was we've, the... we've we've talked about that before. Oh yeah, that was that was awesome. That scared me when I was a kid. I uh, the first pay per view that I went to, uh King of the Ring two thousand, I did pay for Bob Backlund's autograph. I nice. have no idea what happened to it. Oh. But uh, I did uh, I did have it for a short period of time. Going going back to Dominic Danucci for just a moment and his obsession with the dropkick. Yeah. So he, for those of you who who didn't who have not watched this going uh, before listening to this episode, he literally he tells McFoley to to hit the rock with a dropkick to win the last man standing match because you know all of the great last man standing matches that have ended with a dropkick. Yeah, of course. It's such a such a devastating maneuver. Absolutely. Well, maybe the way Foley throws it or the way Danucci throws it. <laughs> you never know. So from there, we go back into the arena where it's time for our first match of the evening, Corporation member Test, accompanied by the Big Boss Man, versus Ministry of Darkness member Viscera, accompanied by Midian. Now, Test, by the way, has yet another new theme song. And this one actually sounds similar to the one he ultimately ends up using for many years, the sort of, you know, test, test, this is a test. I don't think he had that in there yet, thank God. But <laughs> um, but yes, and also, once again, Test is wearing his ridiculously goofy t-shirt that he borrowed from Happy Gilmore's boss, <laughs> which of course says, quote, guns don't kill people, I kill people, to which I say, yes, that's true, including yourself. But it was accidental. It was accidental, so, yeah. But technically, he did. Oh, uh-oh. Oh, man. <laughs> Sorry. 
not a fan. Not a fan. <laughs> I had honestly forgotten how terrible Shane McMahon was on commentary back back in in 1999. Yeah, he was when he first started doing the Heat commentary in those early days when he was a babyface. Before he obviously before he became you know uh, aligned with his father, he was really bad. Mm. Now, like when he's on commentary, I kind of somewhat chalk it up to him being like an annoying heel. But he was so bad as a babyface. Maybe that was what caused them to turn him heel. They were just like, wow, this guy's really unlikable. <laughs> we got to uh, do something about that. Just a whole, just, you know, how, uh, you know, Vince has his catchphrases, his catchphrases, the one, two, he got him. No, he didn't. And the, you know, what a maneuver. Shane's catchphrase appears to be, oh, man, <laughs> relax, relax, buddy. You don't have to scream. There's a microphone in front of your face. Yeah, not not good there. Not good. Although I will say we're about to get to, to something I I actually did enjoy that he did. Um, so basically, early on in the in the match, uh, Kevin Kelly and Shane McMahon are kind of like reading promos for what's coming up later on the USA Network. Oh so actually, God. I'm gonna I'm actually gonna play oh, what Shane you. McMahon. I'm gonna play what he says about the about silk stockings oh. because it kind of it cracked me up. <laughs> so let's take a listen to that right now. And at nine, a poor boy is found murdered. So I wonder how the executives at USA felt about Shane <laughs> saying that the the murderer of a pool boy could have been Aquaman. <laughs> if now if if that had been the case, I actually probably would have watched that episode of Silk oh, Stockings. God. But I'm I'm pretty sure the killer was much less entertaining. <laughs> But, yes, getting back to the match. So shortly after that Silk Stockings promo, Test Test hits Viscera with an elbow, and when Big Vis falls backward to lean against the ropes, his fucking pants start falling down. <laughs> and you can actually hear some people in the crowd laughing at him when this happens. So now I'm going to give the fans a visual here. Now picture this spot, if you will. So Test Irish whips Viscera off the ropes. And the spot calls for Test to duck down for a backdrop so Viscera can then catch him and put him in a pile driver position, right? Now, what happens, though, is that when Viscera grabs Test's hair and puts his head between his legs, instead of putting his hands around Test's waist to pick him up for the pile driver, Viscera first has to take both of his hands to pull up <laughs> his pants. So basically... Like, for a moment there, Tess is just kind of hunched over while Viscera is trying to make sure that his enormous ass cheeks aren't about to be on full display for the world. So oh, a, bit of a bit of a kayfabe, kayfabe killing spot there, if you ask me. But oh. eventually, though, so Viscera does eventually end up hitting the pile driver on Tess, followed by a big splash. But of course, when he goes for the pinfall, the big boss man runs into the ring and nails Viscera with the nightstick, causing the disqualification. Midian then enters the ring as well to try and provide some backup, but Bossman quickly dispatches him with the nightstick too. And as a reminder, Bossman and Midian will face each other during the pay-per-view, but it looks like we now have us a little corporation ministry feud brewing, because nothing says money like a feud between two heel factions. <laughs> so, Adam, what do you think of uh, Test versus Viscera? Uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. It was uh, certainly it was certainly a match that happened on Heat. Um, mm -hmm. I love just going back to them. I, I understand why they read the promos for the shows that are that are coming up because you know that's you know it's on USA Network, so you want to know what's next. But this is a show that is designed to make you buy the pay per view. So it's like buy buy St. Valentine's Day Massacre if you get to see the cage match. But I mean, I guess if if you don't, you can watch Pacific Blue. Yeah, <laughs> and and La Femme Nikita, Silk Stockings with Aquaman. 
With, with Aquaman? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I wish. Yeah. But yeah, uh... this... I think this match is only worth watching if you want to see, you know, Viscerous Pants almost <laughs> fall down on, on national television and hear, and hear a crowd giggling at him while it happens. Like, honestly... I, I don't think it's in, national television. I think it's just basic cable. But that's true, yeah. Basic cable. But yeah, I mean, like, I honestly, in my memory, when the Ministry of Darkness <clears throat> first started, because you had The Undertaker, you know, quote-unquote, slitting his wrists and all that. Right. I, in yeah. my recollection, I was like, oh, man, they made them look like a real force right from the start. <laughs> but then when you see this, like, with Viscera well, and and the match tonight with Midian and Bossman, it's like, no, they kind of made them look like pretty pathetic jobbers, like, right from the start. Except for Undertaker, obviously. But, yeah, but yeah it was uh, not for, uh, not the best. For some reason in my head now, I'm just imagining that with Yakety Sax playing. <laughs> yes. Somebody, somebody could probably pants. do that. <laughs> Yes, adjust pants several times throughout the match. <laughs> so yeah, really, really killing the the mystique of that uh, Ministry of Darkness when your big intimidating fat dude is like dropping his pants on television. You get it? He's fat. We'll call him I... Viscera because he's fat. Yeah, Jesus Christ! I, I somebody should give him a title belt just so he has a belt to hold up his fucking pants. How about that? Big Daddy V cups. <laughs> right. That, that's later on. That's <laughs> when he's in ECW. <laughs> When he's literally wearing like what, like a double strap singlet, and, and and could somehow move even less than he could in 1999. Yeah, and he's he's barely moving in 99. That's mm-hmm. for sure. So yes, we then cut backstage where Michael Cole was with Billy Gunn. Now, as a reminder, Mister Ass will be the special guest referee tonight in the Intercontinental Title match between Ken Shamrock and Val Venus, two guys he dislikes immensely. Yeah. Amusingly, Billy Gunn says that not only are bribes accepted, but they're actually welcomed, so clearly he's the right man for the job. <laughs> but he then ends the interview by saying that he's about to go face Tiger Ali Singh, but unfortunately the way he words that is, quote, I have to go take care of this night manager from the 7-Eleven down the road. Yeah, that was, just, that was uh, the note that I made, was just, what does Billy Gunn have against 7-Eleven? Well... Apparently, that it's just that go-to. Triple H gets a line later. I'll mention it as well, where it's just like, let's just go through every you know Indian stereotype. Like, okay, uh, tri- they manage. Yeah. Triple H has never been racist in his life. Of course not. Yeah, <coughs> yeah. <coughs> Seven Seven <coughs> Eleven WrestleMania celebration. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Speaking of that, there's another plug for the WrestleMania 19 episode Sal and I did. Yeah, Triple H versus Booker T. Then, uh, yeah, yeah. Go listen to that. People, but people uh, like you don't win world championships. Well, at least then Booker proved him wrong despite on the, the show. Fact, oh, despite right. Despite the fact that you're a five-time world champion. People like you don't win world championships. Right, exactly. Oy. So, yes, but of course it just wouldn't be the Attitude Era without a little bit of casual racism tossed in, clearly. <laughs> Followed by casual sexism. Yes, I'm actually going to get to that right now. <laughs> so, so after commercial break, we go elsewhere backstage where The Rock is apparently interviewing candidates to become his personal masseuse, and I'm actually going to go ahead and play this clip for you here. The Rock? Read it. That doesn't really matter what your name is. So as you know, The Rock's been interviewing now for the past half hour, finding his personal masseuse before his WWF title match tonight. What qualifications do you have? Well, I have my PhD from Harvard. Hmm. Harvard. That's nice. What else? I was a physical trainer for six years. A physical trainer? Six years. Mm-hmm. How about that? You like pancakes? Pancakes? Yeah, Rock wants to know if you like pancakes. I love pancakes. You love pancakes. Well, say no more, or whatever your name is. Rock's pretty much made up his mind. Hold on a second. 
Well, ladies, Rock has come to his conclusion. He's made up his mind. You're all very qualified. Being the largest collection of female $2 skanks The Rock has ever seen. Now, what The Rock wants you to do is take your candy asses out of here. Beat it. Go. The Rock is the great one. Especially you, honey. Uh, the Rock will send you to the SmackDown Hotel. You're stinking up the place. I couldn't help but notice that uh, a couple of things. Well, number one, this is the first time The Rock asks someone if they like pancakes, which obviously <laughs> that becomes a recurring bit kind of throughout the throughout the years. But also I couldn't help that's but notice that. That's where the New Day got it from. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's right. I didn't think of that. Are they still doing that, by the way, yes, with the pancakes? They, of course. Oh, my, my God. I, I don't know. What, someone, was there ever an explanation for that? Someone didn't watch SmackDown 1000. I didn't. Yeah. I, I, I taped it, but I haven't watched it yet. And I probably it's, won't. It's not 1999. You don't tape things anymore. No, I put it on VHS. I put the the, the VHS tape in there. I <laughs> set it to record. Yeah. Yeah. So so Rock tells the woman that he's looking for a personal masseuse and a physical trainer, as opposed to a sedentary trainer. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, I, see, here's the thing that jumped out to me was that the woman he interviews said she had a PhD from Harvard. And she's been a physical trainer for six years. Now, like, no disrespect, but if you have a PhD from Harvard, you might want to aim a little higher with your chosen profession. Because, <laughs> like, geez, you probably don't even need a high school degree to be a trainer, let alone a PhD from the top educational institution in the world. But she's obviously not uh, not aiming very high with her career ambitions. I'd kind of like and to know her backstory, how she went from, like, <laughs> Harvard PhD to, like, the only job she can get is, like, a personal trainer. Yeah. I want to know that woman's backstory. And then, of course, because Attitude Era, The Rock just threatens to beat them all up. That's true. Yes, he does. I mean, later on, uh, we do get uh, Triple H threatening to beat up China, which the crowd completely loves. <sighs> so, d different time. Different time, I suppose. Because you're not playing with any balls. That's right. Yeah, well, that was that was just terrible. <laughs> you, you can't even swing a bat. Or you can't draw a walk because you don't have any balls. It's like, oh, baseball analogy. Oh, clever. All right. Because she's a lady and she doesn't have testicles. But but don't treat her like a woman. Anymore. What? Well, we, what? we can't now. What? Anyway. <laughs> so, so, yes, from there we go back into the arena where Tony Chimmel brings <clears> out the <throat> man he calls, quote, the future mayor of Memphis, Jerry the King Lawler. And the King does indeed come out to a very nice ovation from his hometown Memphis fans. Now, fun fact, though. When Schimmel made that mayor remark, that was actually a shoot. Lawler does indeed run for mayor of Memphis in 1999, and spoiler alert, he ends up losing the election in October, but he does finish a very respectable third out of 15 candidates, garnering almost 12% of the vote. So, I mean, Adam, you can't trust Lawler with your teenage daughter, but would you trust him to run your city? I don't know. Who, who would have thought in 1999 that Jerry Lawler would be less electable than Kane? Yeah, right. Or or Jesse Ventura for that matter. <laughs> but yes, so Lawler says, what would Valentine's Day be without a pretty girl? And he then brings out the manager of the WWF Tag Team Champions, Deborah. So the King also then gets in one of his pervy lines when he says, quote, some guys say she doesn't have a lot upstairs, but what a staircase. Yikes. <laughs> So Deborah says she plans on making Ivory an offer she can't refuse, and so that does indeed cause Ivory to emerge from backstage. And so Deborah does indeed make her offer, albeit slightly botched, because she says she wants to make tonight's match an intergender three versus three match instead of quote a tag man match. <laughs> Close yeah. enough. It's it's good to know that that here uh, about two and a half years after where I am on on Nitromania currently that Deborah is still god awful on the mic 
Oh my god! Just wait till like about two years from now when she has the brief stint as like the um, the ring announcer. Oh my god! It, I think she only does it for like a couple shows. One oh. of them I think is Backlash 2000, where she just half asses it so bad. She's like the WWF Tag Team Champions of the World, Edge and Christian. Like that's <laughs> it's like it's the the worst. So yeah, but you know, obviously Stone Cold saw something in her. He saw potential. <laughs> But anywho, uh, so yes, so basically Deborah proposes a three versus three match, and of course, Ivory doesn't take the bait because she says she knows that Deborah is just trying to manipulate the situation so that Jeff Jarrett and Owen Hart don't have to defend their tag titles, so she declines the offer, which kind of makes her look a bit cowardly if you think about it. I mean, I realize that Deborah was trying to manipulate her, but by the same token, Ivory's like, nah, I'm not going to wrestle. So anyway, but no, with I, that being said, I don't. It's it's not cowardly. It's it's smart. She wants her boys to win the the tag titles. I guess so. But, but by the same token, she could have said, "No, we're not going to make it a three versus three. But how about me and you go one on one? Yeah, could have done that. We you you, do, you don't want to see Deborah in a, in a singles match. No, that that is true. But so with that being said, Ivory does indeed inform Deborah that if she attempts to get involved in the match tonight. She'll tear the clothes right off her body. And as you might expect, that leads to both women brawling in the ring until Jared and Owen arrive to pull Deborah away and D'Lo Brown and Mark Henry arrive to pull Ivory away. So, Adam, what were your thoughts on this promo and the cat fight? <laughs> who, who was the bigger perv in the mid-90s? Would you say it was Jerry Lawler or Mean Gene Okerlund? I would say definitely Jerry Lawler, <laughs> there, although there is a time coming up eventually in WCW <clears throat> where I think it's during the Vince Russo era where like they just basically go full, full on perv intentionally with Mean Gene, where he's like uh, openly hitting on major guns and things yeah. like that. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, Mean Gene Okerlund was never caught with a 14 year old. Um, Allegedly. <laughs> yeah. You uh, again, uh, another shameless plug for your appearance on WrestleMania Salvation. You were going over your uh, your Jerry Lawler lines. Uh, sure. During one of the matches there, I told you I mentioned this in in text, but I will I will uh, of course say it here as well, just to of course put it out there because it is it's terrible, but it's one of my favorites where Jerry Lawler goes, "I hate to see her go, but I love to watch her leave." Yep, all those curves and me with no brakes. Or I'll do I'll do the other one I mentioned on that show too, <sighs> the the worst one that he would bust out sometimes. <laughs> Panties aren't the best thing in the world, Jr., but they're next to it. So yes. there's that. Yeah. <laughs> yes. But yeah, so basically this was just a setup for tonight's match. Yeah. But I think these, these Sunday Night Heat segments basically serve the purpose. You know, Ivory comes out and she's like, I'm going to tear Deborah's clothes off. So if you haven't ordered already right. as, a, as a teenager, you're exactly. like, Mom, please drop drop the twenty nine ninety five on St. Valentine's Day Massacre, yeah. please. Yeah. Henry? So, mm, yes. Why Why did you make me watch a Tiger Alley Sing match? Well, thankfully it was kept mercifully short. <laughs> But we're actually not there yet because after this, we go backstage where the Iron Sheik is showing off oh, his strength by right. twirling around like some metal pillars like he used oh, to do with the Persian clubs yeah. back in the day. And Foley basically instead says, he instead of that. makes a very valid point. Yeah. He says, instead of twirling them, why doesn't he just hit the rock with them? So, I mean, fairly valid point, but that's literally the entire segment. I guess if you want to see the Iron Sheik do like the Persian club routine, you could you could do that. You could tune in, but really there's there's no point in watching this segment. So let's cut ahead to our next segment where we go to Michael Cole, who knocks on the door of Stone Cold Steve Austin's locker room. And sure enough, Austin answers the door and Cole asks him if he plans on canceling tonight's match, to which Stone Cold slams the door idiot. in his face. Yeah, exactly. Well, yes. Uh, and of course, Stone Cold appropriately slams the door in his face. And really, I think that is the proper reaction anytime you see Michael Cole. 
basically, if you too bad, it's, it's too bad Austin didn't just take him out right then and there, so we would have been spared his commentary for tonight. But that's a whole other thing. I'll get into that a little yeah. bit later. I know, I know you don't watch the mixed match challenge because you don't watch any of the current day product except for the pay per views. But did True. you have you heard? Did you hear about the 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 botch that he made this past week? Michael Cole. Yeah. I did not. Okay. So in the beginning of the mixed match challenge, you know, they, they have them, the three commentators standing at ringside and it's, uh, Vic Joseph, Michael Cole and Renee Young. And so, and Michael Cole does his little spiel and then he points to Vic Joseph and goes, and he is Vic Joseph. And then he points to the other side and goes, and he is Renee Young. Oh, Jesus. Wow. Way to go. Way to go. Well, he's so, he's so used to working with uh, an all-male crew after all these years that he just can't get used to a, a woman being in the booth, yeah. clearly. I mean, it's only been, what, two months? And who the hell was Vic Joseph? Uh, he's one, He does um, 205 Live. I'm, I'm guessing that's not his real name because that sounds like an ultimate, <laughs> like, let's, let's repackage this guy into, like, a different name. Yeah, well, none of them use their actual names, I don't think. Well, isn't, isn't Michael Cole, was that his real name? Nope. Well, Jerry Lawler was. Well, but... yeah, but Michael Cole is not is not Michael Cole's christian name oh it's close it's close oh yeah no yeah his last i think his name is like michael cole thard or yeah, something cole, like that yeah cold i think it's a hard i think it's cold hard but yeah cold hard oh my god <laughs> cold cold hard yeah so save your jokes for that one folks i think i know where you're going <laughs> anyhow so after a commercial break we then cut to billy gunn's locker room where he finds an envelope full of cash so presumably either val or shamrock was listening when he said that he would accept bribes and from there, none other than Ryan Shamrock enters the locker room and proceeds to sit in his lap. That is certainly one other form of a bribe, I suppose, and probably actually more effective than the cash. But this then segues us into a video montage recapping the Val Venus-Ken Shamrock feud, with, of course, Ryan Shamrock being stuck in the middle. And from there, we head back into the arena, where it is indeed time for our next match, Billy Gunn, accompanied by Triple H and X-Pac, obviously not Road Dog, versus Tiger Ali Singh. So Triple H actually goes over to the commentary table, which causes Shane McMahon to get up and leave, since DX and the corporation obviously have been at each other's throats for a while. And then, literally seconds into the match, Billy Irish whips Tiger into one of the turnbuckles, where referee Mike Kyoto was standing, causing Kyoto to fall to the ground. From there, Mr. Ass hits a rocker dropper on Tiger, which caused Triple H to say, quote, Take that, put it in your cab, and drive around with it, which doesn't even make any fucking sense. So, yes, Billy then goes to pin Tiger, but obviously there's no ref. And at this point, I thought for sure that Mr. Ass was just going to count his own pinfall since, you know, he's wearing a goddamn referee shirt. Yeah, but obviously that I, didn't happen. I, I thought that as well. But instead, Val Venus ran out from backstage and counted the pinfall for Billy. Why is he wrestling in the referee shirt? That, you know, that actually is a fair point. <laughs> it's very confusing. But yeah, so Val Venus comes out from backstage. I think his intention here was to suck up to Billy in advance of tonight's match by counting the pinfall. But then Ken Shamrock also ran out from backstage and started brawling with Val, but Billy shoved him out of the ring. So Val thought that basically that was a gesture that Billy was siding with him, but instead, Mr. Ass clotheslined Val and tossed him out of the ring too. The three members of DX then held their hands up in the air, and that was the end of this segment. So... I guess there's no actual finish to the match then, because <laughs> Billy never actually cleanly pinned Tiger Ali Singh, so really, I guess the match should still be going, shouldn't it? <laughs> well, whose side is he on? <laughs> right. It's it's kind of like when you see this, it's almost as though Vince Russo doesn't actually care about the wrestling or something. <laughs> so strange. But Adam, did you have any other thoughts on this uh, quote-unquote match? No. 
I, it was uh, as soon as I saw Tiger Ali sing, my I just my mind just went blank. Like it just it was like an automatic block. So now it's been a while since we've seen him. Actually, I can't even think of the last time he was on TV. So yeah, it's, what? I, I don't know. What a fucking tragedy! I know. <laughs> When he's not doing the how low will an American go skits, he's pretty much, he's kind of useless. When he's not ripping off the million dollar man, he's ripping off the rock. Right. Yeah, there you go. Or actually, I would say inspiring the rock because he was doing some of those gestures before the rock got public. (laughs) (laughs) The sunglasses, the eyebrow. Okay. So we then go backstage yet again where Dominic DiNucci is giving Mick Foley some wrestling lessons, which is, I mean, I feel like Foley has kind of gotten the gist by now since he's a two-time world champion, but maybe he needs some more lessons. So yes, Danucci tells him to break the Rock's arm and then, as you said, dropkick him. And I'm starting to wonder why exactly these segments are taking place. I mean, did a bunch of old-timers just show up to watch the pay-per-view and Vince was like, let's put you on TV? I'm not exactly clear as to how this is supposed to make me want to order St. Valentine's Day Massacre, but whatevs. And, no, Mick, yeah. Mick is going to win the, the, the last man standing match because his grandpa said he was. Works for me. <laughs> his grandpa, yeah. But yes, this then segues us into a video recap of the Mankind Rock feud over the past three months. For those scoring at home, tonight's last man standing match will be the sixth televised match between these two since November. And honestly, it's really impressive they've been able to keep this feud so hot despite all of these matches. No, definitely. And after that... I want more. And actually, well, we're, we're going to get more on Raw, but that's a, that's another spoiler for you. But yes, so after the recap ends, we then go backstage once again, where Bob Backlund is telling Foley that he needs to run up and down some stairs a bunch of times in order to build up his stamina for tonight's match, which I guess because Backlund used to do the Harvard step test or whatever, so I right. guess it's playing off that. But however, once Foley does that, <laughs> The Rock just jumps him. I enjoy He runs up the one flight of stairs and goes... I feel better than I've ever felt. <laughs> and then immediately gets smacked in the knee with a trash can or the fuck it was. Yeah. So, yeah. so let that be a lesson to you. Don't exert too much energy. Don't run upstairs. It will be pointless. But yes, the rock smacks him with yeah, like a cooler or a trash can, whatever the hell it was. And uh, I mean, if you think about it, it is kind of a smart strategy because if Mick Foley can't stand up, he obviously can't get to his feet for a 10 count. So Just ask I, Johnny Gargano. Oh, okay. That, I, I don't know about that one. God I'm damn. guessing... God I know damn. about the... Is this with uh, Ciampa? Yes. I know they had a feud going, so they had a last man standing match. I still don't understand how you have the network and you don't watch NXT. Meh. <laughs> Too busy watching old episodes of Raw. Clearly. So I'm assuming the, the finish of that was Ciampa beat the shit out of his leg until he couldn't stand up anymore? He Gargano beat the shit out of Ciampa and had him, I think it was handcuffed to like one of the LED displays at the edge of the stage, but then, mm. and then went for his... Uh, running knee strike to finish him off and supposedly dislocated his kneecap. Uh, so he couldn't stand up, but but Ciampa was able to kind of fall off the edge of the stage, but with his arms still attached to the LED board, thereby putting his feet on the floor and him standing up and winning. Sounds a little convoluted, but all right. It was a little bit, but you got you don't have to watch the main roster because the main roster fucking blows right now, but you got you to gotta watch NXT. There you go. Well, and then once the NXT guys go up to the main roster, they automatically become terrible. Thanks, Vince. Yep, there you go. Dude, wasn't there news that broke? I don't know if this was true or not, but I saw people posting that uh, on Twitter that Vince apparently has never watched NXT. Have you seen that? That was like uh, something like some story that broke where like Vince McMahon, I, I think it was like either by way of Triple H saying that Vince has never watched NXT before. I don't know. It wouldn't surprise so feel me. Feel free to look that up. Yeah, look that up. Wouldn't surprise me. 
So we then go back into the arena where Vince McMahon is now heading to the ring to call out Stone Cold Steve Austin. And I'm just going to go ahead and play this segment for you because, well, let's just say that something rather interesting happens. I didn't want to have to do this. Austin, your time is up. How appropriate. How appropriate, Austin, your time is up on St. Valentine's Day. Well, the hatred in his eyes. Hatred is so poisonous, though, Shane. Oh, yeah. It can eat you alive. St. Valentine's Day. Cupid, bows and arrows. Love conquers all. Love makes the world go round. What a load of crap. You tell him, Pop. Because, Austin, when I think about you, one word comes to mind. Hate. I don't mean hate like all of you in this arena say the word, oh, you know, I hate this or I hate that. Unless you're Vince McMahon, you don't know. You can't feel the meaning of the word hate. Austin, I loathe the ground that you walk on. And if you make me do what I have to do in this cage match, so be it. I will do it with as much hate as I possibly can. Austin, I'm giving you 10 seconds to come out of here right now. Nine, eight, seven, He's on the clock. six, five. I'm coming back. Four, three, two. Where's Austin? Wait, what? Wait a minute. someone's attention you should whisper and believe me there's nothing more that Shawn Michaels would love to do 24 hours a day than whisper but I'm afraid that would be a waste of your time and a big waste of my time I'd much rather take my fist and slam it into that big, fat, 
ugly face of yours. Yeah, good luck, yeah, Sean. I think Sean never forgot about the last time. The pain, the, pain, the, pain the, of the The commissioner's not that he had done, done, Vince. Austin's hiding behind your degenerate ass, and you know it. That's right. Well, we got it. Son of a bitch. Hit him, Austin. Hit him, Austin. I'm not going to wipe that off because what I'm going to do is use your damn blood to wash it off after the damn cage match. And that's all I got to say. So, yes, Vince McMahon ended up being surprised by Commissioner Shawn Michaels. And by the way, Adam, I don't know if you caught the inside joke here, but HBK was talking about how you should whisper to get someone's attention, and he then said, quote, There's nothing more that Shawn Michaels would love to do 24 hours a day than whisper. And HBK, of course, is literally going to be marrying Nitro Girl Whisper about six weeks from this show. <laughs> so when so when he says there's nothing he'd rather do than whisper, it's kind of a, a bit of a double meaning. Gotcha. Very, very little double intenuendo there. Exactly. But anyway, Stone Cold Steve Austin then, of course, does come to the ring. And when he does, Vince proceeds to spit right in his face. Remember that Austin is fired if he touches Vince before the match, but Stone Cold refuses to take the bait Instead, he says he isn't going to wipe Vince's spit off him, but rather he's going to use Vince's blood to wash it off. And then Sunday Night Heat just kind of goes off the air <laughs> in the middle of the segment. Maybe they're running a bit long. That doesn't seem so, like yeah. it would work. No, yeah, I guess not. It would just make things more messy, yeah. I think. But yes, yeah, so that was the end of the show. Now, Adam, did you enjoy our, our final segment and the surprise appearance of Shawn Michaels? Uh, yeah, I mean, everything that they did to build the, well, I shouldn't say that. Because uh, Dominic Danucci, most of the things that they did to to build the the pay per view itself to get you to buy the the actual pay per view, I think, worked very well here. Um, the matches themselves were Sunday Night Heat level, but um, yeah, I mean, I, I, again, I think uh, had I not already ordered the pay per view, I would probably uh, I would probably order the pay per view at this point and not watch sure. and not watch Pacific Blue. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, if that's your option, or Silk Stockings with Aquaman. One thing I know, pretty much on the pay, on the uh, Sunday Night Heat, they were building up just the two matches, the Austin versus Vince and the Rock versus Mankind. I was surprised they didn't go a little bit further with the Triple H versus China storyline, because that's been a pretty big no, thing. kind of got a little build to uh, Boss Man versus Midian. I know, right, yeah, they build that up. <laughs> Jesus Christ. But yeah, they don't really they didn't really focus too much on Triple H versus China, which is funny because like the the Raw after Royal Rumble was the one where China turned heel and became like, you know, that was a big thing. That was a pretty big deal. So, yeah, but but nothing so much at all really on on Sunday Night Heat about that one, but oh well. So I guess I guess they're mostly leading with the two big matches, which I understand, but still, I was uh 
I was curious to see how they'd build up that one, too. You can, the answer was they didn't. You so. can only have so many main events, Henry. I guess so. But anyway, with that being said... Oh, and of course, by the way, seeing Shawn Michaels, that, that completely surprised me. I had no idea Shawn Michaels was going to show up. Because remember, he just had his surgery about a month ago. But apparently, I guess he can travel. So, not not a very... It's not a short trip from San Antonio to Memphis. So, I guess he's been cleared to resume flying and all that sort of shit. It's only know. a couple of states. I'm sure it's not that bad. I guess. But with that being said... Let's get into St. Valentine's Day Massacre. Now, first off, I have to say that I love the poster for this show, which is just Vince McMahon gripping a bouquet of roses so <laughs> tightly that the, the thorns are causing his hands to bleed. So that's that's good stuff right there. A little Jesus-y. A little Jesus-y. The, little Jesus-y. the poster is great. What the fuck is the opening video? Yeah, I was going to touch on that, actually. I'll, I'll get to that in just a moment. <laughs> okay. But first, I have to give a quick background because it is... Sunday, February 14th, 1999. That's right, it actually is Valentine's Day. And we are live from the Pyramid in Memphis, Tennessee, in front of a whopping 19,028 fans. Now, some of the other noteworthy yeah. events which have taken there's place... Been, now, there's been more people at Raw. Well, yeah, last week. <laughs> <laughs> they doubled that attendance last week. But yes, some of the other noteworthy events that have taken place in this same arena include four episodes of Raw... Three episodes of SmackDown, five episodes of Nitro, and five episodes of Thunder. But this is actually the only pay-per-view to ever take place in this building. Because nowadays when the WWF goes to Memphis, they kind of frequent the uh, the newer arena called the FedEx Forum. Yeah. So not so much going to the, the Pyramid anymore. And I'm guessing the FedEx Forum seats fewer people. I don't know if they could sell out a 19,000-seat building anymore <laughs> for Raw, quite frankly. So we open the show with, as you said, was basically, it's like a 1950s-style love song where a woman sings about her sweet Valentine driving her crazy, all while we get black-and-white footage of the Austin-McMahon rivalry. And it eventually segues back into color, and the music changes to something more generic with sound bites from Vincent Stone Cold. A bit kooky, but I thought it was amusing. Did you Did you enjoy it? It was... Uh... It was a thing. It definitely took me by surprise when the pay-per-view started. Uh, Wikipedia says that the FedEx Forum seats 19,000 for concerts. So. Oh, okay. There you go. So about the same number. Yeah. But uh, yeah, they, yeah, that was, the, that was the, the very first note that I took like seconds into the show. What the fuck is this opening video? Because it was. It was yeah. that scratchy record player you know, effect and the, the what you play, what have, like, singing this yep. weird little 50s like penny arcade love song like what the fuck yeah this is gonna make me want to watch wrestling (laughs) yeah i i liked it i thought it was a nice little touch but yeah i I definitely i was not expecting that either i must from there i I need freddie blassie you wrote god yeah well i don't think i think he starts doing those a little bit later on i think so may god have mercy on our souls (laughs) we definitely get a little bit of that not tonight, but when Freddie Blassie comes back, we definitely get that. Yeah, we, we, we would need some mercy after some of these matches. but Yeah, that's very true. But much like a pay-per-view about uh, nine months from now, there will be no mercy. <laughs> so, so from there, we queue up the pyro and the obligatory scanning of the crowd. Some of the noteworthy signs I noticed include, Hey Sable, mine are real. I farted. Val Venus, suck my penis. Memphis... Memphis 316 says, I just stole your car. <laughs> I've got two words for you. Skin flute. <laughs> I missed that one. Yep. Socko is God. China has a penis. I suppose that's pretty basic. Will wrestle for beer. And the very clever acronym, not interesting, turn raw on. 
So Nitro, <laughs> not interesting. To, I thought it was pretty good. Yes, Were there yeah. any you noticed that I uh, happened to miss? Uh, the the ever ever classic drunk with an arrow pointing downwards. Oh, there you go. And the other one was I lost my virginity in China. Oh wow, yeah. that's that's pretty good. I'm, I'm I can't believe I missed that one. <laughs> On that note of the drunk sign, I've been seeing a lot lately where it's like drunk since 316. Yeah. There's, yeah. there's a lot of those making the rounds. Yeah. So we begin the show with Michael Cole and Jerry Lawler running down tonight's card. And as you would expect, since they're in his hometown, the fans greet Lawler with loud Jerry chants. And Adam, this is a true story. In the spirit of the holiday, Jerry Lawler's Valentine was actually going to be at the show tonight. But unfortunately, she had school in the morning. Yeah. So you know how that goes. You can't stay up past your curfew. No. And from there, we kick into our first match of the evening, Gold Dust versus Blue Dust. And Adam, this may be one of the only times in WWF history when both men enter to the exact same theme song. <laughs> the only other time I can think of it is Vince versus Shane at WrestleMania X7, because yeah. Shane didn't get Here Comes the Money until one month later yeah. in Backlash. But I can't think of any others. Can you think of any others where they, they both enter to the same song? I, uh, I'm sure it's happened, but nothing springs immediately to mind. Now, I have to say, Blue Dust really seemed to half-ass it with his outfit here. <laughs> so, I mean, really, he has blue paint on only some of his face, and his outfit kind of looks like a giant onesie. And even worse, the onesie almost looks more gray than blue, which completely defeats the purpose. I feel like, I feel like Blue Dust should have gotten the cinemascope in his entrance, too. I right. I feel like it was kind of lacking there. And I, and I do agree with, uh, with Jerry Lawler that uh, Blue Dust's robe, you should have stayed on uh, yes, very much so. But mercifully, the match was kept pretty short. I think only about three minutes. Yeah. And uh, so basically, Goldust <laughs> that was, just... That was my only other note. At least it was short. Yep. Uh, but yeah, basically what happens, Goldust just props Blue Dust up in the corner and runs toward him to hit Shattered Dreams, but Blue Dust booted him in the face. From there, though, Blue Dust actually went for a top rope moonsault, but Goldust moved out of the way. He then picked up Blue Dust for his curtain call finisher, but, well, uh, Blue Dust was a little bit heavy, so I think Goldust only managed to, like, slightly elevate him <laughs> off the ground. However, that was still enough to score the one, the two, and the three. Your winner of the match, Goldust. Yeah, this was and, basically a squash. Oh, yeah, pre yeah pretty much was. But <laughs> Thanks after for the match, your money. Of course, I know. And well, further enforcing that point, once the match is over, Goldust yet again props Blue Dust up in one of the corners. And then, surprisingly, he starts asking the crowd to make some noise if they want to see Blue Dust get his dick kicked. <laughs> and, and to their credit, though, the fans do get really amped for it. So Goldust then does indeed get a running start, and he boots Blue Dust right in his blue balls. Now, I gotta say, it was definitely a bit strange to see Goldust hyping up the crowd when he was quite clearly the heel in the lead-up to this match, but hey, it's the Attitude Era, so who really cares about making sense, I suppose. Hey, but, uh, Adam, hey, yeah. Hey, you want to see me kick him in the balls? Yeah! <laughs> Hell yeah! Teddy Long just yeah, looks so, so confused. Well, that that's pretty par for the course for him. <laughs> So what did you what did you think of our opening match? Uh, not not too much to write home about. Yeah, again, my only other note was at least it was short. Um, yeah, it, this was basically an opening match for a pay per view that was basically a glorified squash. Yeah, kind of strange, right? So thanks for coming, Blue Meanie. Indeed. Hope you don't get punched Probably. in the face by JBL on your way out. <laughs> yeah, that's that's about six years from now. <laughs> but yeah, I think this is one they probably, in all honesty, they probably could just put this match on heat. Yeah. So next up, we had our match for the vacant WWF Hardcore Championship, formerly held by the rehabbing Road Dog. 
Al Snow, accompanied by Head, versus his fellow Job Squad stablemate, Bob Holly. Ah, huh. Snow versus Holly. Instead of Valentine's Day, they should probably have this one on Christmas, right? <laughs> Snow versus Holly. <laughs> <laughs> So I wrote, that's not Hardcore Holly's theme song, and then went, wait, he's not Hardcore Holly yet, is he? No, he's Bob. Bob. Fucking Bob. <laughs> to the point where Michael Cole actually makes, or maybe it was Lawler, makes references to him fixing his race cars. Oh, jeez. Oh, you gotta live the gimmick, I suppose, or the yeah. former gimmick. But yeah, so Adam, in what I can only refer to as a sign of the times, Al Snow exited the ring and hit Bob Holly with an unprotected chair shot to the skull... 22 seconds into the match. <laughs> yeah. Why Why bother wasting time, yeah. right? And from there, both men start brawling through the crowd. And Adam, out of nowhere, Michael Cole says this about Bob Holly. He says, quote, If he wins this title tonight, it'll go a long way to erasing the image of Sparky Plug. And that, that seemed rather unnecessary. Yeah. I mean, like, we haven't even seen that character in two years. Yeah. So Cole drops the Sparky Plug reference, saying, we'll forget about Sparky Plug, and then Lawler makes the comment about him fixing his damaged race cars. Right, exactly. Uh, But because we haven't seen, like, we haven't seen the Sparky Plug character in years, so it'd kind of be like if Cole was like, well, if Al Snow wins this title tonight, it'll go a long way to erasing the image of Avatar. It's like, what? Like, why bring that up? Leaf Cassidy. Uh, Oh, God, yeah. do, Do you remember the Sparky Plug's first name? I do. I believe he was Thurman Thurmond. Sparky Plug. Thurmond Sparky Plug. And then they were just like, Bob Spark Plug Holly, oh, which is, of course, much better. God. But I think because his last name was Plug with two Gs, when he was Sparky Plug, they kept it with two Gs as well, Good I God. think, right? That was, yeah. Thurmond Sparky Plug. That was... Awful. <sighs> and and Michael Cole apparently thinks that he'll go a long way toward, uh, toward killing off that image if he wins tonight. <laughs> In the the red uh, the red singlet with the with the checkered flags on it. Yes, um, this, this is this is where uh, I had that thing about uh, about Raw. Uh, Jerry Lawler is hoarse for some reason, and Cole says you shouldn't have been screaming so much on Raw last night. And I wrote, Cole does know that it aired live in Canada, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, that that actually is a good point because Lawler. I mean, here in his hometown. You would think this is like a big moment for him. But yeah, throughout the night, he is kind of, he's losing his voice yeah. quite a bit throughout the night. He really yeah. is. What a shame. Yeah. And you, you we, can't, we can't uh, hear all his pervy comments because his, his voice is, is going out. Yeah. You, you mentioned the chair shot right away. As crazy as they, as they were and as violent and, uh, I mean, dangerous as they were, I do kind of miss the hardcore division a, l- mm. a little bit. Just because everything is, because, you know, where we're TV PG nowadays, everything is kind of feels a little bit too sterile sometimes. Well, I guess my question would be, do you miss these type of hardcore matches where it's just kind of like brawl around to the back? Or do you miss the 24-7 hardcore? 24-7 was fun as hell. Anytime there's a, oh, yeah. anytime there's a title match in a, a knockoff Chuck E. Cheese, I think it's, it's going right. to be a good time. Getting attacked by a clown. <laughs> The greatest, Spoiler for later on. The greatest thing the Mean Street Posse ever did. There you go. Well, who, who's that? I don't know. I, I'm not familiar with them. They they got to be coming in pretty soon, I think, on our timeline. I hope so. I, I, I guess we'll I enjoyed see. I enjoyed the Mean Street Posse. Oh sure, absolutely. So anyway, after the uh, after a bit of brawling here between uh, Bob Holly and Al Snow, they both start heading backstage, where we get the comedic moment of Al Snow hitting Bob Holly in the head with the handle of a payphone, and he then tells him to reach out and touch someone. <laughs> and 
Fun fact, Adam, you probably remember this. Reach out and touch someone was actually a slogan yes. for AT&T back in the days. These days, of course, that motto has now been taken by the Catholic Church. But, you know. <laughs> now, now, what is a payphone? Not familiar. <laughs> I, st I still see them like there are times that I'm like walking around the city and I will see a payphone. I'm like, huh, I wonder, does anybody actually use you anymore? I was out. I was it's on. I was, I was out on the road today, and I, I drove past this kind of old abandoned. Looked like it used to be like a gas station convenience store, one of those local mom and pop ones from way back in the day. It, all all that was left, you know, the building was there, and kind of the canopy where the or the gas pumps where the gas pumps themselves were gone. But there was still the sign with the Pepsi logo on it that said "Open 24 Hours." And I said, "Not really." But then there, <laughs> there were two fucking stand up payphones. Right there, nice. right there next to the side of the road. I'm like, I bet the. I wonder if there's actually still phones in there. A better question: If you were to use the payphone, could you use one eight hundred call ATT? <laughs> you got to dial ten ten three two one. That's right. Yeah, one of the sponsors of this <laughs> of this show probably. So yes, so, so Al Snow and Bob Holly continue brawling with Al throwing a trash can at him, and then Adam. I don't know if you caught this, but when they're kind of brawling around in the backstage area, you can see referee Tim White putting his finger up to his earpiece. And then because the camera is very close to Tim White at this point, you can clearly hear him say to one of the photographers standing nearby, quote, they don't want them to go outside yet. <laughs> so nice job spoiling that one, Timmy. And then in another interesting moment, Michael Cole talks about Al Show's career ambitions and says, for 13 or 14 years, Al Snow has wanted to get to the big show here in the WWF. And let's well. just say if he wants a shot. Yeah, he, he picked the right show for it. Let's just say that. <laughs> But anyway, despite Tim White telling the world that they didn't want Snow and Holly to go outside yet, they do indeed end up doing just that. And sure enough, after brawling with each other across the street, they end up fighting down by, well, a certain geographic feature which borders Memphis. Al Snow now hammering away on Bob. Holly, total disregard for your body. Guard four title on the line. We mentioned a certain mentality. There, there, yeah, no mentality. Who would be out there fighting? And, oh, look at this. Into the Mississippi River. That water has got to be 35, 40 degrees. And now Al Snow tossed in. Yeah, we're talking about a lot of shrinking. Oh. Drowned rats! Come on, Bob Holly! Make that snow! Sleep with the fish! Well, King, I agree with you. I said a certain mentality. You're right. No mentality at all. The, cr the crowd went fucking bonkers for that. Like, we know where that is! We know where that is! Oh, as well they should. Yay, it's the river! That's right. So yes, yeah. So Al Snow does indeed toss Bob Holly into the Mississippi River, and then Al dives at him, and he goes into the river for good measure. Now, Michael Cole says the temperature has to be around 30 degrees, so I did go ahead and check. The average temperature say. in Memphis, it was actually 38 degrees that day, so he's not far off. So that, but the one thing not I noticed freeze. was like, yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> But I, I had to notice, like, it was around 38 degrees that day. But when they're brawling outside, you can't see their breath when they're walking around. So I guess it must have gotten a little bit warmer, right? Because, I mean, if I'm thinking it's 38 degrees, if I'm, you're going to be able to see your breath at 38 degrees, aren't you? Who knows? In, nah, in know. February at night in Memphis, I'm sure it was not yeah. warm by, any, stand, oh, by no. any stretch of the imagination. Definitely not. Are you, are you going to mention the poor cameraman? Yes, okay. I am going to mention that, actually. Okay. So, so yeah, Al starts walking away from the river, but Bob Holly follows him, and we actually get a pretty cool visual, because when Al's back is turned, Bob Holly grabs a branch from a nearby tree, he swings it at Al Snow's back, fucking branch. and yes, and that results in the branch snapping, 
and flying right into the camera. And the cool thing about that was you could actually hear the crowd go, oh, for that spot. <laughs> Pretty amusing. Was it, was it Cole or Lawler who went? Even our cameramen are hardcore. Yeah, yeah right. It's probably Lawler. Yeah. And then shortly after that, Holly comes across what appears to be a rolled-up chain-link fence, and he tries to unfurl it, but he's unsuccessful at first. And when that happens, you can actually hear him utter the word fuck yes. under his breath. <laughs> Whoops. They actually do censor a, a, an instance of the word fuck later on, but they didn't censor that one, so so way to go. But uh, So Bob Holly remains undeterred because he goes and grabs Al Snow, then kicks him in the stomach, which causes Al to fall on top of the fencing. And from there, Holly rolls Al up inside the chain link, gets on top of him, and then, despite the fact that Al Snow's arm is clearly in the air and his shoulder <laughs> is off the ground, referee Tim White counts to three anyway. Perhaps he was just cold and wanted to go I back think, inside. I think so. But, <laughs> but yes, your your winner and the new WWF Hardcore Champion is Bob Holly. But we can't so. announce that until we walk all the way back across the street and back through the arena and back yep. down the aisle and back into the ring until Tim White can give him the belt. Indeed. Yeah, that that is something they've done with Road Dog too. Like when he retains his title, he's been like running back into the arena. Like that one where he and uh, Al Snow fought in the snow in Worcester. <laughs> Same sort of thing. But uh, fun fact, Adam... This is actually not Bob Holly's first title reign in the WWF. I don't know if you even remember the other two. Any recollection of Bob Holly's other title reigns? He was a he was a tag champion. Ooh, okay. With who? With uh, the one two three kid. That is correct. And do you know how long that lasted? Uh, a week. It actually lasted a day. I was close. So they, they actually, if I recall correctly, they won it at the Royal Rumble, and that, that was when they beat, I think it was like Bam Bam Bigelow and Tatanka, and the after that match, the aftermath of that match was when Bam Bam Bigelow shoved Lawrence Taylor. Remember that? Unfortunately. So that was the only time he held the tag titles. That was for, as, mm. as I said, about 24 hours. And then the other kind of title reign was, do you remember when Bob Holly beat Jeff Jarrett for the Intercontinental title? I don't. So this happened on an episode, uh, April 1995, an, ex- an episode of Action Zone. Now, he pinned bo- he pinned Double J, but Jarrett's foot was actually on the ropes during the pinfall. But he's actually, you do see Bob Hawley, like, holding up the Intercontinental title and, like, going to the back with it. So basically, as a result of that, what they did was they just had a rematch a week later that, of course, Jeff Jarrett won. But technically in the record books, so Bob Hawley does not have an Intercontinental title reign, but because of that little discrepancy... Technically, Jeff Jarrett has two intercontinental <laughs> title reigns from that very same thing. So not, I guess not quite an intercontinental title reign for Bob Holly, but close. It was close. <laughs> so, yeah. But what did you think of our, our hardcore title match with the infamous moment of going into the Mississippi River? Again, like I said, I, I enjoyed the craziness of the, of the hardcore title matches back in the day. <laughs> I enjoy that they just leave Al Snow wrapped up in fence. I know. I want to know whose idea was it to be like, we're going to wrestle in the Mississippi River, and we're not, we're not, for some reason, we're not going to finish in the river. We're going to wrap Al Snow up in chain link fence. Well, how do you pin, what? how do you pin someone in a river without them drowning? Well, you, you got to drown them for at least three <laughs> seconds. <laughs> I think that would have been that's a perfectly that's, reasonable That's spot. a real last man standing match. There you go. I think you could handle being underwater for three seconds. No big deal. No big deal. But uh, instead, it, it was just so random. It's like we're wrestling down by the river. And, oh, look, there's this rolled up chain link fence, and I'm going to roll Al Snow up in it and get the pin. So really, really bizarre. I don't know. 
I, I have no idea, but it was a, a pretty fun match for the most part. Nothing yeah, too special, no, but obviously the the Mississippi River moment is the one that everybody remembers, but the match itself was just kind of like, eh, you know. I enjoyed, I enjoyed Our, it. It's, it's a garbage brawl. Of course. So after that match concludes, we cut to footage from earlier today where The Undertaker is addressing the other members of the Ministry of Darkness as they stand around some sort of flaming pillar. Basically, picture nine homeless guys <laughs> setting a barrel fire for warmth, and you kind of get the idea. So actually, I'll even play what The Undertaker has to say here because he has some pretty ominous words for us. Nine individual souls combined to make one ministry. Let it be known that on February 14th, St. Valentine's Day Massacre, that the massacre they witness here tonight will be nothing like the massacre that the ministry unleashes from here on. Brother Midian, tonight you step into the ring with the boss man. You will take his soul. You will weaken his body. Tonight, the power from beyond has spoken to me. Our fate and our purpose in life begins tonight. And so that actually segues us into our next match, Ministry of Darkness member Midian versus Corporation member The Big Boss Man. Now, my first question would be, who exactly are we supposed to root for here? The enforcer for the evil owner or the <laughs> member of the quasi-satanic cult? Yeah, but, but Quite... you for, Midian accompanied by an eye. Right, yes. And you guys, I think yes, that's a real is... eye. Yeah, as Jerry Lawler points out. It did it, it, it did make me laugh when he put it on the commentator table and went, keep an eye on this for me. That made me laugh. Yeah. Yeah. And I think Jerry Lawler at one point is like, I think it winked at me. <laughs> Which would be quite the feat because there are no eyelashes. There's no, eyelids, there's no, no. eyelids, rather. So, yeah, be, that would be quite the feat. So because this match had the heel versus heel dynamic, it was pretty heatless for the most part, except for a few stray chants of boss man sucks early on. <laughs> Unfortunately, though, after about four minutes of the match, those chants quickly changed to boring. Yeah. And as much as I hate when the fans do that, they actually were pretty accurate yeah. on this occasion. It was, uh, it was um, warranted here. It was. The boss man pretty much controlled the majority of the match, and the finish came when he bounced Midian off the ropes and then out of nowhere just hit him with the boss man slam. He made the cover. Referee Jimmy Corderas made the count, and that was enough to score the one, the two, and the three after six minutes and 19 seconds, although it certainly felt longer than that. <laughs> they really, Your they, winner of the match. They should have switched the times between this match and the first match. Yeah, um, right, exactly. But yes, your winner of the match is the big boss man. And once again, your new heel stable, the Ministry of Darkness, continues to look like a bunch of shitbag jobbers. <laughs> but, uh, uh, but speaking of not, that, though... Not, what, not until a moment later. Right. Cole, during this match, spits out, Midian, formerly known as Dennis Knight, let's just not talk about Phineas Godwin at all. Um, right. Bossman hits uh, hits him with a stinger splash in the corner, and Midian fucking spits, and it was gross. Yeah. And well, do you remember when he was Phineas Godwin, he would spit up into the air and catch it in his mouth, the, um, or sometimes catch it in his hands and then run it through his hair? <laughs> yeah, I said this match was okay. I guess Midian was never a great in ring performer. Bossman was. I, I I did enjoy Bossman during this period, though. Yeah, he's actually still being booked very strong at this point. Like, slim, if, again, slim if we and trim back, boss, 
Right. Well, if we flash back to Saturday Night Raw, he was the last guy in the gauntlet match, and he's the one who beat the shit out of Austin, which allowed Vince to get the pinfall. So, yeah, Bossman is still being booked very strong. Why he was booked against Midian, I don't know, because really, like, there is, as of right now, there is no reason for Bossman to face Midian, because there is, at this point, no corporation ministry feud Mm -hmm. to speak of. Although, after the match, we do get a little bit of that, because... Uh, basically, as soon as the match ends, the Brood, the Acolytes, and Viscera, now with his pants pulled up, <laughs> come down to ringside, and they surround the boss man, who grabs his nightstick for protection, and then the lights go out, and sure enough, the Undertaker and Paul Bearer walked out from backstage and stood in the aisleway. And meanwhile, as they were doing that, the Ministry ganged up on the boss man and started beating the crap out of him, culminating with Viscera hitting him with not one, not two, but three splashes. He must be trying to kill him. <laughs> From there, the ministry then picked up the boss man and carried him out of the arena. So apparently no one in the corporation gives two <laughs> shits about the boss man, I guess. Uh, did, you, did you have any recollection of this, Adam? Because I do not remember the corporation kidnapping the boss man. Uh, well, it was the ministry. But I, I got, ex- oh, yeah, I got sorry, excited yeah. here because I, I went and looked it up. This is the start of the build to the boss man getting hanged at WrestleMania. Yeah, I kind of figured that. <laughs> Spoiler alert! But another another thing that made me laugh during this match is that you know they 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 pick pick Bossman up and they carry him down the aisle and out of the arena and then the cameraman for whatever reason just decides to zoom in on the gargoyle on the set before yes, it goes right. before it goes to the WrestleMania 15 commercial and it just made yeah that's a very it just made me it laugh like a, it looks like a plastic oh, gargoyle too. it just looks very it cheap. just made me laugh just this little gargoyle stuck on the end of that metal uh, that metal staging. Indeed. And, and well, so getting back to the match, you said Midian versus Bossman was okay. I think you're being very generous in that <laughs> assessment. Uh, this was a pretty bad match. I, I think if I had to make a guess, I haven't looked this up, but I have to assume this is probably Midian's only singles match in pay-per-view history. I would have to guess. Or, or maybe he has one. Maybe does he have one against Regal at any point when he becomes, you know, when, when he takes on the Make other it. wonderful gimmick he had? Make yes. I think he might have that one. But other than that, Mercifully, we're not getting very many I, Midian singles. I matches. can't wait till that shows up in your timeline. I'm not. I can't. I'm not gonna lie. I can wait. <laughs> so yes, we then cut backstage where Kevin Kelly is with Mark Henry, D'Lo Brown, and Ivory. Now, as a reminder, Ivory, 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 as a reminder, <laughs> yes. So as a reminder, Ovary got into an <laughs> altercation with Deborah earlier on Sunday Night Heat, and she has vowed to tear off Deborah's clothes if she gets involved tonight, so that provides a fitting segue into our next or, match, and it is... Or as D'Lo put it, if you interfere in every way... In every way. <laughs> that's what he said. Yeah, that's true. Only if she interferes in every, every way, way will Ivory teach her a lesson. So yes, it is, of course, for the WWF Tag Team titles. Our champions are Jeff Jarrett and Owen Hart, who are, of course, accompanied by Deborah, and they are taking on Mark Henry and D'Lo Brown, who are, of course, accompanied by Ovary. <laughs> I'm sticking with it. I'm sticking with it because I fucked Absolutely. it up. Absolutely. Apparently, uh, so apparently, D'Lo is the first victim of of the missing of missing name syndrome, as the the nameplate here when they come out just says Mark Henry and D'Lo. Oh, he's not. So he has. He, he's not brown he anymore. Is, whoa! Hey! Whoa! I'm sorry. What? What? Huh? He's just, well. You could just go by D'Lo, I suppose. So he he was the first victim of the uh, of Alexander Rusev, basically. Yeah. Or no, I guess it's the other way around because he lost his last name instead of his first. Biggie name. Langston. Antonio there you Cesaro. Go, well, I guess Big E would be the good comparison because Big E lost his last name, go. just like Dilo did. Go. So now my first thought here is that three out of four participants in this match Adrian were members. Sorry. Oh, there you go. Uh, whatever happened to him, I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, so three out of the four participants in this match 
we're members of the Nation of Domination. So <laughs> too bad Jarrett never got an invitation. Yeah. But before the yeah, match begins, too bad. Yeah, that would have made it so much better. But before the match begins, ever the romantic, Mark Henry presents some roses and a box of chocolates to Ivory, so I guess we can say that he has finally gotten over Sammy. Now, Sexual Chocolate, by the way, is sporting a leg brace in this match, and this is the first time I've seen him do that. Not sure what happened to him there, but maybe Ivory is wearing him out already. (laughs) And early on in the match, Deborah tried to make her presence felt by blowing Mark Henry (laughs) some kisses, but he didn't seem to be interested. And moments later, Jarrett did one of his moves that I think really looks stupid, and you can tell me if you agree. So Jarrett grabbed D'Lo by the wrist and shoulder, and he jumps down to the canvas. So essentially, it's supposed to be like a jumping arm bar or an arm breaker. But it basically looks like Jarrett is grabbing D'Lo's arm and giving himself a rock bottom. <laughs> so, like, he, do- he does this move a lot in his matches, and yeah. it always annoys I've me. Heard so it called it's a, one of those, I've um, heard it called a single arm DDT. Um, there you go. Yeah, it's, a kind, of a, it's actually, kind of a shoulder breaker kind of maneuver. On that note, it's it's like um, tying in Big E once again. Since this is we were just talking about him, it's a move where it looks like it hurts the guy delivering it more than the guy who takes <laughs> it, which kind of reminds me of like Big E's big ending, where he's just kind of like, "I'm going to drop you on top of me." <laughs> so, I can only suspend my disbelief so much here, folks. That's all I'm saying. But anyway, so D'Lo ends up playing the face in peril for the majority of the match until he finally manages to tag Mark Henry, <clears throat> who then starts cleaning house on Owen Hart and Jeff Jarrett, or if you're Michael Cole. Owen Hart and Jeff Hart. <laughs> just, just what we need, another Hart family member. So Sexual Chocolate goes on offense for a bit until Owen and Jeff move out of his way, and he crashed chest first into the turnbuckle. From there, D'Lo goes back on the offensive, and then, when he climbs to the top rope, sure enough, Deborah attempts to distract him. And then, of course, Ivory comes over to confront Deborah. However, instead of tearing off her clothes, D'Lo gets between the two women and attempts to keep them apart. And meanwhile, Owen Hart sneaks back into the ring behind Mike Kyoto's back, where he then swings Jarrett's guitar into Mark Henry's injured yeah. knee. It was nice. It was nice of Mark to to note which which knee was the bad one by wearing the red knee pad on on that right, leg. That's exactly <laughs> very helpful. And of course, from there, Jarrett then puts the figure four on sexual chocolate. And when Kyoto turns back around, he sees Mark Henry tapping. And uh, apparently he's willing to overlook the fact that there are broken pieces of guitar <laughs> all over the ring. I didn't see but it. Yes, it didn't winners. happen. Exactly. It could be a coincidence. Uh, but yes, your winners and still the WWF Tag Team Champions, Jeff Jarrett and Owen Hart. And after the match, Jarrett and Owen celebrate in the ring with Deborah. But then, true to her word, Ivory does indeed attempt to tear off Deborah's clothes. However, she only manages to rip the back part of Deborah's suit coat, and I'm sure the fans would have preferred the front, but no such luck. And then Jarrett and Owen managed to cover up their valet with their tag belts, which I thought was actually a nice <laughs> touch. But so Adam, what did you think of our, our tag team title match here? Back to going back to the beginning of the match when, when Mark Henry gives Ivory uh, ovary the, the chocolates and the flowers. Uh, Michael Cole says, Mark Henry is childlike when it comes to women. About the man whose nickname is Sexual Chocolate. Right. I have a note. I don't remember what the what the quote was, but I have a note here that says Lawler thinks Deborah is chewy. Hmm. I have to go back and figure out what that's about. Um, Chewbacca. <laughs> I don't think that was what it was. I never quite understood this version of of Owen's gear. I never understood the giant caution sign Owen Hart outfit. Yeah. Jerry Lawler drops a wrestling with shadows reference. If you caught that, I, I noticed that. Yes, I did. I don't know why, and then, but that, that and, it's like two months old. And one. then the red knee pad. Um, yeah, as I've said, every time I've been on the show, it's always great to, to see an Owen Hart match. 
yeah, I was fine. I was fine with it. Again, uh, ripping off the wrong part of the jacket at the end, but you know, you do what you, you know, do. Yeah, you take what you can get. And it, of course, Ivory didn't, you know, rip all her clothes off. She didn't interfere in every way. Right, exactly. That was clear, as clearly stipulated. Um, like, yeah, this match was okay, in my opinion. It was nothing special. To be honest, like the first, the first probably hour and a half of this show. <laughs> is, in my opinion, pretty bad. But the latter half kind of starts to save it yeah, a little bit. Yeah. We'll, we'll get to that in just a little bit. But yeah, for the most part, like every, all these matches so far, you can completely skip and, and really not have to worry about anything. And e- again, even as we talked about, the, the little titillating TNA segment afterwards turns out to be a bust as well because only the back of, of Deborah's coat gets ripped. So so just a just a bust all around. No, no pun intended. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so after that, we then cut backstage where Kevin Kelly is with your WWF champion, Mankind. Basically, this just kind of serves as a reminder of what happened on Sunday Night Heat when The Rock jumped Mankind and tried to injure his knee, potentially weakening him for their last man standing match. But Mankind vows to not let it deter him from retaining his title later on. We shall see. But why was there a pallet on the stairs? That is also a valid question. <laughs> or a pallet on the forklift, for that matter. So from there we said you didn't, you didn't make you didn't make note of the thing that I told you about that match. Which one? If you go if you go back in I don't remember which of Foley's books it is, but there's a, one of Foley's books. He talks about the the halftime heat empty arena match, and how he did not know they did the forklift cam until he actually watched halftime heat, oh. and he was not a fan of it. Oh. Was not was not a fan of it. Oh, that's brutal. Well, I wouldn't be a fan of it either if I were him because it made the ending of the match look completely fucking stupid. Yeah. I should have gone. I should have tried to find it. I just, but uh, so I don't, again, I don't. I don't remember which which of the which of the books it's in. So basically, after they filmed the whole segment, like they just pulled the rock aside by himself, and they're like, "Listen, here's what we're gonna yeah. do. You're gonna stare up lay, at the camera, lay down on the floor." <laughs> oh God! Wow, that is make, terrible. Make goofy faces. Yeah, and of course, once again, that's that wasn't a that wasn't the hardcore title changing hands. That was the fucking WWF title changing hands <laughs> thanks to a, a forklift. Forklift. Ugh. So anyway, from there we segue into our next match, and it is four. Oh, oh, oh. you you missed a very important. If you send your cable bill in, you can get a free photo <laughs> magnet. I did forget about that. Yeah, <laughs> and honestly, I probably did do that back in the day. Sometimes they had it was like every month they would have one of those giveaways where it's like you send in I, your cable bill and you get blah blah blah. I remember wanting to. My dad would never make me the copy of the cable bill to send it. Oh, you could have gotten a pretty cool WWF dog tag. Yeah. Okay. So, so the next match is the is the the intercontinental title match. Exactly. Let let me make sure that that I have this straight. So, mm-hmm. Billy is Billy is mad at Ken Shamrock because he was supposed to get a title shot and didn't. And oh, he oh he did he, oh. he just lost. Okay. Uh, okay. And Billy is mad at Val Venus because Ken Shamrock hit Val with a chair uh, or hit Billy with a chair and Billy thought it was Val for some reason. Pretty much. Because he's a moron. Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. And then Ken Shamrock is mad at Val Venus because he's banging his sister. Shaving Ryan's privates. Moving on. That's right. So, yeah. Well, there you go. That, that's a perfect. That's uh, pretty much a good explanation right Starring there. Starring Ken Shamrock's sister. Yeah, literally. Ken <laughs> Shamrock's sister. So, yes, your champion is Ken Shamrock. He's taking on Val Venus. And, again, Billy Gunn is your special guest referee. Now, in Val's pre-match promo, he once again gets a bit clever <laughs> With the wordplay, but then randomly Jerry Lawler just spells it out for us and blurts out the punchline <laughs> as soon as Val finishes. I'm gonna I'm gonna play it for you. It's very subtle, but see if you'll notice it. Hello, ladies. 
Doomsday. <laughs> well, let me make one thing very clear right here, right now, ladies. The Big Balboski has a heart on for you. Heart on. It's not every day you get to hear the king just blurt out the word hard on. So I guess that's something. <laughs> But anyway, so once the match gets vote, underway, Val goes... Vote for Lawler for, for mayor. <laughs> yeah, well, hey, 12%. Yeah, pretty close, pretty close. Yeah, so Val goes for an early pinfall on Shamrock, and Billy Gunn responds to that by slowly going down to the canvas and making an even slower yeah. count, and then pretending like he hurt his shoulder while he was hitting the mat. So clearly, even though Val is the babyface in the match, Mr. Ass isn't playing favorites. <laughs> One of my notes literally just says, Billy Gunn is a shitty referee. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> And unfortunately, once again, this was another match the crowd was pretty dead for, even with the added intrigue of having Billy Gunn as the guest referee. <laughs> intrigue. Interesting word choice. <laughs> right, yeah, well, alleged intrigue. Now, one aspect of the match that was a bit bizarre was the fact that it was actually Val who was on offense against Shamrock for the fair majority of it. I mean, as wrestling fans were kind of accustomed to having the heel work over the face, eventually leading to the babyface comeback, but in this case, it was kind of the opposite. That may have also been a reason for the crowd being pretty silent, but, I mean, well, in addition to the fact that it was a mediocre match, but whatever. But then, when Shamrock finally mounted a comeback and hit Val with a DDT, Billy got down on the canvas and counted the one, the two, but not the three, because Mr. Ass just flat out refused to make the three count, even though Val was clearly not kicking out. So at this point, since he isn't counting for either guy... It appears that Billy Gunn's goal was to make this the world's first ever never-ending match. <laughs> very, very ambitious. I also, so like the, I also like the logic there where he hits him with the DDT and Val is out for a count of eight. And then there's like Im immediately after there's a roll up and Val kicks out like right at two. Right, right. Good, good recovery time. Yeah. So eventually Shamrock does manage to put the ankle lock on Val, and he tries crawling over to the ropes to break it. Now, initially it looks like Val is going to come up a bit short, but then Ryan Shamrock grabs Val's hand and pulls him to the ropes. And irate Ken Shamrock then sees this and goes to confront his sister, which leads to one of the more obvious, <laughs> the more obvious business-exposing spots of all time. Everybody talks and of course, too much. Right, yeah. Yeah, Matthew definitely has covered this one, I'm sure. So, of course, I'm going to play it for you here. So listen carefully and see if you can hear what we're talking about. Ryan Shamrock grabbing the hand now with Val Venus, and she helps Val! Oh, Ryan Shamrock oh, helped Val, and Shamrock's What the hell are you doing? Blood sticking in water! What are you doing? Ryan Shamrock just backstabbed Ken Shamrock! And she slapped her older brother. Yeah, I, I directly quoted it in my notes. What are you doing? Slap me. Yes, exactly. <laughs> well, not to mention the fact that Shamrock also blurts out, What the fuck? <laughs> and, they to, and they do censor that on the network. Yeah. But yes, if, as you heard there, so Shamrock rolls outside the ring to confront his sister, yelling at her that blood is thicker than water, and then right in front of the camera, you can clearly hear Ken say to Ryan, Slap me. And she does, so surprisingly she does. enough. Uh, wow, who would have thought? <laughs> thunk it? My, my question is, like, why did he even have to say that to her? Like, wouldn't that have been kind of worked out ahead of time? Like, <laughs> did did Ryan Shamrock just draw a blank? Like, what am I uh, supposed to do? Like, she's like, she, she definitely looks like a porn star. I have one spot in the match, but I can't remember what it yeah, is. Yeah. What do I have to do? Slap me. Oh, okay, got it, got it. 
So yes, I, I assume uh, you obviously noticed that one as well. I assume pretty much it's, everybody it's, watching it's, that night did too. It's famous at this point. Oh, it should be. Uh, I just didn't realize it was this match. There was a spot earlier where I wrote down this quote from Billy Gunn, and I don't remember what the, what he was referring to at this point, but Billy goes, I got stripes and I ain't red or yellow either. Right, yes. <laughs> he, I think that was him just completely fucking up. I don't remember the context there, but uh, but yeah. Yeah, well, that was when I think it was I was Shamrock getting in his face, Maybe. and Billy Gunn was trying yeah. to say like I got stripes, but like they, they're yellow. not yellow yeah. stripes. Yeah, I'm not scared, but instead he's like I got stripes and they aren't red. It's like or, or, or yellow. yellow. <laughs> yeah, I'm not ketchup so, or mustard, Ken. <laughs> I got stripes, and they're not cans of red stripe <laughs> or fruit stripe gum. Ooh, I like fruit stripe. Yeah. So, and then after after the match, oh well, well you're jumping ahead I, okay. because I have to yeah, okay. I have to get Sorry, into that. So. Shortly after the slap, so basically once that happens, Billy Gunn exits the ring and gets between Ken Shamrock and Ryan Shamrock. And you know what? I'm just going to play what happens from there because it's pretty important stuff. Okay, baby, nothing. Can't believe she slapped the brother. Uh-oh. And now he shoves the ref. Fasten your seatbelts. Here we go. What? Shamrock into the ring. Valvinas rolls him over. So Mr. Ass attempts to get between the Shamrock siblings, but Kenny shoves him. So Billy Gunn punches Shamrock in the face, then rolls him into the ring where Val snares him in a small package. And Billy Gunn, of course, then makes a ridiculously fast three count, meaning that your winner and the new WWF Intercontinental Champion is Val Venus at a far too long 15 minutes and 53 seconds. Now, this marks Val's first title of any kind in the WWF, about nine months into his tenure with the company. Meanwhile, Ken Shamrock's stint with the belt has finally come to an end after a reign of a little more than four months, which is actually pretty substantial for a company where Vince Russo is booking. And then after the match, Ken Shamrock... Well, it's hard to lose your title when every match ends in a disqualification. Right, that's a good point, actually. And after the match, Ken Shamrock briefly attacks Billy Gunn in the aisle, throwing him into the barricade, but then Shamrock pretty much just gives up on that and heads backstage (laughs) for some reason. So meanwhile, Mr. Aston returns to the ring where Val Venus is holding up his newly won title, and Billy then attacks Val with several punches and a flying clothesline, followed by crotch chopping over his lifeless body. What a great start to a title <laughs> reign, huh? Really, really making Val look strong. Oh, yeah. So, Adam, what did you think of uh, of this match and the subsequent post match yeah. shenanigans? He didn't. He didn't really actually win the belt, and then he got the shit kicked out of him. 
Um, right, yeah. yeah the, cheap, oh, you got a cheap win. Yeah, the, they could have cut a whole bunch of time from this, and it would not have made a fucking difference. No, my point was, after the match, Cole, on commentary, just hammering and hammering and hammering on, can you believe that Ryan Shamrock backstabbed her brother? Yeah. Yes. I can. <laughs> that's been the entire story for the past month. Can you believe that's the angle? <laughs> Stupid. Billy Gunn, terrible referee. And, uh... Yeah, we co- you co- you covered all the other points that needed to be covered. What are you doing? Slap me. Well, that is the most memorable thing about this match. Yeah, definitely. Clearly. 100%. I mean, let's let's be honest. That was the most memorable part. And actually, I'm surprised because they do go back and they edit out when Ken Shamrock says, what the fuck? I thought for sure when that when that happened, I was like, oh, they're probably going to edit out the slap me part too. <laughs> but uh, no, they left that in. So go figure. But yeah, this was uh, way too long. As I said, it was about 16 minutes long. And I think half of that would have been would have been more than enough, quite frankly, which is surprising because obviously Shamrock and, and Val Venus are two really, really solid hands. And again, as I said, there should be that added intrigue of Billy Gunn being the ref. But no, this was just way too long and really, really tedious. So yeah, definitely don't watch the match, but maybe go ahead and Google Ryan Shamrock slap me <laughs> and yeah, and you'll find, see what you find need to out. Say. Find out which Botchamania that's on and then kind of go from there. Yeah. Yeah, that had, to be, that had to be one of the early Botchamanias, Everybody talks too much. <laughs> but again, Val Venus, your new Intercontinental Champion. So that's something, because, I mean, Ken Shamrock, he had a good reign. He had a really good-sized reign there, uh, especially relative to the other belts in the company that are changing hands all the time. So congrats to Val Venus for his, his first title in the company. And after that match ends, we get a commercial for what may be the worst T-shirt ever created <laughs> by the WWF. So the shirt features a picture of Mr. Socko and says, quote, It's not just a sock, it's an adventure. <laughs> and yes, this genius piece of marketing can be yours for just $25 plus $6 shipping and handling. And mind you, that's a total of $31 in 1999 money, yeah. which when adjusted for inflation, that is $47 in 2018. <laughs> So a shirt with a sock on it, folks. And it's not it's not the worst uh, the worst shirt that they've ever made. There's a podcast that I listen to called uh, Ring General Radio, mm-hmm. um, and every uh, every week they do a three count countdown where they pick three their top three in a specific category. And a couple of weeks ago, I think two or three weeks ago, it was uh, worst wrestling T-shirts. Was was the APA one number one? I, that one was definitely on the list. That's also the first one that I thought of when they when they announced the category. The APA always pounding ass, <laughs> always pounding. But ass. talking about Val Venus, there was a there was a Val Venus shirt on yep. uh, on that list. I don't remember what the shirt said, but the the graphic design was made to look like it was spelled out in cum. In semen, yes, I believe it said. I am cocked, locked, that's, and ready to unload. That's one. The, another one that was on there was the uh, Vachina shirt. Right. Yes. Um, I don't remember the other ones. Uh, any other ones other than the, the APA one. But yeah, that was. Uh, you just reminded me of that talking about Val Venus and then the worst T-shirt ever made. Well, we'll add Mr. Socko to the top five then. Yeah. There was. It's a, not just a sock; it's an adventure. Because yeah, they they also included uh, a WCW as well. Apparently, there was a Buff Bagwell shirt that was particularly terrible. But oh god. Well, what about the Sin Cara shirt with his yep, dick? Yep, that on was it? on. That made the list too. Yeah, the, the Sin Cara bulge T-shirt. Perfect. So yes, also on the note of Mr. Sacco, they did sell authentic Mr. Sacco's at some point too, didn't they? Authentic, yeah. Right. Well, basically just socks. Yeah. Certainly, and I'm pretty sure they sold them for like ten bucks per. Certainly sock. not ones that were actually hand markered by Mick Foley, but <laughs> of course not. 
So anyway, from there, we head back into the arena for our next match, DX members Triple mm-hmm. H and WWF European Champion X-Pac versus Corporation members Kane and Vachina, <laughs> as you just said. <laughs> so Triple H tonight, by the way, has braided a portion of his hair, which is a fashion choice I would not have expected from him. <laughs> also, hey, he's wearing... He's, he's, wearing, um, he's buying yeah. a lot of things. Oh, <laughs> Well, yeah. <laughs> And did you notice that he's wearing red and black tights for a change, which kind of makes it look like he and Kane should be teaming up? I actually up? have that in my notes. When, when they when they finally got in the ring with each other, I wrote, why would Kane and Hunter fight? They're obviously on the same team. <laughs> Seriously, it, it really does look like that, like they coordinated. And before the match begins, Hunter grabs a mic and says to China, quote, come on out here and get your ass kicked, you big jacked up bitch. And of course, this gets a huge pop from the crowd because, you know, when a man threatens his ex-girlfriend with physical violence, it's something to which we can all relate, apparently. Hey, it's Memphis. <laughs> well, yeah. So Kane comes out to his usual theme song, but then, in a moment I thought was pretty funny, China enters to no chance in hell. I was certainly... <laughs> I was not expecting that, but I guess it does make sense, and she doesn't have her own theme yet. She, she was not yet asking us not to treat her like a woman. Right. Or a man. So, Or a man. Or like we know her. Treat her for just who she is. <laughs> That's the way it is. Who or what she is. Oh, jeez. So then we also got some genius Michael Cole commentary here when China is walking to the ring. Adam, I don't know if you noticed this. I'm going to give you the exact quote. See if you can tell me what's wrong with it, okay? <laughs> this is the exact quote from Michael Cole. For the first time in the history of the WWF, a woman will be involved in a match with men. A lot of firsts for the ninth wonder of the world. She was also the first woman to participate in the Royal Rumble match. So, yes, you heard that right. Cole stated something as a fact, and then literally contradicted himself <laughs> two seconds later. So this is so tonight is the first night China has competed in a match with men, and she was also in the Royal Rumble match. So so there were no there were no men in the Royal Rumble, apparently. Okay. That's why he's the voice of the WWE for more than twenty years, folks. <laughs> but just for the record, in case you want to defend Cole and say that it's the first time a woman has fought in a non- Battle Royal match against men, that of course would also be incorrect because China's debut match last May was in an eight-man tag where she was mixing it up with the Legion of Doom and the DOA, and of course, she also faced Patterson and Briscoe in a handicap match on Raw only four weeks ago, so I know this may come as a shock, but yes, Michael Cole is completely full of shit. Oh, God, just your description of that match just gave me the willies. Which one? The Patterson and Briscoe match. Oh, where they're grabbing her breasts, you mean? Yeah. And now she's on the same side as them, so go figure. <laughs> I guess all is forgiven. She just wanted to be appreciated. Yes. Well, they certainly appreciated her for some reason. Yeah. Maybe not the right reason. Uh-huh. So, anyway, when the match begins, Triple H removes his DX jersey to reveal a China Syndrome t-shirt underneath, which he then rips up as though he were Hulk Hogan, and he proceeds to wipe his ass with it and throw it in China's face quite classy. Oh, yeah. And then shortly after that happens, none other than Shane McMahon heads to ringside, still wearing his blue gorilla monsoon sunglasses. And he joins Cole and Lawler. Oh yeah. On commentary. Oh yeah. He, right. Like he's the Kool-Aid man. <laughs> it's my Shane McMahon on commentary in person. That's a, that is about right. Actually. <laughs> so in the early por- portion of the match, Kane works over X-Pac and then yes, he does indeed tag in China. She hits Pac with a forearm, then a shoulder block, but when she charges at X-Pac in the corner, he throws her face-first into the turnbuckle, knocking her to the ground and putting her in perfect position for the Bronco Buster, but she rolls out of the ring before X-Pac can hit her with the move. From there, Kane tags himself back into the match, but we did indeed get a brief bit of offense from the ninth wonder of the world. 
So Kane then starts working over Triple H for a bit and weakening him, which causes China to ask for the tag. And yes, we finally get it. Triple H and China facing off in the middle of the ring. And China does indeed hold her own for a little bit, hitting Hunter with a forearm and slamming him to the mat. However, Triple H quickly regained the momentum and tagged in X-Pac, so of course then China also tagged out. They're keeping her ring time very minimal here and keeping hmm. her offense pretty basic. Yeah, which no. is honestly, honestly, that's kind of the right idea because yeah. the offense she is getting is kind of sloppy. Hmm. So, so shortly after that, Kane and X-Pac were brawling on the floor, and X-Pac was backed against one of the ring posts, and when Kane went to clothesline him, Pac moved out of the way, and then... Neville? Ne- no, Neville. X-Pac, sorry, X-Pac. Is Neville similar to X-Pac? His, his name outside of WWE is Pac, P-A-C. Anyway. Oh my god, really? Yeah. Why god, why? I don't know, but it's, anyway. <laughs> so anyway, X-Pac <laughs> moved out of the way, and then he runs over to the commentary table and punches Shane <laughs> in the face. <laughs> And I don't know if you noticed this too, Adam, but this caused Michael Cole to say not once but twice, he just cleared Shane's clock. <laughs> cleared his clock like it was digital and he reset it so it's yeah. like blinking 12. I mean, it's, it's, it's 99. Nobody has analog clocks anymore. <laughs> true. Yeah, it's true. But, I mean, obviously this is a banner night on commentary for Cole. <laughs> so eventually X-Pac makes the hot tag to Triple H, who then comes into the ring and clears house on China, <laughs> including including one spot where Hunter punches her in the face so hard that she flies backwards, which I dare say probably would not fly in today's WWE. However, Kane manages to pull Triple H out of the ring, and both of them start brawling up the aisle. And for some reason, referee Tim White also follows both (laughs) men up the aisle, so he's completely ignoring what's going on in the ring. At this point, I think even Billy Gunn may be a better referee. (laughs) He's got got stripes and they ain't red. Now, meanwhile, China is now lying down in one of the corners, which, of course, provides the perfect setup for X-Pac to hit her with the Bronco Buster. Yes, that's right. Sean Waltman shoved his genitalia into China's face a whole five years before their sex tape. However, once he does that, Shane McMahon nails X-Pac from behind with a clothesline. Unfortunately for Shane, X-Pac pretty much just no-sells it. (laughs) So Shane runs all the way up the aisle and to the backstage area with X-Pac in hot pursuit. Now, back in the ring, Triple H sets China up for a pedigree, but Kane grabs him before he can hit it, and then he nails Hunter with a choke slam. Kane then puts China on top of Triple H, and I don't know where the fuck Tim White was at this point, <laughs> but it took him a good 10 seconds to return from whatever he was doing off camera in the aisleway. Eventually, though, he does return to the ring, and he counts the one, the two, and the three. Your winners, the team of Kane and China. And yes, you heard that correctly. China has now scored a pinfall over Triple H. Yeah. So, Adam, what did you think? What did you think of this one? <laughs> there was a point in the match where Hunter and X-Pac were double-teaming Kane. And Tim White, I think, legitimately could have counted to, like, 45. <laughs> uh, but he didn't. Um, and then, yeah, my other note was, China is a strong, independent woman. Which is why it took two men to help her beat Triple H. Which is also why she's joined a corporation of, like, ten guys. Because <laughs> uh, she's, she's independent. Yeah, so like you said, it was not uh, not a great showing by China in the first time she's ever fought with men. But, like you said, they kept her they kept her in-ring time kind of fairly short. So, it, I mean, I'm not going to say it wasn't too noticeable. It was uh, fairly noticeable, but it wasn't so blatant. It wasn't, you know, all out there. I mean, the match itself is what it is. It wasn't great. Shane McMahon got his clock cleared. And uh, there's not much else that you can really say about it. 
Yeah, I thought I, – I actually, despite obviously China's uh, not-so-strong offense or sloppy offense a little bit, I did enjoy the match. I thought it was actually pretty fun. Uh, of course, you know, it's a little bit overbooked bringing in Shane, mm-hmm. bringing in – I was surprised because you know, I, I, I don't remember I don't remember this this pay-per-view. I, I was surprised that, that China actually won the match. I was surprised about that too, actually, because I, I didn't remember this match taking place at all. But, yeah, so that's actually – you know, she just turned heel a month ago, so yeah, her first her first real match since then. I guess they wanted to make her look strong, yeah. and yeah, having her go over Triple H is certainly a good way to do it. But I, I enjoyed the match. Again, it's not it wasn't great, but I'd put it you know <clears throat> two and a, the two and a half three star range somewhere somewhere around yeah. there, which is certainly at this point probably the best match of. The I was going to say certainly certainly a decent match compared to the rest of the show so far. Exactly, but I will say this is the point of the show where it starts getting. Much better. I again, I like this match, and the final two matches I both liked quite a bit. So yes, this is this is the part of the show where it starts to all turn around. Yeah. So yeah. on that note, it is now time for the last man standing match for the WWF Championship: Champion Mankind versus Challenger The Rock. And since this is technically the first ever last man standing match in the WWF, I'll give you a quick synopsis of the rules. There are no pinfalls, no submissions, no countouts, no disqualifications. The only way to win is to beat your opponent so badly he can't get to his feet mm-hmm. before the referee counts to ten. And early on in the match, on multiple occasions, Mankind turned his back on The Rock <laughs> and put his hands together behind his back, similar to the way that uh, Rock handcuffed him yeah. at the Royal Rumble. So yeah, nice clearly touch. Mankind's making a, yeah, making a nice statement there. Yeah. I'm not sure what that statement is, but it's, uh, it's something. Yeah. Now before, before we go any further, I do have a favor to ask of you here just for for something mm. for reference a little bit down the line here i need you to go uh, uh onto the network and grab the clip of the when when michael cole and jerry lawler are introducing the match you know introducing the, the package to the match the the michael cole's little description oh actually you know i have it later okay <laughs> actually i made a note of that after the show or not after the match i should say so but yes it's definitely i'm, I'm definitely playing okay. yeah so so that will will we'll get back to that but uh but please go on Yes, exactly. There, there must be a winner is the moral yes. of, of what you were saying. Specifically. Specifically. There must be a winner. No question. So so early on, we get our first example of basically what a last man standing match is all about, because a little more than a minute into the match, Mankind hits Rock in the face with the WWF title, and surprisingly, that belt shot kept Rock down for an eight count, <laughs> even though the match literally just started. So I think he needs to work on his stamina a little bit there. <laughs> And shortly after that, The Rock did that old heel move where he motioned with his arms as if to say, Ah, oh, fuck this! And he started walking up the ramp. But of course, Mankind caught up to him, and they started brawling near the tech area. And eventually this culminated with Mankind climbing onto a table with The Rock and hitting him with a DDT right through the table. However, once again, referee Earl Hebner only got to an eight count before Rock made it to his feet. And after that, we got an absolutely horrendous-looking spot. So Mankind grabs Rock by the head and starts walking him back toward the ring, but The Rock turned the tide by picking Foley up for a back suplex and dropping him spine-first onto the concrete. Yeah. I mean, Jesus Christ, that that was brutal. But of course, because it's Mick Foley, he was back on his feet by the time Hebner counted to five. <laughs> I think he might have, maybe he should have sold that one a little bit longer. He's hardcore. He's hardcore. He's hardcore. Yeah. He's crippled. <laughs> So both men made their way back toward the ringside area when Foley regained the momentum by reversing an Irish whip by Rock and sending the People's Champ into the steel stairs. And from there, when Rock rolled back into the ring, Mankind scoop-slammed him in the middle of the ring and then 
before we got an idea. Yes, that's right. Mankind attempted a corporate elbow, but Rock moved out of the way. Both men then exited the ring, and Rock took control by hitting Foley with three suplexes on the arena floor. And from there, we got Rock's usual spot where he replaced Michael Cole on commentary. (laughs) And yet again, that, of course, proved to be a mistake. Because once Mankind recovered, he dove toward Rock with what looked like some sort of like a somersault cannonball <laughs> move. I've, I've never seen him do that before or since. That was his attempt at a dropkick. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. <laughs> Dom, Dominic Danucci inspired him. So Mankind then positioned the Rock so that his torso was hanging off the side of the commentary table. And then Foley went up to the ring apron. From there, he got a running start, jumped off the apron, and nailed Rock with a flying elbow to the back of his head. Unfortunately for Foley, it appeared that he also tweaked his injured knee when he landed, so the move ultimately did damage to both men. So they both re-entered the ring, but when Mankind came back in, he brought the steel steps with him. He charged toward Rock with them, but Rock managed to boot them back into Foley's face. And from there, Rock quickly exited the ring, grabbed a steel chair, and smacked Mankind's injured knee with it four times. Rock then went for, you guessed it, a chair shot to the skull, but thankfully Foley moved out of the way, and Rock hit the top rope, which <laughs> caused the chair to bounce back into his own face, which was actually pretty good, because when, when that happened, yeah, you, you got a nice clang out of it when he hit himself <laughs> in the head. So Foley hits the cactus clothesline, and that sent both men to the floor, where they eventually brawl back toward the commentary ca- commentary table, where Mankind puts Rock on top of it, and at this point, he set Rock up for a pile driver, but then we get another incredibly brutal-looking spot. So Mankind goes for the pile driver, but Rock okay. reverses it with a backdrop, yeah. and Foley goes flying off the table, where he then smacks his leg against the timekeeper's table on the way down. It looked absolutely horrendous. Yeah. Did you cringe at that as uh, much as I did? Uh, yeah, pretty, yeah. pretty brutal. But Yeah, it's one, uh, it's one of like five really brutal spots yeah. in this match. That's what these guys are known for at this point. So. Yeah, especially Foley. Yeah. Oh, and by the way, again, Michael Cole having such a banner night for himself. So when Mankind gets backdropped off the table, what does Michael Cole say? He literally just yells the word no five times in a row. <laughs> so so Mankind goes to the floor and literally all you hear is no, 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 no. no. It's like, wow. Thanks, really, Daniel. Really, yes. Admirable fill in for Jim Ross. <laughs> And then somehow, things get even worse, because when Foley is lying on the ground, practically motionless, The Rock re-enters the ring, picks up the steel stairs, yeah, and then he just drops them from the ring right down onto Foley's hip while he's lying on the arena floor. I mean, like, you could see him setting that up in the background, and I was still thinking to myself, oh, Foley's gonna move out of the way of this. (laughs) No, no, he most certainly did not. Got the stairs dropped on his fucking hip. Yeah. Over, over the top rope to the floor. Probably, well, you'd say seven or eight feet. Yeah, probably. And it makes that, of course, because they're that, that thin plate steel makes that nice gong sound. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's about right. Miraculously, though, Mankind does indeed make it back to his feet. So Rock tosses him back into the ring, hits him with a scoop slam. And then, yes, we actually get the real corporate elbow this time. And unlike Mankind's earlier attempt... Attempt, I should say. Rock actually does hit this one. And so, while Foley is on the ground, The Rock grabs a microphone where he proceeds to do <laughs> this. Oh, another kick to Tennessee. This is The Rock's gift to you.
Well, since Rock's baby left him, oh my gosh, he's uh, singing. He found a new place to dwell. Now he's a damn singer. It's down at the end of Jabroni Drive at <laughs> Smackdown Hotel. So, as you heard there, since they're in Memphis, the longtime home of Elvis Presley, Rock regales the crowd with his version of Smackdown Hotel until mankind recovers and puts the <laughs> mandible claw on him. Strangely, though, no Socko. It was actually his bare fingers. Yeah, just, I love The Rock during this period. Just, just Anytime he had a live microphone, it was just going to be fucking gold. But that was that. Oh, that still makes me laugh. This Smackdown. Yeah, yep. <laughs> Was that the first, standard, yeah. Was that the first rock concert that we ever got? I think it was. I think it, it might have been. I think that is the first time we've actually heard him sing. For sure it's the first time we've heard him sing Smackdown Hotel, but I know he I know he makes that kind of like a recurring thing too. <laughs> but anyway, unfortunately for Mick Foley, when Rock is flailing his arms around while he's in the mandible claw, <laughs> he accidentally nails Earl Hebner, knocking him out of the ring. Meanwhile, Rock is unconscious in the ring for because much longer. Because you need a ref bump in a last man and no disqualification match. Whatever. Right. Well, but that means Rock is actually unconscious for longer than the count of ten. So oh. Foley gets the genius idea to pick up Hebner, roll him back into the ring, and then Mankind basically uses Hebner's arm <laughs> to like, like make the ten count for hey, him. Hey, it worked for Steve Austin with Vince McMahon. That's right, and at uh, Over the Edge 98. So but when he's doing that, though, it actually appears to revive Earl Hebner, but Rock manages to get to his feet before 10. So Rock then hits Foley with a low blow, followed by a DDT, but Mankind again gets back to his feet in time. So Rock attempts chair shot, but Foley ducks, grabs Rock, and hits him with a double-arm DDT right on top of the chair, or, as Michael Cole says, DDT on a steel stair! Brilliant. Brilliant, as always. However, Rock manages to get up at the count of nine, but he is then greeted by Mr. Socko. So Rock briefly escapes, but Mick Foley puts it back on, and Rock reverses it by hitting a rock bottom. Both men once again make it to their feet, and this time, each one of them grabs a steel chair, so let's pick it up from there. Mankind to his feet! Rock with his feet, both have chairs! Oh! They both clock each other to those... Those chairs! Oh no! That's it! Two! Three! Referee at three! Both Mankind and The Rock hit each other simultaneously with those steel chairs! Right in the face! This looks like a big car Will any one of these men get up? Mankind! Referee's at eight! There's nine! Will anybody get up? And there's ten! Referee calls for the bell. A 10 count. Rocking mankind. Ladies and gentlemen, both men failed to answer the 10 count. Therefore, the referee's official decision this bout is a draw. So, referee Earl Hebner has called this bout a draw. Mankind and Rock knocked each other out with the steel stairs, and they could not get up. Chairs, they use stairs all night. Chairs, what's the difference? They knocked each other out. This is bad. Now remember, folks, there must be a winner. Must be a winner. Must be. (laughs) 
But yes, as you heard there, both Mankind <sighs> and Rock swung steel chairs at each other simultaneously. Or if you're Michael Cole, yet again, steel stairs. <laughs> Twice he does that. And the impact from those chair shots knocks both men down to the canvas, where neither of them are able to answer Earl Hebner's 10 count. Therefore, as you heard Howard Finkel announce, the match has been ruled a draw, so Mankind retains <sighs> his title. Yes, and clearly the Memphis fans were not too fond of that finish, because we then got loud bullshit chants from the crowd. <laughs> and after the match, both men actually get put onto stretchers and wheeled off backstage, where they're both put into ambulances and presumably taken to a nearby hospital. And I have to say, I was pretty surprised when Mankind was put on the stretcher, because Adam, if you recall back when we did the King of the Ring 98 episode, Foley flat out refused to be taken off in a stretcher after that match. So they're really going for it here with the... Uh, with the impact of this match. Yeah. I feel I feel like they did that so that, you know, they couldn't be like, ah, I didn't take the stretcher. I was the last man standing. So, and, and as you said, I'm going to play the clip for you here of what was being said several times before the match where Michael Cole told us of the stipulations for the last man standing match. Well, King, speaking of winners, coming up next, we must have a winner. Last man standing for the WWF Championship. The Rock Mankind. Yes, that's right. There must be a winner. <clears throat> except, of course, when there isn't one. Yeah. So thanks a lot for getting our <laughs> hopes up there. But, uh, Adam, what did you think of the last man standing match? Now, you may remember, because I, th I think I texted you. I went I went into this. One of the reasons that I... That I asked to to be the co-host on this one is because I, I i didn't think that i had watched this this show when it aired live in in 99 mm -hmm. but i watching it for this i i specifically remember how fucking disappointed i was by that finish <laughs> and i also remember you know vince literally breaking his ass during the cage match but we'll get to that so maybe i'm wrong maybe i did watch this on pay-per-view and i just forgot the match itself like you said was fucking brutal as hell Again, I, I made specific note of that of that spot where The Rock drops the steps over the top rope uh, onto Mankind on the floor. But yeah, that the finish, uh, I think, takes a couple of points away from the match as a whole. The finish was just so disappointing. Certainly not as disappointing as finishes to last man standing matches that we will get in the future, more <laughs> towards the current era uh, of the product. But um, With duct tape. But, yeah. But uh, but yeah, this uh, hell of a match, but uh, kind of a kind of a shitty finish. I agree. I agree. Definitely, the fact that we were constantly being told there has to be a winner, when what basically they end up doing is, you know, in this era of uh, this is something Nitro is guilty with a lot too, is they're essentially setting up Monday Night Raw the next yeah. night, which you know again, and Nitro does the same thing where it's like you'd have this uneventful match during uh during a pay-per-view and then they'd be saying well turn into nitro tomorrow where rick flair is going to defend the title against the giant and you're like what the fuck why is it well, what's going on? <laughs> but yeah th this pretty much ends up being and of course we'll get to it but this ends up being a setup for monday night raw so right. like, that's really disappointing but right. up to up to the finish i thought this was another really great match between these two mm -hmm. they've been doing such a great job of putting so much brutality into their matches that you're kind of like, well, they, they can't possibly, you know, how much how much farther can they take it here at this point? And they say, well, we'll take it a lot farther. We'll have Mick Foley back dropped off a table. We'll have stairs dropped onto his yeah. hip. We'll have him I'm take a back suplex onto concrete. Yeah, and I think I think that speaks to what you were saying earlier about this being the twenty somethingth match between these two guys. <laughs> um, but you still, it's not it's not boring. You're still going into this going well fuck what are they going to do this time 
Uh, I mean, after the after the Royal Rumble and after halftime heat, what what the fuck else could they possibly do? Which is not not really something that you you get on the modern day product where you go, oh, it's Roman Reigns versus Brock Lesnar again. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> okay. Well, I guess we're doing it again. Yeah. At least at least it's only ten dollars. <laughs> right. <laughs> the only feud I can think of in the past maybe ten years or so where there were two guys who were constantly going back and forth, having pay-per-view matches that I wanted to see more of. The only one I can think was, I think it was 2011, when Randy Orton and Christian were having a really good series of matches. Like, every pay-per-view, they were facing each other. And, obviously, Orton mostly ended up getting the better of that. But I remember yeah. they they were facing each other, like, every month for, like, five months, and they were all really good. I, re- I, I do remember that, but I also remember just how fucking mad that storyline made me because I had been waiting so long for Christian to be world champion in WWE, and then they completely fucking ruined it and made him the pussiest, worst fucking world champion since Rey Mysterio. Well, well he won the title by getting kicked in the dick at Money in the Bank 2011, so that's, that's something. Exactly. Probably the only time you'll ever see that happen. A guy, a guy wins a title by getting kicked in the dick. <laughs> But yeah, but as for this match, again, I, I loved it. I thought this was a, a really, another really fun match between these two, but uh, obviously marred by the finish. But, you know, at, a little bit later on in the show, we're, uh, we're going to talk about that and we're going to talk about where they go from here yeah. because, uh, yeah, it's, they, they will address it on Raw, folks. Mm-hmm. They're going to address it. Yeah. yeah. I'd say certainly one of the top five rivalries of all time. I think so, too. Yeah. I think so too. That based on these two, I mean obviously Austin and Rock yeah. for sure is one of the the top, but also Mankind and Rock is definitely to keep that feud so interesting over the past 3 months the way they've been doing it. It's it's really uh, all, basically you can go back and watch any of those matches and just they're all amazing. Yeah. You know, they're they're yeah. all enjoyable. So I, I, although again halftime heat I, I quibble with the end of halftime <laughs> heat. But... Well, so did Mick Foley, so you're not alone. Yeah, exactly. And now it is time for our main event of the evening, Stone Cold Steve Austin versus Vince McMahon inside of a steel cage. Now, Vince has declared that all corporation members are banned from ringside, and if any of them try to interfere, the entire corporation will be fired. And Austin has declared that if Vince McMahon beats him, he will give up his number one contendership to the WWF title at WrestleMania 15. Now, the first thing I'll ask, Adam, did you like the fact that they were using the old school cage with steel bars, but in this instance, they've painted the cage black instead of blue? Yeah, I, well, you, you, you talk, it actually had a, had a question from a couple of weeks ago when you were talking about the, the cage match on Raw. Was that the, the debut of the chain link fence cage, or has the chain link fence cage been used before? It's been used before. Okay, yeah. okay. Yeah, so I, 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 I do remember it seeming a bit weird that they would go back to the bars for this match. But right. maybe maybe because it's Vince and the spots that they that they do with Vince, yep. uh, uh, maybe it was, uh, it was so easier to, to climb or possibly because they had to have the crew come out and set up the cage around the ring. You had a little bit of subterfuge for a certain ah. someone hiding somewhere that we'll get to. Maybe. I assumed it was because it was much easier for Vince to do that 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 certain spot that he does yeah. to to like launch himself off of the blue bar of what well, the black bar cage yeah. instead of the uh, the chain link. But when he breaks his ass, literally. Yeah, exactly. We'll get to that in just a moment, I yeah. suppose. So basically, Stone Cold was the first man to enter, which meant that he was waiting inside the cage for Vince to enter. But instead, however, Vince decided to do some stalling, and he flat out refused to enter the cage. So when Austin saw that, 
He exited the cage and chased Vince around the ring. However, that enabled Vince to turn the tables on him because then Vince entered the ring and frequently prevented Stone Cold from getting in. So Austin then started climbing the outside of the cage, but Vince constantly stood at the top of it and prevented him from entering, so Stone Cold had no choice but to jump down to the arena floor. Unfortunately for Austin, when he did that, he appeared to tweak his knee. Referee Mike Kyoto went over to check on Stone Cold, and at that point, Vince sensed an opportunity. He left the cage and went over to pounce on the weakened Austin, but then Stone Cold clotheslined Vince. <laughs> so yes, he was actually faking the injury the entire time. Well played. And from there, Austin pretty much just starts taking out his frustrations on Vince, <laughs> throwing him face first into the cage bars, tossing him into the front row, and just now, generally kicking his ass. Now, the, the match hasn't started yet, so shouldn't he be fired? Oh my, you, you beat me to it because I was actually going to mention the same thing. But we'll get to that in just a moment too. But yeah, so eventually Mr. McMahon goes over the barricade and he kind of starts running off through the crowd similar to that spot they did during the Royal Rumble. Yeah. However, at this point, Vince <laughs> doesn't quite make it. Did Jerry, was it Jerry Lawler who, who yelled, take him to the women's room? Right, exactly, yes. Yep, because that's exactly what they did at the Rumble. They're the they, lady! <laughs> they're the lady and the man in the bathroom! But, well, actually, no, there sorry, weren't at the sorry, Royal Rumble. It was, wrong show. It was... Yeah, well, at the Royal Rumble, it was men inside the women's room, but not so much this time. But yeah, so basically, Austin instead... What was the plan if Austin didn't go in the the women's room? It would have been a very awkward conversation, I think, when somebody eventually went in. You know, like like I was saying, like an old woman would have just gone into the into the bathroom and been like, Oh, excuse me, do you mind if I... Or the old old woman goes in and gets ambushed. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. Oh, crap, that's not Austin. Uh, If they had confused an old woman for Steve Austin, that would have been pretty impressive, actually. But here's a secret. It's a stunt Grammy. Yes. <laughs> Covered on this show. Well, not this show, but I mean a couple episodes ago. But anyway, so yeah, basically, uh, Vince doesn't quite make it all the way through the crowd because Austin just brings him back. Yeah. And once he does that, so Vince basically tries to escape Austin. So he starts climbing up the side of the cage in order to make his way into the ring. But Stone Cold pulls him back down to the floor. Eventually, Vince does manage to climb a little bit higher on the side of the cage that was facing the commentary tables. And this time, however, instead of pulling him down, Stone Cold climbed up the side of the cage with Vince. Both men were then standing near the top of the cage. And then, well, let's just pick it up from there. Come on, Mr. McMahon! The safest place for McMahon is in the cage! Forehead into the cage! Oh my god! He's got to be 20 feet off the floor. Ah, no! No! Mr. McMahon! Kill! He may be dead! Mr. McMahon fell 20 feet! McMahon fell 20 feet off the steel cage through the Spanish and out table! Look at Austin, he's smiling! Is he alive? Stone Cold! Yeah, so this is a this is a perfect example of what Sal and I talked about on the WrestleMania 17 episode of of uh, of Salvation, where Vince being willing to do anything seriously in a match, but yeah, God God bless him, man, it breaks his fucking tailbone on that spot. Cause, oh, is that for real? Yeah, oh, yeah. Well, if you, you look how he lands, he doesn't push off quite far enough, right? And literally just lands with his spine on the edge of the table yeah on the front edge of the table and he lands ass first he breaks his fucking tailbone 
And obviously, I mean, they couldn't stop the match because they had the, the debut that they have to get to. Spoiler alert. But good, good God, Vince. Yeah. Well, yeah. So I played the clip there. But if you need if you need a frame of reference for what happens, basically, yes. So Austin kind of just grabs Vince by the back of the head and slams his face into one of the cage bars. And so Vince sells that by flying backwards directly into the Spanish Spanish announce table, I should say. And as you said, he lands kind of like at the edge of the table as opposed to like going through it nice and clean. So he kind of like, he hits the side of the, of the table and kind of like does a little bounce. Ugh. So it was, it looked Ugh, pretty painful. God. But I, I gotta say, this is kind of a, a pretty crazy spot for anyone to take, let alone a 53-year-old man yeah. who isn't actually a wrestler because he has to basically jump backwards without looking and kind of hope that he hits his mark, which in this case, I guess he kind of did. Almost. Um, like I said, almost. he just needed to push off a little bit further. Yeah, I mean, he did hit the table. He just, you know, <laughs> not necessarily the right part of the table. Yeah. Oh, man. And Carlos Cabrera so, didn't even have to blade. No, no, thankfully he didn't. Like, he did at WrestleMania. <laughs> well, that was that was Hugo Savinovich oh, at Hugo WrestleMania 19. Damn it. So the, the, one of the funniest things I've ever seen. I was like, why is Hugo blading during the, the Vince Hogan 20 years in the making match? So, so ridiculous. So, yes, once Vince crashes through the table, a bunch of referees run down to check on him, and they make the determination that he needs medical attention, so some paramedics then wheel a stretcher down to ringside. That now makes a total of three stretchers in the past two matches, so clearly the EMTs in Memphis were working overtime tonight. Mm. And after a few minutes, the EMTs put a neck brace on Vince and load him into the stretcher. Howard Finkel then enters the ring, where Stone Cold is standing around waiting, and the Fink appears ready to announce the result, even though the bell still has not technically rung to even start the match. So let's pick it and up. Which is, and which is there. not anything the ring announcer ever does in the ring. Right. Well, let's pick up. Let's see what Howard oh, Finkel has sure. to say. Let's take, let's take a listen. What? When I came here, I said I made a few guarantees going into this match, which haven't happened yet. As far as I'm concerned, the match never really started because when the, the bell never rang and we was never in the ring at the same time, so eh, eh, he ain't gonna lose that easy. I guess he's got a point, King. But what? Now, jackass, jackass, that's you in the black. Is the son of a bitch still breathing? Well, since he is still breathing, if you want me to finish this can of whoop-ass, give me a hell yeah. What? What kind of human being is Stone Cold? He's gone cold. It's not through with Mr. McMahon. They are cutting the boss off on a damn stretcher and the rattlesnake is going out. So there you go. Since the bell never actually rung and both men were never inside the cage at the same time, the match still has not officially taken place. And that means that Stone Cold isn't through with Vince just yet. Because he's fired. That's right, exactly. <laughs> I'm glad you mentioned that because that is the huge plot hole that I wanted to mention there, where basically, as we as we discussed multiple times in the lead up to this, so... If Austin lays a hand on Vince before the match begins, he's fired, and we just had Austin literally grabbing a mic and saying, well, the match hasn't begun yet, so <laughs> so you are fired then, are you not? 
So I guess I'll just pack my shit and go home. Yeah, I might as well beat his ass because I'm damn sure out of a job. <laughs> like, it's it's kind of crazy. I, ne- I hadn't thought about it until I went back and watched this pay-per-view, but that is like a really big leap in logic, isn't it? Like, that's <laughs> that's just insane to me. I don't remember exactly whose quote it was. Uh, who said it? It was some wrestler on some show that I was that I was listening to. But one of it's one of my favorite quotes now when talking about looking for logic in professional wrestling. And it was basically, if you ever if you ever are tempted to look for logic in what happens in professional wrestling, all you need to remember is the Irish whip. <laughs> yeah, that's actually a fair point. <laughs> you kind of like push me, and I'm just going to run. I'm just going to for no run. <laughs> Because that's how physics works. Or I'm going to reverse it and make you run. (laughs) So, yes, with referees and paramedics attempting to wheel Vince out of the arena, Austin instead pushes them all away. He grabs the stretcher, and then he pushes Vince right into the side of the cage. (laughs) And then, to even further incorporate the stretcher, Austin picks up the yellow backboard thing and starts beating Vince with that, too. (laughs) Which was pretty funny, actually. And then, yes... Oh, yeah, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, yeah, yeah, I'll give you that. That was Oh yeah, yeah. Comedy. That was amusing visual. But then yes, Stone Cold does indeed toss Vince inside the cage, which gets a huge pop from the crowd, and they do proceed to ring the bell just a few seconds later, so it is now official. Our main event is finally underway after about fourteen minutes <laughs> of pre match chaos. Now interestingly, there's actually no ref inside the cage, so it appears the only way to win the match is by escaping, which honestly is my preferred method. I always kinda hated it when pinfalls and submissions were an option. With cage matches, in my opinion, you beat your opponent's ass so badly that he can't make it to his feet before you climb out. That is the only proper way to win a cage match. That's just a fact. (laughs) Historically, it's not, though. And that's (laughs) why I enjoy whenever you say that. The cage match was introduced basically for the same reason the Hell in a Cell was introduced, is you got to have that thing surrounding the ring to keep people out. But it was still a a regular match with with pinfall or submission. It was just uh, basically, you know, you're fighting Ric Flair and you don't want the horseman to interfere. Right. But that always pissed me off, too, because it was like, well, you're bringing a steel cage to keep guys out. And it's like they, they can just climb up the side. You know, you could you can climb out. The object of the cage no, match is to climb out. No, but it's really high. Right. Well, <laughs> well, then, well, if they didn't want to climb up, they could just go over to the door the where door. the referee is standing. I do, I do agree with your point on the door. The door was always That's stupid. That's the dumbest thing ever. That The door should never be an option in a cage match to just walk out. I'm sorry. <laughs> One of the, so stupid. So stupid. But anyway. So yes, Austin hits Vince with a couple second rope elbow drops, and then, on that note, he starts walking out the cage door until he sees that Vince is flipping him off. Another, so of, another iconic Vince McMahon moment there. Yes. The multiple birds that he flips in this match. Yes. Well, this is only one at first. When, when Austin's going yeah. out the door, you know, it's only one. It's one now, two later, multiple birds. There you go. So instead of winning the match then, Austin just decides that he wants to inflict some more punishment, so he re-enters the cage. And Vince then does manage to hit Stone Cold with a low blow and attempt to climb out, but Austin quickly pulls him back in. Stone Cold then throws Vince face-first into one of the cage bars, and at that point, we see that Mr. McMahon is indeed busted open. So true to his word in the lead-up to this match, Austin said there would be bloodshed, and it now appears he has lived up to that promise. So Stone Cold once again starts to leave the cage, this time climbing up and over. However, when he starts climbing down the side of the cage, he sees Vince flipping him the double bird. And once again, instead of dropping to the floor and winning the match, 
Austin decides to re-enter the cage. I mean, logically, he could just touch the floor, get the victory, and then just go back inside the cage to beat Vince's ass. But hey, then I guess the story wouldn't be as good, I suppose. So Austin, once again, goes back inside the cage, where he continues beating on Vince, culminating it with a stone-cold stunner. So Austin then gets down on the ground in Vince's face and starts taunting him. But while he's doing that, something rather interesting happens. (laughs) So what you heard there was Stone Cold taking too much time to taunt Vince, which allowed Paul White to tear a hole in the bottom of the mat and make his way into the ring. And of course, for those of you scoring at home, this is indeed the WWF debut of Paul White, formerly known as the Giant in WCW, but who we obviously come to know better as the Big Show since he's still friggin' wrestling after all these years. (laughs) Yeah, the, the WWF debut of Paul White, which explains how Michael Cole knew immediately who he was. Right. That's Paul White. That's Paul White. Also, so I don't yes. know I don't know if you noticed it. I noticed it watching this back. There's the right out after the stunner when he's, you know, jaw jacking with, with Vince, it's kind of the first shot uh before they cut to the hard cam when when he pops through the canvas is kind of uh on the floor, like kinda of at canvas level. And you can mm-hmm. see in the foreground, Austin and Vince are kinda of in the middle background, you know, in the middle of the ring. You can see kinda of in the foreground something goes poke right through the right through the canvas i don't know if it was like a blade or whatever it was that he was using but it's like oh we gotta cut we gotta switch cameras yes exactly yeah you can see it it's like some little something's making its way maybe it's his finger (laughs) it's not it's not his finger but yes so paul white enters the ring where he then proceeds to throw austin face first into two sides of the cage knocking him to the ground Vince McMahon then tells White to physically pick up austin and throw him into the side of the cage and so he does 
but the impact of the throw <laughs> the causes side, that side to break. The side of the cage that Mike Kyoto is now conveniently holding shut. <laughs> right, I know. And yes, the bars completely swing off the hinge, allowing Stone Cold to jump down and touch the ground, making him the winner of the match. Once again, Austin has overcome the odds, and he will now go on to WrestleMania 15, presumably to face the WWF champion, Mankind. And after the match ends, Austin and Paul White stare each other down as a bloody, despondent Vince McMahon laments the fact that his plan was unsuccessful. And that is how St. Valentine's Day Massacre goes off the air. So, Adam, what did you think of our main event? I got to say, Austin sold the finish beautifully. I still think it's yeah. one of, that's one of my favorite things when he's, you know, he gets thrown through the through the cage and ends up on the floor and Mike Kyoto grabs him and holds his arm up as the bell rings and he's just got this look on his face like, what the fuck? Uh, oh, I, I, I guess I won. Okay. Yeah. It's but, like also kind of like a little bit of like horror too. Yeah, when he like, sees like that the big show just threw him through the cage. Who? Uh, Paul White. Paul, okay, okay. That's Paul White. And of course, we all remember the the classic match that was Stone Cold Steve Austin versus Mankind at WrestleMania 15. Um, of course. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. I mean, the match itself is the match itself is what it needed to be. It was Steve Austin beating the shit out of Vince McMahon because that's what the fans wanted and that's what the fans demanded. And after all this lead up of of Steve Austin being kind of a pussy, uh, you know, <laughs> Vince finally gets his comeuppance. And then, you know, you get your shocking debut. And this was back in, you know, the, the kind of uh, early days of the Internet when these weren't things that were widely known by people. And so yeah, I think I think this match is exactly what it needed to be. And I think they did a great job. I agree. I mean, most of it is obviously the, the majority of this is the pre-match. Yeah. Which, again, as I well, said, takes about four, 14 yeah. minutes. I think the lead up, the actual match, once they get in the cage, I think is closer to maybe seven or eight minutes. Yeah. But, I mean, for Vince's part, obviously he's not a wrestler, but he does a fantastic job with, with all a, this. With a broken freaking ass. Yeah. I mean, if you think about this, it's the, you're talking about like a CEO of a billion-dollar company throwing 50, himself 53-year-old man, as you said before. Yeah. 53-year-old man throwing himself off a cage through a table and doing a fucking blade job yeah. in, in, a, in the middle of the ring. How many other CEOs would, would cut their foreheads for their, <laughs> their business? And like I said, another I, we talked about uh, talked about it earlier with uh, you know him jawing in the corner and that that you know lead pipe shot at at WrestleMania 19. But another iconic Vince McMahon screenshot of him in the in the cage with the blood coming down his face. He's got that look on his face that almost kind of looks like he's crying, but not quite. And just fl- that that very specific way that Vince McMahon flips the bird. Where he's like, I never do this, so I don't quite know how to hold my fingers, but I know that this one goes up and the rest of them stay down. Right. <laughs> Actually, I have another question for you here. So, obviously, Paul White, his debut here, he debuts trying to help Vince, but like the first thing he does is he throws Austin through the cage, and basically, what Paul White does directly results in Stone Cold winning the match. Yeah. So does that make him? Do you think that makes him look kind of like weak? Does does it get him off to the off to like the a bad start in that regard? Or are you okay with the no, fact that he's not weak? He threw a man through a steel cage. Well, there you go. Okay. Yeah, I think I think it certainly was an inauspicious start to his his job as a member of the corporation. But yeah, indeed, beat him up. Oh, fuck you, one. Yep. But but no, I think I, I, I think it was fine. Yeah, I, it, it, my, it's a cool spot. My only other note was, God damn, his hair was huge. It Paul, was. Paul he, White had huge fucking hair on this night in Memphis. 
Yeah, and he looks like he's actually in okay shape. I think that he actually, um, I think by his own admission or some, this I might have heard this somewhere else, like he did get liposuction in between his tenure with WCW huh. and when he started with the WWF. I did not know um, that. He okay. did, so he. I guess he was kind of like, I think it might have been said on the Pritchard podcast or something like that uh, back when I used to listen to that fucking show. <laughs> nice. um, so I did not know that. Um, yes. Yeah, I remember, but, I remember hearing somewhere Bischoff talking about how, you know, he giant came up to him and said, I, I got this offer, you know, for whatever, whatever amount the offer was for and Bischoff going, fuck man, ta- you need to take that. Yeah. Cause I mean, this is, I, I, this is in 99 when Bischoff was kind of on his way out of the company, uh, of WCW and you know, everything was going on as you've been describing what was going on over there. And so Bischoff was like, fuck yeah, dude, you need to take that money. You need to go to the WBF right now. Well, Vince loves his big guys. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, I'll actually say about this. This is something I, in retro, in retrospect, you know, a lot of guys had jumped from WWF over to WCW, but now you're seeing that sort of swing yeah. when you have a guy who was a legit main eventer in WCW, a multi-time world champion, now making the jump over to the WWF. I think he's pretty much the first guy to to do that because obviously, you know, Jeff Jarrett came back and X Pac came back, but I mean, they're not big names like the Giant was yeah. clearly a big name in WCW yeah. is now is now jump ship. So I think he's pretty much the first main event guy to, to make that uh-huh. sort of uh, that the switch during the Monday night wars. Sure. So it really shows you how much the tide is turning. Yeah. And I mean, you've, you're going to have a few, a few more coming up in uh, a few months now, but yeah. uh, kind of towards in the, 2001, you have uh, all of them. <laughs> well, <laughs> but uh, kind of towards the end of 99 and the beginning of 2000, but uh, we'll certainly, you know, get there when we get there. But, sure. Specifically, but yeah. August of '99, I believe you're thinking. Yeah. Of. But I remember, yeah, the millennium. Um, but I remember when this happened. Uh, you know, because as we talked about, you know, Nitromania is a show where you know I am not watching WCW for the first time, uh, and so I remember vaguely knowing who the Giant was, mm-hmm. just from you know reading the internet, reading you know the dirt sheet magazines and whatnot, but not knowing a lot about him. And so being like, oh, well, that's interesting. And being <laughs> yeah. being interested to see where it goes. Because this is 99. I was still a fucking Mark in 99. Of course. I'm still a fucking Mark now. But anyway, <laughs> um, I just have the internet now, so I'm kind of an asshole about it. But, <laughs> <laughs> but Many people are. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I remember, and you know, the more I think about it, the more I, I, I must have actually watched this when it happened. Because, like I said, I, I didn't remember it going into it. But now, having watched it now for this, I... I Enough of it is coming back to me. I'm like, I must have watched this on pay-per-view. And so I, I just remember being very intrigued by by this enormous gentleman and uh, and interested to see what happens. Sadly, he does become the big show. But, you know, you can't win them all. Yeah, spoiler. <laughs> so, yeah. So I would say thumbs up on the main event. Would yes, you agree? Uh, absolutely. Thumbs up? Absolutely. Now, so thumbs up on the main event. What did you think of the show as a whole? I, I, think, you, I think you nailed it perfectly. It started very slowly mm-hmm. um and and it's kind of a it's kind of an uphill uh, an uphill climb uh up until the the two main events and then uh and then you know it's smooth sailing from there but it takes uh takes a good bit of time to get there first yeah for me it's it's definitely thumbs in the middle at best trending downward but the final three matches I did enjoy quite a yeah. bit. Even the tag team with uh, Triple H and Xbox versus China and Kane, I did like. Yeah. Um, that's the, obviously, Rock that, Mankind That's the crest of the hill. Yes. Once you suffer through all that, it's like uh, it's like Shawshank. 
you know, when uh, Andy Dufresne climbs through all the uh, shit-smelling foulness <laughs> to get to the other side. He must so have you... climbed through. He must have crawled through a thousand miles of shit-smelling waffle. Until he got to the tag match. <laughs> so. And then you're good. Rita and Hayward. then you're good. But yeah, so I'll say I'll say thumbs in the middle, trending downward. What would yeah. you say? Uh, I I would say trending maybe slightly upward just because of the history of you know that debut and you know even with the dumb ending on the uh, the last man standing match again because it is such a great rivalry it's it's still mm-hmm. an awesome match so I'm not gonna go too too high but maybe like a couple of degrees up from the middle there you go uh, like a C plus B minus yeah. There that go. works. So now before we move on to Raw, I'm going to just dive into some of the numbers for the show. Sure. So St. Valentine's Day Massacre did a whopping 449,000 pay-per-view <laughs> buys, which Jeez. at this point is the that is the most ever for a non-Big Four pay-per-view the WWF has ever done. Everybody and wants for, to see Vince McMahon get his ass kicked. That's clearly. And if you flash back one year ago to February of 98, uh, if you want to know what they did for No Way Out of Texas, it was uh, 189,000 buys. <laughs> and so besides, basically year over year. Besides, what, oh, the, yeah, sorry. what the fuck else are you going to do on February 14th? Right, is that what, like hang out with your wife or something? <laughs> That's ridiculous. Please. So yeah, so basically they improved last year was 189,000 and now they're doing 449. So by uh, by that count they increased their pay-per-view numbers in February by 137% year <laughs> over year. So that's pretty good. But but there is a but here because February of 1999 is an interesting benchmark. Why? Because despite the fact that the WWF has been stomping Nitro in the ratings for the past 4 months, St. Valentine's Day Massacre actually ends up with Fewer buys than WCW's Super Brawl 9 pay-per-view, which airs one week from now. So, yes, that's right. Yeah, This is actually the last ever month when one of WCW's pay-per-views outsells one of the WWF's. And Super Brawl 9, if you look at the headlining match, it's actually Hulk Hogan putting his title on the line against Ric Flair. So, I mean, I can certainly see why that would be appealing, for sure. But very funny to think because... The ratings battle right now is basically not competitive. WWF no. is just whipping their ass. Yeah. But yeah. but WCW wins on pay-per-view this month, so it's, go figure. That's bizarre. It really is. It's kind of strange. I was, yeah, when I looked at that, I was like, wow, even with Hogan versus Flair, I'm, I'm still surprised that beat a pay-per-view headline by Austin versus Vince. So, mm. But um, maybe fans preferred kind of like seeing Austin face one of Vince's hand-picked guys as opposed to Vince himself. But, I mean, even still, it's like 449,000 people bought it. So, so maybe just less, less people were fucking. There you go. That's right. <laughs> that too. So there you have it. A surprising result in terms of the head-to-head matchup, but still, when a second-rate pay-per-view, you know, that's sandwiched basically between the two big shows, no pun intended, uh, gets that many buys, I think you call it a success. So on that note, Adam, are you ready to move on to Monday night? Can I take a dump first? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So you take a dump. We'll come back, we'll take a quick break, and then it will be time for the February 15th, 1999 episode of Raw. And in the meantime, take a listen to a quick clip from Stone Cold Steve Austin's podcast where he watches his match with Vince on the show and provides some running commentary on it. Yeah, yeah, he has some some fun stuff to say. I'd recommend giving it a listen if you want to hear Austin like do a live commentary on, on this match, which is pretty fun. So take a listen to that, and we'll come back in just a little bit. All right, let me tell you something here. We go up there. We've never done this before. I don't, you know, I don't know that Vince McMahon has ever taken this bump before. If he ever did it back in Stanford, then he did. I don't know that he did. I just know that he wanted to take the bump. And I'll never forget before the match, I said, hey, man, are you sure you want to take that bump? He goes, oh, 
goddamn Steve, we got to. So I'm like, well, I'm not going to talk him out of it. I've already offered up and shown my concern. So if he wants to go for it, who am I to argue with the boss? Okay. Uh, the thing about this uh, bump that was so devastating, Vince probably landed in about the worst place you could land as far as taking a bump like that onto a table because he landed right there on the edge, and that's where the vertical support base goes down. So had he landed about a foot over, you know, back towards the backside of that table, it would have been a much forgiving blow. The table would have just crushed, and it was still been a devastating bump. But where he landed, there wasn't no give. And you can see his head and his neck whipped down in a whiplash, fat-like fashion, and it totally, I think it knocked him out for a second or two. It, it certainly dazed him, and he certainly saw stars. I do remember that. So he's out there, and he'll tell him, oh, don't, don't touch me. Don't, don't hurt me. He's out there. You know, he's really rung up. That was a hell of a bump. And I don't know how, Vince, I don't know how old Vince is at this point in this match, but uh, an amazing bump. I don't care how old you are. And... We have returned. Now, real quick, Adam, before we move into the next part of the show, I have to give a quick shout-out to Raw Attitude Podcast listener Joseph Egan. Now, we recorded this episode in two separate parts, obviously, and in between he kind of wrote a really nice email where he said the show is a must-listen. He loves the quality. He loves the mixture of analysis and humor and says it is really a cut above the rest. So I had to give him a shout-out because he he took the time to write a really nice email, so I wanted to give Joseph a shout-out there. So thank you very much, Joseph. Really appreciate it. Always love the fan interview interaction here at the RAP. So just wanted to yeah. single that out. Yeah, Joseph, because you wrote it in an email, you ruined, totally ruined the joke, the joke I was going to make about my dump. Well, by all means, if you want to make it, go right ahead. No, it's, you've already, you've already talked about the fact that they're not recording this at the same time, so it's not even worth it now. All it's right. not even worth it now. Well, miss, missed opportunity. Yeah. Thanks, Joseph. It's Thanks all for on you. writing in. <laughs> I, I hope it was a good dump, though. I hope it was a good dump. Yeah, it felt like it lasted about a week and a half. I know, it's so strange. It feels like the Red Sox won the World Series in between that dump. I know, then somehow I managed to get a new job and a cold. Yes. But all right, so Adam, are you ready to dive into Monday Night Raw? I am. My my immediate moment of this episode of Raw was, you know, when you started on the network and the timeline pops up at the bottom? Mm -hmm. Just that classic Attitude Era timeline where there's nothing for the first 20 minutes of the <laughs> yep, show. Right, right. And then the dots for the matches in the first match looks like it lasts about a minute and a half. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, that's pretty par for the course. <laughs> the little the dots are like about, you know, a centimeter apart from each yeah, other. Pretty maybe much. Even, probably less, actually. Pretty much. So <clears throat> it is Monday, February 15th, 1999, and we are live from the Jefferson County Civic Center in Birmingham, Alabama. Some of the other noteworthy events which have taken place in this same arena include... Two episodes of Thunder, one episode of SmackDown, and one episode of Sunday Night Heat. Now, even though the WWF slash WWE actually does kind of make frequent trips to Birmingham, Alabama, they typically utilize other arenas when they or, come to town. Or uterize. Yeah, or uterus, yeah. I mean, evolution was yesterday, so... There you go. That's right. It's like, it's like calling ivory ovary by mistake, you know? <laughs> you, you just gotta leave it in. But yeah, clearly, because they go to other... They go to other venues within Birmingham these days. So they have no no respect for the old JCCC, apparently. <laughs> so we open the show with still photos of St. Valentine's Day Massacre, courtesy of WWF Magazine, of course. Of course. And from there, we queue up the opening credits, the pyro, and the obligatory scanning of the crowd. Now, some of the noteworthy signs in the audience tonight include... I hate signs. <laughs> hey, who pooted? 
Paul Bearer for president. I want my benefits. Disgruntled former employee, I guess. I got, I got that one on my list. Nice. Got smegma. Oh. Austin. <laughs> Austin. Gross. Yeah, that's, that's gross. Austin 316. Whoop arse. So apparently there's at least one <laughs> British person living in Alabama. <laughs> Vince takes some Prozac. China is one jacked up bitch. Eat more possum. That I was also on my list. We're, we're in Alabama, you know. Mean people suck. A little play on words here. My DX erect, my personal favorite sign of the night. Hold this sign. I gotta go doo doo. And and <laughs> I lastly, that one. I, I'm very thorough with my scanning of the ground. Yeah, apparently. And lastly, Deborah Stalker with an arrow pointing down. But I couldn't help but notice that he spelled it D E B O R A H. So apparently, <laughs> apparently he's stalking Deborah, but he doesn't actually know how to spell her name. Not that good of a stalker. So, oh, again, um, I must say. Alabama. Roll, yes. roll tight I, on that. Roll tight on that. I still remember from an episode of Raw, not this one, but when I was a kid watching and I saw a sign that said, My Dixie, D-I-X-I-E, wrecked, W-R-E-C-K-E-D. <laughs> nice. And it took me far too long to get that joke. I got a couple more. Uh, my brother's favorite wrestler is Gilberg, but they spelled oh. Gilberg wrong. Oh, God. Uh, just one L in Gilbert, and then one that said Kara sucks. C-A-R-A-S-U-X-X. So that person must be a time traveler talking about seeing Kara. Yes, clearly. But, but yes, I also had I want my benefits and eat more possum on my list as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. how could you miss eat more possum? That was pretty prominent Seriously. for a while. What was the point of that? Is that It reminds me of like the Chick-fil-A ads where like the cow is like, eat more chicken. So maybe that was an early Chick-fil-A motto there. Maybe. Eat more possum instead of eating the, the chicken, I guess. So we open the show with Michael Cole telling us that we are on the road to WrestleMania, and I believe that's the first time I've actually heard him use that term. I think nowadays they kind of bust that out shortly after the Royal Rumble, but in 1999, they did wait until February. And from there, no. we officially kick things off. <laughs> they yep. use that They use that leading into the Royal Rumble at this point. This Sunday, it's the start of the road to WrestleMania. That's right. F- relax. It's, right. it's the on-ramp on the road to WrestleMania, or whatever the fuck. <laughs> So we officially kick things off with Commissioner Shawn Michaels coming to the ring. And funny enough, when HBK grabs a mic, the very first thing he says is that we're on the road to WrestleMania. So clearly there must have been a company memo going around. Mm -hmm. HBK then proceeds to introduce us to the two men who will be facing each other. Hmm? The crowd can't hear Michael Cole, so so Shawn just had to make sure that they understood that we are, in fact, on the road to WrestleMania. There you go. Got, got to get it over. Got to get that term over. Uh, spoiler alert, that actually works quite well because they still do it to this very day. Oh, yeah. So HBK then proceeds to introduce us to the two men who will be facing each other in the main event of WrestleMania 15. <laughs> the challenger Stone Cold Steve Austin and the World Wrestling Federation champion Mankind. However, once both men come to the ring, HBK can barely get another sentence out before he gets interrupted by a neck brace wearing Vince McMahon. Just like, did you know he did that actually uh, when they had the steroid trial back in '94? Did you know he showed up to court I've, in a neck brace? I've seen that picture. Yeah, yeah, that was kind of what I thought seeing him come out from backstage with that. So this segment actually ends up being rather long. But screw it, I'm going to play it for you here because I it not only sets up. Oh yeah, not the not the whole thing, but about eight minutes of it. Because um, <laughs> it not only yeah, you know, I've played longer ones, but uh, but I think it's important because it sets up tonight's main event, and also it does set up a pretty important development for the main event of WrestleMania 15. So mm. take a listen to what happens here. <gasps> 
I'm simply asking you, Austin, to bury the hatchet. Let's start all over. All I want you to do, I just, all I want is for you to say, I'm sorry. That's not too much to ask, Michael. That's all I want. I wouldn't count on it. Can't we all just get along? Mr. McMahon's a broken man. You want man. me to say, you want me to say I'm sorry? Please. All right, all right. I can handle that. I'm sorry. That I didn't beat your ass worse than I beat it. What? And if you think Mr. McMahon is still an asshole, give me a hell yeah. <laughs> this is awful. I think it's unanimous. Mr. Commissioner, that's, that's your, that's the man that's going to face the WWF champion at WrestleMania. And he's going to face mankind. Then why don't you do your job? Okay? Why don't you for once give the people what they want? Shawn Michaels, Mr. Commissioner, wants to give the people what they want. Damn it! You know full well that mankind didn't win that match last night. It doesn't matter. He didn't lose it. The title does not change hands unless you lose. These people deserve a rematch. Yes! They deserve that rematch here tonight. Yes! What? That's unanimous. And they deserve mankind to face the most electrifying WWF superstar in the world today, The Rock. The Rock! The dream match! Now do your job. You know The Rock was coerced into defending the title to begin with. You know that. It's true. Come on, Michaels. Give them the match they want. And damn it, give them the kind of match they want. Now what's he talking about? King Mankind may not be physically able to compete. Hey Vince, even by my standards, I feel pretty crappy tonight. So how about you give me seven days to get ready for this thing? We'll do it next week on Raw. You smell what The Rock is cooking. As far as for the rock is concerned, you don't even have seven minutes. Uh-oh. 
For the last five months, The Rock has done what he said he was going to do, and that's bash your living brains in. Tonight, the great one and the millions. And how many? And millions of The Rock's fans want to see your fat cellulite ass go one on one with the great one. So HBK, Shawn Michaels, as far as for The Rock is concerned, you are no more than a Rudy Poo candy ass. <laughs> so what The Rock wants you to do is know your damn role and make this damn match tonight in front of all of The Rock's fans. Do the right thing, Michaels, for once in your life. Wait, wait, Rock, I'll tell you what. You're always out here talking about testicular fortitude. Well, I'll tell you, Sean, no offense, but I don't need you to make this match because I think you know, Birmingham, Alabama knows. I know nothing. And the whole damn world knows that mankind's testicles are full of fortitude. What a chance. And I'll see you in the ring tonight. What? Oh, wait a minute. But make a match, Michaels. Make a final match. Make a match where we've got to have a winner. Make a match. Make your kind of match. Make a ladder match. Come on. Yeah, that's a good idea. All right. Since you're putting me in a real tough spot, and Rock, about knowing my roles, you little nickel and dime chump change, I've had roles you'll never have, little boy. So... If you think you can follow it, you little jabroni. Uh-oh. The commissioner of the World Wrestling Federation, Mankind, I will take the World Wrestling Federation Championship. I will have it hung above this ring. And The Rock and Mankind will fight to see who is the World Wrestling Federation champion. Oh, this is great. Oh, my. I've got just just one other thing. Just one little tidbit. Stone cold, if I may. And that is that you know you're going to WrestleMania. You know you're going to face the champion. But you don't know who the champion's going to be. We'll find that out later tonight. However, we don't know... We do know who the guest referee is going to be in the WWF title match at WrestleMania. And here he comes. No chance, that's what you got. Oh my lord. Yes! Paul guest referee the main event at Wrestlemania 15 <coughs> oh, I didn't think I could hold my breath for that long yeah well worth it though 
So as you heard there, we have some very interesting developments. Tonight, Mankind will put his WWF title on the line against The Rock in a ladder match in what will presumably be the final showdown between these two bitter rivals. The winner goes to the main event of WrestleMania, and the loser is shit out of luck. (laughs) Not only that, but Vince McMahon then informs Stone Cold that no matter who wins the title tonight, there will be a special guest referee for that main event at WrestleMania, and it will be... Paul White, who then comes out from backstage wearing a t-shirt that says, No gimmicks needed, so he's only two days into the WWF, and he's already stealing Chris Candido's nickname. (laughs) So way to go. But anyway, Adam, what did you think of our opening promo that featured six mainstays of the WWF? Stone Cold, The Rock, Mankind, Shawn Michaels, Vince McMahon, and Paul White. Is is Paul White a mainstay at this point? It's been two days. It's been 24 hours. Future Um, mainstays. Yeah. I, uh, the segment itself was great. It did leave me with some questions though. But before that, I did notice when, when McMahon shows up in the neck brace, we get a shot of the three in the ring and Austin is laughing. So I'm wondering if Austin knew that Vince was coming out in a neck brace. Oh yeah. It is a pretty funny fucking visual. Okay. So Vince McMahon is the owner of the World Wrestling Federation. Mm-hmm. but he's outranked by the commissioner when it comes to making matches. Right. But he can assign special referees. Yes. Yeah, it's a, it's very strange. There was a, a promo, I think, in December where when uh, when Vince first appointed the heel commissioner, Shawn Michaels, yeah. he said that Michaels basically had control over everyone except for Stone Cold Steve Austin, and only Vince could control Austin's goings on but clearly here vince has just kind of resigned himself to be like yeah i lost the match last night so austin's definitely in the main event of wrestlemania and there's nothing i can do about it despite (laughs) being the fucking owner of the company next question why why does the rock keep saying as far as for the rock is concerned you don't you don't need the four in there and sean i think it was sean says to the rock i've had roles you've never had yeah what does that mean (laughs) It means that Shawn Michaels was in the resurrection of Gavin Stone, so <laughs> The Rock did not take that role. I can't imagine That's why. Very true. One He's thing in I really the Marine Six. This. Oh, Jesus. Shawn Michaels is? Yes. Oh, God. Yep. That must be a sad sight. So one thing I noticed about this, though, was just how, like, into it the crowd is, because right when Vince comes out, I don't know if you noticed this, but, like, the, one of the first things Vince says to Austin is he wants an apology, yeah. and just him asking for the apology from Austin, you hear the crowd, like, they, they oh, just God. groan Absolutely. so much, they're like, what? No! He, would, he wouldn't do that. It was oh, just so amazing. And uh, there's also another moment, actually, in our opening match that gets a huge crowd reaction <laughs> that I was shocked about, but we'll get to that in a moment, too. I, but, I come to you a humbled man. Yes, that's, which, by the way, is the exact same thing uh, Val Venus said when he got his dick chopped off. That was the, I, I couldn't help but notice that, that that was like the exact same phrasing, but <laughs> probably probably just a coincidence. But yes, so this is actually something I had forgotten about, that Paul White gets appointed to be the referee. I did not remember this yeah. being a thing, because, spoiler alert, it may not be a thing by the time WrestleMania rolls around, but... Um, yeah, it was definitely, definitely interesting, I should say, that, yeah. uh, you know, early on, this is the role that they have for Paul White, you know, one night removed. Not a match, but actually, you know, being a referee. Kind of yeah. surprising, I think. And why would Mankind agree to a ladder match? 
Well, I, that was he's another ma- thing I thought was funny, mankind. too. He's mankind. He's a big, fat fuck. He can't climb a fucking ladder. Yeah, well, initially he doesn't. He's like, can I get seven days? And I was like, who's the heel here in the equation? It's, like, <laughs> that'd be, that's kind of like a heelish thing to do, to be like, I'm not ready to defend my title. I need seven days. It's like the crowd. You're not going to endear yourself to the crowd doing that. Now, obviously, he later does go yeah. back on it and he accepts it. But <laughs> like initially, he was like, I can't compete because my knee hurts. But he does. He gets him back, though. He gets him back with the old Birmingham cheap pop, which becomes a, a, a recurring Mick Foley bit later on. It's the one. It's the one. I think this is my least favorite part of this of this epic feud, and it's, it's kind of a bummer that it happens at the very end. That you go from you know the the absolutely insane I quit match to the absolutely insane last man standing match to ladder match. Well, I, I did like the match though. Yeah. But I, I agree, it's definitely not as epic as the other ones, for sure. But it's like a I bit of a step it. down. It, <laughs> literally. Uh. It's a step down from a ladder. <laughs> Didn't even do that on purpose. Anyways. So anyway, there you go. So we, we do have it set up for tonight. We have a main event ladder match. The Mankind, once again, I should say, defending his WWF title against The Rock. And this time, whoever wins, presumably, does go on to WrestleMania to face Stone Cold. So after a commercial break, we go back into the arena for our first match of the evening, and it is a transgender, pardon me, intergender tag team match, D'Lo Brown and Ivory versus Jeff Jarrett and Alabama native Deborah. And for those scoring at home, yes, this is indeed Deborah's very first match in the WWF. And also for the record, Adam, Ivory is pretty much wearing what basically looks like a purple bra and purple panties. I mean, if this was an evening gown match, she would have lost already. Deborah's not wearing much more. So at the very start of the match, D'Lo runs toward Jarrett in one of the corners right as Deborah is ducking out of the ring. So D'Lo hits the ropes, which causes Deborah to accidentally fall from the ring apron, landing right on her ass on the arena floor. (laughs) And Deborah sells that spot by visibly laughing about it. <laughs> the look on her face pretty much says, it's okay, I'm fine, it's all fake, y'all. Now, the fans tonight came to see Deborah exposing her business, but instead they got to see her exposing the business. So there's a, <laughs> there's a big difference there. So at one point, Jarrett put D'Lo in the figure four, but Ivory ran into the ring and raked Double J's eyes to break it up. And shortly after that, D'Lo hit Jarrett with his low-down frog splash, but Deborah ran into the ring to break up that pinfall. And then, at that point, Ivory entered the ring to confront Deborah. at which point the fans went fucking nuts. Jared holding her back. Oh, yes. Just 
So, as you heard there, once Ivory ran into the ring and attacked Deborah, referee Mike Kyoto apparently was unable to contain all the chaos, so he then <laughs> proceeded to just throw the match out entirely, presumably resulting in a no contest. Mm-hmm. At that point, Dilo was holding Ivory back and Jarrett was holding Deborah back, but somehow Deborah managed to grab Jarrett's guitar <laughs> and she then nailed Ivory right in the back with it. <laughs> Dilo then started attacking Jarrett, so Double J's tag team partner, Owen Hart, ran out from backstage and jumped Dilo from behind. Jarrett, Owen, and Deborah then exited the ring and triumphantly headed backstage as Dilo tended to the fallen ivory. Surprisingly, no appearance from Mark Henry here, despite the fact that his new sex slave just got clobbered with a musical <laughs> instrument. But anyway, Adam, what did you think of our opening match? So, Jeff stops Deborah from using the guitar until the moment that he's okay with Deborah using the guitar, and then he looks shocked that Deborah used the guitar. Yeah. Yeah, it's a bit strange. Why did this happen? This whole segment was fucking pointless. Well, it's the Attitude Era. There's a lot of pointless segments, yeah. I suppose. Hey, at least the crowd liked it. I, I suppose so. I, I couldn't believe how big a, a pop that got when Ivory and Deborah were like rolling around and brawling with each other. I was like... This you're you're this into an Ivory Deborah catfight. That is actually pretty impressive, I have to say. <laughs> but yes, as for a match itself, obviously the match was pretty much nothing. Yeah, no, that's that's a good summation right there. I found it was funny because Mike Kyoto was the referee, and when I was watching Evolution last night, literally Mike Kyoto was the referee for the Becky Charlotte match. Did you notice that? No, I haven't gotten that far in Evolution yet. I'm, okay, well that, that's a great match, through. but he's he's the referee. He actually fucks up a couple counts in that. But I was just I was just kind of amused that like 20 years later, Mike Kyoto, Mike Kyoto still has a job in the WWE. So I thought I thought that was pretty cool. But yeah, in this case, uh, Mike Kyoto just basically says, "I can't possibly contain all this action," and he just <laughs> kind of throws the match out. So yeah, it, it was a bit pointless. And again, I'm really surprised Mark Henry didn't come out because we had D'Lo and we had Owen yeah. Hart run to the ring. But yeah, yeah no. I guess he was still injured from the night before from the guitar hitting his <laughs> that, uh, his knee. Yeah, that handily marked red knee pad. Exactly. Just so you know which one to swing it at. So after that match concludes, we get a quick cut backstage where Paul White is shaking hands with all the members of the corporation, so it appears to now be official he has joined the group. Now remember, in the lead-up to St. Valentine's Day Massacre, Vince McMahon said that no corporation member could interfere or he would fire them all on the spot... But, ah, Paul White was technically not a member of the corporation last night, I assume. So it appears that Vince may have found a loophole. Of course, he still lost the match anyway, but fuck it, whatever. So after a quick commercial break, D-Generation X members Triple H and WWF European champion X-Pac head to the ring. Triple H, by the way, is still accompanied by his braided ponytail for some reason. (laughs) And Hunter grabs a mic and does his usual let's get ready to suck it routine, but then he once again takes the time to address China. In reference to China pinning him last night, Triple H says, quote, You're feeling pretty good about yourself last night, aren't you? After all, I can't blame you. It is the first time you've been on top of a man. So, I guess Hunter is admitting that he preferred to be the one in control during their lovemaking sessions <laughs> then? Not sure why we needed that info, quite frankly, but okay. All missionary and- all the time. <laughs> there you go. And what could be more exciting than that? <laughs> And then Threw to a make things with a hole in it. Oh, I didn't realize they were orthodox. All right, fair. <laughs> and then to make things even classier, Hunter tells China to <sighs> bring that big red retard down to the ring so we can have a rematch from St. Valentine's Day Massacre right now. 
No episode of Raw lately would be complete without someone calling Kane the R-word, so we've now gotten our weekly allotment in. Mm-hmm. But sure enough, that challenge does indeed result in China and Kane emerging from backstage and standing at the, at the top of the ramp along with Shane McMahon, who's holding a microphone. And you know what? Let's just go ahead and pick it up from there. Oh, dear. Triple H, a rematch? What are you guys, out of your mind? It was just last night. Triple H, where it was China who beat you in that very ring. One, two, three. There will be no rematch, oh no. Matter of fact, China, tonight, you did such a great job last night. You have the night off. Ah, what a boss. Uh-oh. Hold on a second, Shane. Hey. Since you said that, I've got a hell of an idea, Shane. Why don't we trade one bitch for another bitch and have you take her place? Whoa! You can't say that on TV. X-Punk, don't get your panties in a bunch just yet. Because everyone knows I can take you, okay? Everybody knows that. So wait a minute. Is that a yes? Is that a yes? Well, I don't have any uh, proper ring attire. Oh, come so what on. you're saying is you're a puss. What? Is that a yes? Yes or no? Is that a yes? I got an idea. Light bulb just went off. I'll tell you what, X-Punk. You put that European gold on the line tonight in a tag match against Kane and myself. I'm interested. And you're on. What? Did what? I hear you say... Put the European title on the line in this tag match. Well, Shane, I ain't got a problem with that. I'll get, I'll put the belt up, and then I'm gonna put my foot straight up your ass, you little bitch. And Shane, one more thing. We got two words for you. So now we know that apparently the best way to coerce Shane McMahon into stepping into the ring is to call him a puss. (laughs) However, Shane does agree to the match, but with one added stipulation, X-Pac must put his European title on the line during the tag match, so presumably if Shane or Kane pin him, either of them would win X-Pac's belt. So Adam, what did you think of this promo, and are you okay with a singles title being contested in a tag team match? (sighs) That, my note says, literally, that DX segment was so Attitude Era, it was almost painful. Yeah, a lot of, uh, a lot of the word bitch. As, yeah, as you mentioned, Big Red Retard, X-Pac saying bitch repeatedly, Hunter calling Shane a puss. Also, doesn't Sean have to make that tag match for the European title, or is it <laughs> only Vince that has to go through Sean? Well, that's a good point, and considering the fact that DX set him up to get destroyed by the corporation a few weeks ago, maybe <laughs> maybe HBK won't go along with that. Hmm. We'll find out, I suppose. I suppose we will. <laughs> I, I thought initially this might be the um, genesis of that classic Attitude Era chant, Shane's a pussy, but maybe because uh, <laughs> because he was only called a puss instead of a pussy, I guess it, not quite, wasn't guess, quite yeah. to be. Almost. So close. Almost, indeed. But yes, so the European title will be on the line 
in a tag match. I'm trying to think if they've ever done something like this before. I know they do one after the fact, because I won't spoil it, but there is a pay-per-view where somebody wins the WWF title in a tag match. Mm. I think that comes in 2000, but I can't remember them doing one where, up to this point, where where a tag match has a singles title contested within it. I don't think so, but... There was one of the in-your-houses, if it was four or five... Oh, uh, yes. Where it was, all the belts are on the line. You know, it was Owen and Yoko versus Sean and Diesel with... right. The tag belts, the world belt, and the intercontinental title on the line. Yes, September and, ninety-five. Yeah, and I do but, feel like it's happened before, but I don't. I don't have any other specifics. That's actually a good call. I totally forgot about that one. I remember the controversy being because Owen was supposed to be in that match, but he didn't show up. So Bulldog, I think, replaced him. Yeah, and then Owen runs out during the match and gets pinned, despite the fact he was not actually in the match. Yeah. And I think that ends up being the the basis and, for overturning it the next yeah, night. And that's how they make it so no titles changed hands. Exactly. So thanks for your uh, 1995 or the In Your House pay-per-view. So that actually is a good call. You're right. They did contest the uh, the world title and the intercontinental title were on the line there. So yeah, good good pull. But we'll see how it turns out tonight when the European title is on the line. Kane and Shane versus Triple H and X-Pac. The Kane and Shane connection. The Kane and Shane connection. So after that DX segment concludes, we then briefly cut backstage where we see your new WWF Intercontinental Champion Val Venus making out with Ryan Shamrock. Clearly, he's still in a celebratory mood. And then after commercial break, in yet another random moment, we see Mankind emerging from below some basement-type area of the building by climbing up a ladder. Yeah, we ca- we ca- I assume it was a commercial break. We just come back from break to a hole in the floor. <laughs> And Mankind climbing. Uh, fucking random as shit. I guess he's just trying to get practice in for how to climb a ladder. Yeah. yeah it wouldn't be the thing I would necessarily think you would need to give yourself reps on, but, you know, <laughs> whatever works. Whatever works for Mankind. It's like when he was getting ready to be the special referee for whatever match it was, and he was just walking around backstage saying one, two, three in different languages <laughs> until, nice. he got, until he got to French, and then it was menage à toi. Yeah. <laughs> I don't remember that at all. Don't remember that's, that at all. that's pretty good. Oh, yeah. At least he got the twa part right, I suppose. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So from there, we go back into the arena. Speaking of, of menage a trois, it is now time for our next match. And surprisingly, it is indeed for the WWF Intercontinental title champion Val Venus, who probably has had a menage a trois or two. <laughs> and he is accompanied, of course, by Ryan Shamrock, facing against challenger badass Billy Gunn. Now, I would say that this is the dumbest unannounced title match of the evening, but holy shit, just wait until we get to what happens on Nitro later on in the podcast. <laughs> As the host of Nitro Mania, Adam, I think you're really going to appreciate that oh one. Oh boy, can't wait. And so, by the way, how disappointing is it to hear the Outlaws theme play, but Billy is the one <laughs> doing the Oh You Didn't Know intro? That was that was my first note. Billy Gunn was never as good at the intro as Road Dog. Also, the in-ring bit, him still doing the bit in the ring... 100% unnecessary. You mean where he comes, where he just grabs a mic and says, If you're not down with sucking it, you're going to suck it. Then you can suck it, yeah. But the, the fact that he's doing the, oh, you didn't know, and then also does that in the ring, it's like, all right, relax. You don't you don't need to do both. Right. Relax. So uh, I guess what we're saying is we hope that the road dog recovers from that ear injury very soon. <laughs> yes. And also, of course, an- another thing that annoys me about Billy Gunn is that he's wearing his eyebrow ring while he's wrestling. And I'm pretty sure I've mentioned this before. But it kind of pisses me off when wrestlers sort of wear jewelry during their matches, because really, your opponent should just be ripping that shit yeah, right, right out in two seconds. But, Talk, you know. Just ask Randy Orton. 
I, oh God! Didn't he? Didn't he like finger Jeff Hardy's ear or something like that? Repeatedly. That sounds hot. <laughs> so, random side note, Adam. Right before the match begins, when referee Teddy Long is holding up the Intercontinental Title for the crowd, they do a quick cut to Billy Gunn, and you can see him looking off into the audience, and he angrily just blurts out, "Jesus Christ!" <laughs> now, I have no idea what was going on there, but apparently, someone in the crowd made Mr. Ass a bit upset. Did <laughs> you notice that? I, I somehow missed that. Yeah. So, good stuff. I don't know what it was, but I guess he was a little bit miffed. So, early on in the match, Val busted out a new uh, move that I've never seen him do before. So, essentially, he reached into his tights and simulated pulling out his dick. He then basically pretended that his right arm was the big Valbowski, and he let it drop limply right between his legs. But then, Val slapped his arm with his other hand, essentially making his arm dick erect. And from there, he punched Billy Gunn in the face. So, so yeah, there you go. Val Venus is now pretending to punch people with his massive schlong. So, do with that information what you will. Val Venus, the original professional dick wrestler. <laughs> that's, that's exactly. Ahead of uh, Joey Ryan, I yep. guess. Yep. And then, literally a couple seconds after Val does that, you can noticeably hear referee Teddy Long tell him to go home. So clearly, <laughs> clearly we're not in for a lengthy match tonight. And indeed, just, go home gotta, they do. I just gotta get the dick punch in. I just gotta get the dick punch in. Yes. And indeed, go home they do, as Billy goes on the offensive, knocking Val to the canvas, and he then proceeds to taunt Ryan Shamrock with some crotch chops. And that would be Ryan's cue to walk up onto the ring apron, but unfortunately that doesn't work out too well for her. Why? Because Billy then charges at Val, but he moves out of the way and shoves Billy toward the side of the ring where Ryan is now standing. The impact of Billy hitting the ropes then causes Ryan to fall to the floor, and Mr. Ass stops for a second because he appears concerned for her, even though he was just tauntingly thrusting his crotch in her direction a few seconds prior. S However, su suck my dick! Suck my- Oh my god, are you going to be able to suck my dick? <laughs> yeah. That's pretty much how it went down, actually, yeah. <laughs> but of course, that distraction allows Val to sneak up on Billy, grab him by the waist, and hit him with a German suplex, and that was enough to score the one, the two, and the three. Your winner, and still WWF Intercontinental Champion, Val Venus. And after the match, Ryan is holding her ankle, so Billy goes over to check on her, but Teddy Long tells Mr. Ass to leave her alone and head backstage. And by the way, when it comes to selling her injury, Ryan Shamrock is probably one of the worst actresses in wrestling history. What? And that's Yeah, and that that's really saying something because there've been quite a few. Cuz this show also has Deborah. <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> but and anyway, I just want you to know that I am really concerned about that. I fell off the ring apron, but it's all fake. It's all right, y'all. <laughs> So yes, Ryan then does eventually get up from the floor and walk into the ring, where Val is now holding a microphone. So Ryan appears to tell Val, we won, but the Intercontinental Champion has something to say about that. Well, she helped Val win the title last night. We... We did this? Honey... The last time I checked, this belt only went around one waist. What I'm trying to say is this, baby. It's been real. In fact, it's been good. But it hasn't been real good. Kick it to the curb, sweetheart, because the big Balboski is on a rocket to the top. Is he dumping her? 
And there ain't no more room on this ride for you. Yes! Val Venus just dumped Ryan Shamrock. What a jerk. What do you mean, what a jerk? That's a man's man right there. A man's man. Ryan Shamrock helped him win the damn Intercontinental Championship last night. And now he dumps her after he helped him win again tonight. Come on, women like her. Dime a dozen. Give me a break. That's his MO. Pops him and leaves a Val Venus. A real man's man. So there you have it, much like he did to Mrs. Yamaguchi-san and Terry Runnels, Val has now dumped yet another woman when he had no more use for her. In fairness, though, when you get involved with a porn star, you should probably know going in that it may be tough to keep him tied down. (laughs) It may seem all right at first, but pretty soon he'll be saying, Goodbye, ladies. But anyway, Adam, what did you think of Val versus Billy and Val's subsequent dumping of Ryan Shamrock? I, I honestly don't remember Val Venus's Intercontinental title reign that much. Me neither. I, I vaguely recall this dumping happening. Uh, so I was honestly expecting a title change going into this match. Kind of disappointed that it didn't happen. I also noticed that despite us now being firmly in Scratch Logo territory, given that you know we're coming up on WrestleMania 14, uh, 15 and the Scratch Logo was introduced at WrestleMania 14, they're still using the original Attitude Era Intercontinental belt with the block logo in the middle and no, no nameplate. Oh, I didn't notice that. Um, also, you haven't gotten to it yet because uh, when Ken Shamrock comes down, shouldn't Shamrock attack Val for dumping his sister and not that's actually, Billy Gunn backstage? That's, I do make that note as yeah, well, actually. Okay. Yeah. But uh, yeah, as for the match itself, I actually like the match. It, of course, it's the Attitude Era, so it got like maybe three minutes. And there was a dick action, punch. There was a dick punch, yes. There was an arm being used as a dick and then that Super arm dick punch. Super dick punch! I don't know if he makes that a recurring thing, but... I don't think so. I don't don't remember that ever happening again. Can't imagine why. (laughs) But honestly, I think actually this this short match was obviously much more enjoyable than the very lengthy match that Val Venus and uh, Ken Shamrock had the night before. I'm now just picturing some road agent or some producer taking him aside backstage and just going, please don't, just don't ever do that again. Yeah. Let's not make that a recurring thing. <laughs> it actually reminds me of when Val debuted. I think it might have been his debut match, like before he went to the top rope to deliver the money shot. Yeah. On each on each hand, he held up two fingers, like almost like a peace sign, but it was basically to show VV. Yeah. So it's kind of like you know maybe maybe don't do that one anymore either. Mm-hmm. So alas, Val. But yes, so Ryan Shamrock has been dumped. I kind of wish this would be the end for her because, like I was saying, she just is very, very bad at acting yeah. so far. Like, she just cannot emote. I'm pretty sure there is one more very famous moment we get with Ryan Shamrock, but I'm not going to spoil that, but that's that's good stuff. Although, not looking back on it now, I'm wondering if she messes up that segment too with her terrible acting. I guess we'll see. But uh, yeah, Val Venus, still the Intercontinental Champion. And like you, I, again, I don't have any recollection of Val's Intercontinental title reign. And I don't know if he makes it to WrestleMania with the belt, but I guess we'll see. I guess so. We got we got six weeks to go, so a lot can happen in six weeks. So I will be surprised along with you, basically. Yeah. Yay. Yeah. So after that segment concludes, we get a quick cut backstage where The Undertaker is leading the Ministry of Jobbers through the halls, presumably to the ring. No sight of the big boss man with them, though. I wonder what that's all about. (laughs) But before we get into that nonsense, like you said, after commercial break, we cut backstage to see Billy Gunn consoling Ryan Shamrock, and once again, she's a terrible actress. But of course... Like you also mentioned, Ken Shamrock then shows up out of nowhere and starts beating the crap out of Billy Gunn, even though 
he probably should be attacking Val Venus since Val literally just humiliated his sister. <laughs> but, you know, maybe actually maybe Ken Shamrock is just uh, maybe he's just happy that Ryan will no longer have anything to do with Val Venus. So but he's he's worried now about Billy Gunn moving in on the territory. So you got to cut that off at the pass. I guess so. Thankfully, I don't think we ever get a Billy Gunn, Ryan Shamrock romance. I'm I'm really hoping that doesn't become a thing. Mm-hmm. And from there, we cut back into the arena where, yes, The Undertaker's music plays and the entire Ministry of Darkness heads to the ring. I have to say, though, Adam, the visual of The Undertaker wearing his black robe and walking through a cloud of smoke while they put a spotlight on him as he walks down the ramp, I thought that looked pretty fucking badass, in my humble opinion. Oh, yeah. Ministry Taker's entrance was always awesome. The rest of the ministry. Ministry Taker, his entrance was was pretty good. I, I love Paul Bearer's first line here. Yes, it's about, uh, what does he say? You don't hear much from the fat man. So you know, if I have something to say, it better be important. Exactly. He just calls but, himself uh, the fat man. Calls himself the fat man, yeah. But, uh, so yeah, once the ministry gets to the ring, actually Michael Cole on commentary tells us that the big boss man escaped last oh. night. So okay. somehow, somehow nine guys weren't able to hold on to one guy. So now the ministry is even jobbing off camera, apparently. <laughs> It's and almost course, like I when they to... got back to Gorilla and put him down, he was able to walk away. Exactly. But of course, that begs the question, if they were just going to carry the boss man out and then he escapes, what was the point of doing the angle in the first place? Just a question. Oh, so, yes. we'll, we'll get to WrestleMania. In time, my friend, in time. I, oh, yes. You know, that's, that's quite the payoff. Ugh. So as you said, the first man to speak is indeed Paul Bear. By the way, though, Adam, as a reminder, we're in Alabama tonight, which is, of course, Paul Bear's home state. So their native son has finally returned home. (laughs) I guess that's why he gets to speak. I guess so. So, yes, Bear speaks first, followed by The Undertaker. And surprisingly, they're calling out someone you may not expect. Federation will belong to me. What? One by one, they will all fall before my ministry. Last night, the boss man received just a small sample of the power I possess. Last night, boss man, we let you go. Next time, you won't be so lucky. What we did, Mr. McMahon, is we went to the heart and soul of your corporation and we took him out. Just to let you know that we can take anybody anytime we desire. And there's not a damn thing that you can do about it. This is creepy. Now, I'm sure you're asking yourself, Mr. McMahon, 
How can I be so confident? How can I succeed where all others have failed? It's simple. I own the key to your heart and your soul. While you were preoccupied with your petty obsessions, I have amassed an army, an army that will destroy you and your corporation. Each soul that we take, we take in the name of a far greater power than even myself. And in that power's name, in its grandest vision, in its grandest dream, and in my ministry's destiny, I will own the World Wrestling Federation. This could be the ultimate hostile takeover. Uh-oh, big boss man. You want some of me? You want some of the big boss man? <laughs> I don't think so. I'm not hard to find. You've got aspirations. Taking over the corporation. <laughs> no way, pal. Bottom line is, if you've got the guts, let's get it started here tonight. Any three of you punks against me, two of my guys, <laughs> tonight. You know what I mean? Undertaker, it's just a matter of time, punk. I'm going to stick my foot up your dead ass. Oh, the big boss man has laid down a challenge. You know... You should be more careful what you ask for. So there you have it. The Undertaker is looking to somehow take over the WWF from Vince McMahon, but the big boss man is willing to stand up for the uh, actual big boss man. (laughs) Tonight, it will be three members of the corporation taking on three members of the ministry. So Adam, what are your thoughts on this segment and the notion of the two biggest heel stables on the roster beginning a feud <laughs> with each other? Well, well, golly, now Vince McMahon doesn't only have to worry about Ted Turner and them wrestlers down south. Now he's got to worry about The Undertaker and nine jobbers. That's right. <laughs> Some, somehow taking over his company. Yeah. From within, even though he's the one who signs their paycheck? I don't know, whatever. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's the, it's no, the it, attitude error. It doesn't need to make sense. Yeah. Well, in terms of just having the corporation and the ministry feud with each other, that doesn't seem to make a lot of sense because these are <laughs> supposed to be like two of the, the two most hated heel factions on the roster. And now it's like, well, if they go head to head, the fans will care. I guess <laughs> there's, there's no real reason for them to care. Oh, they'll have to boo someone, pal. Well, or they could just chant boring like they did for, <laughs> for Bossman versus Midian the night before. Mm. So I guess in that case, the fans don't give a shit. But clearly, clearly they're already all in on the corporation ministry feud. Because oh, yeah. despite the negative reaction to that match last night, they're plowing ahead with it. We are going to get a corporate ministry feud. Mm. Yeah, that'll never stick. But yes, so somehow The Undertaker and the ministry are looking to become the new owners or maybe it's a a metaphorical takeover i guess we'll see but uh, later on tonight we will have a six-man corporate versus ministry match well the devil went up to stanford he was looking for a company to steal (laughs) nice 
what, what the devil could go down to Georgia and take over WCW. That's, <laughs> I mean, he was that's already where they're there. Based. That's fair. That's a fair point. Ted Turner sold his soul to the devil a long time ago. <laughs> and the devil's so, name is Jane Fonda. Yes, indeed. <laughs> Worth it. So after another commercial break, it is now time for our tag team match. Triple H and WWF European champion X-Pac versus Kane and Shane McMahon, who are accompanied by China. And yes, of course, X-Pac's European title is somehow on the line in this match. Now, Adam, I assume you noticed the video error on the Titantron when DX came to the ring? I didn't. Okay. Well, basically what happens is, so Kane and Shane come out first yeah. to Kane's theme song and his accompanying Titantron video. But then when it was time for DX to come out, they started playing their music, but it was still showing Kane's Titantron <laughs> video. So it was basically, instead of like the uh, seizure-inducing back and forth, it was like, break it down with a bunch of like red clouds on the screen. <laughs> so wow, It looked I'm... quite bizarre. I think I was still trying to find pictures of the, the original Attitude Era Intercontinental title at that part. I must have missed that. Oh, there you go. There you go. So anyway, at the start of the match, Kane knocked Triple H to the ground and tagged in Shane. But then, when Hunter got back to his feet, Shane amusingly just ran right back out of the <laughs> ring and tagged Kane back in. Probably the right move. And shortly after that, Hunter and X-Pac basically did a sort of high-low move, where X-Pac hit Kane with a spinning heel kick right as Hunter clipped Kane's knee. X-Pac then went to pin Kane O'Mac, but... Kane shoved X-Pac off of him and right through the top and middle ropes down to the floor. And that actually caused the crowd to gasp a little bit, and rightfully so, because it looked awesome. <laughs> so Shane then took that opportunity to get in a few shots on X-Pac until Pac started chasing him around the ring, but China then nailed X-Pac with a clothesline. Back in the ring, Shane then mounted X-Pac and started hitting him with some punches, and, well, one thing which has been consistent over the years, Shane's punches have always looked like shit. <laughs> And shortly after that, we got another awesome spot where X-Pac worked over Shane in the corner and knocked him down to the ground in perfect position for the Bronco Buster. X-Pac then got a running start and jumped, but Kane grabbed X-Pac by the throat from the ring apron and threw him backwards. I thought that was really cool. Yeah, no, that was a great spot. And yes, from there, Triple H and Kane then started brawling on the arena floor, and referee Earl Hebner exited the ring to try and separate them. <laughs> and while that was going on, here is what happened. Back in the ring. Hey, China! China has given Shane the European Championship! X-Pac doesn't know what's going on! Shane clocks X-Pac! X-Pac is out! The referee is up with Triple H and K! So, yes, as you heard there, with referee Earl Hebner preoccupied, China grabbed the European title and handed it to Shane McMahon. From there, Shane nailed X-Pac in the head with it and covered him, and after a delay of almost 10 seconds, <laughs> Earl Hebner finally got his ass back into the ring, where he counted the one, the two, and the three. Your winners are Kane and Shane, and by virtue of pinning X-Pac, yes, believe it or not, Shane McMahon is now your new 
WWF European Champion. And so, much like Ken Shamrock, who had also held his title since October, X-Pac's reign with the European Championship comes to a close after just about four months. And once again, the corporation gets the better of D-Generation X. So Adam, what did you think of this match, and are you okay with a non-wrestler holding a wrestling title? I I was honestly hoping that this was the match where Shane won the, the European title. Just because it's the European Championship, so who gives a flying fuck? <laughs> um, I, but I didn't think that DX would take would take the pin two nights in a row. So I am uh, I am not disappointed that that is what happened. I I thought the match was was fine. I mean that the they had this thing where it's like we we, we don't want to do a ref bump, but we need to get the ref to not see what happens. So let's just make the ref look like a total fucking moron. Yes, the exact and, same thing happened at the pay-per-view match the night before yeah. when it was uh, DX versus Kane and Shane. Yeah. yeah, the referee just ran down the aisle. Oh, come back! But I, I, I have no issue with this. I, this, this of course leads us uh, further on down the line back to Naked Midian. But uh, I mean, it's you know. But now, so far tonight, we've had uh, an Intercontinental title match. We've had a European title match. There's a WWF title match later on. Are we also gonna have a tag title match and a women's title match tonight? Can we just get them Unless, all out of the way? That, that would be kind of nice. It basically would be a pay-per-view. But, uh, well, we do get your your tag team champions were in the first match, kind of. They both appeared. And, uh, spoiler alert, we do get your women's champion later on tonight in quite the eventful I, segment. Yeah, and we're about to have a hardcore title match, though. So. Oh, yeah, and the hardcore title match. There you go. So pretty much all the belts are being represented. But, yes, I agree with you on the fact that, like, this match, I thought, again, it, it's short. It's probably about, you know, four or five minutes. But a lot of fun, some really great spots packed into that short amount of time, particularly Kane, you know, boosting X-Pac essentially out of the ring when yeah. he does the when he tries to pin him. Uh, when Pac tries to pin him, I should say, he just like kind of presses him. And we've seen that spot before where somebody like presses the guy off of him during a pinfall, but they just kind of land on the mat. But yeah, in this I mean, case, that's he got, shoots him out of the it's ring. It's what got Macho Man eliminated from the Royal Rumble. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. Fucking one of the dumbest moments ever. Stupid. And then, yes, when uh, Xbox goes for the Bronco Buster and Kane just grabs him by the throat in midair yeah. and chucks him backwards. No, that was great. Awesome I love that. Absolutely. So I remember, actually, I do have a, a memory of, I, I didn't remember it was this match, but I do remember when Shane won the European title back in 99. I was kind of pissed off about that because at the time... Because you're a mark? Pretty much, yeah. Because <laughs> I was like, I was like, he's not even a wrestler. And, you know, it's the European title obviously was not too prestigious at the time. But up to this point, I think only five guys had held the belt. And a lot of them were pretty, you know, prestigious guys like Triple H, Owen Hart, uh, maybe made, not so much D-Lo. They made really good cheeseburgers. Who made cheeseburgers? The, the Five Guys. Oh, The Five Guys. Yes. Gotcha. <laughs> yes, the, ooh, I wish there was a Five Guys title. I could, probably, <laughs> I could probably win that belt. But yeah, so I don't know. I remember at the time being pissed off just to be like, oh, God. You know, it also, I kind of thought it was like sort of like nepotism, too, where I was like, yeah, Vince's son wins a title belt, you know? <laughs> In retrospect, you know, because uh, we didn't know at the time that Shane McMahon would actually go on to be somewhat of a wrestler. Yeah. Uh, I, that's kind I, of liberal use of that. I yearn for the days. I long for the days when I was just a stupid fucking Mark and <laughs> didn't have such ready access to the Internet to fucking ruin everything. Of course, of course. But, you know, in retrospect, I'm okay with Shane winning the title because, as you said, the European title never really does go on to be a very prestigious belt, you know. It's it's definitely one of the lower tier belts. For a time, it seemed like they were trying to make the European title something, 
Because, you know, you had, oh, Shawn Michaels, he was another guy who called it, Shawn Michaels, yeah. Triple H, Owen Hart. But pretty soon it, it becomes pretty, pretty lower tier. Yeah. So, but yes, I'm, I am totally in retrospect. The match was really fun and I'm okay with Shane winning the title. I don't know, to be honest with you, how long he has it for, but I guess we'll find out on the, on the road to WrestleMania and post WrestleMania. <laughs> we, we shall see. So after commercial break, we get a quick cut backstage where Shane is celebrating his title victory with the corporation. Briscoe then pours champagne on Shane's head, but for some reason, Shane appears to be drinking wine instead of champagne, <laughs> and he then pours some of that celebratory wine on top of Kane's head, which I imagine would be kind of gross. <laughs> so Kevin Kelly then asks Shane what's next, and of course, we get a parody of the famous Disneyland commercials, and Shane says, quote, I'm going to WrestleMania! <laughs> pretty pretty funny moment yeah. there. Yeah. And then we go back into the arena for our next match, and it is for the WWF Hardcore title. As you mentioned, champion Bob Holly versus challenger Steve Blackman. And as a reminder, much like Deborah and Paul Bearer, Bob Holly is also an Alabama native, so clearly, clearly the Yellowhammer state is well represented tonight. I had to look up the state nickname, and I learned what a Yellowhammer is. Okay, is it a bug of some kind? It's a woodpecker. Oh, of course it is. Exactly. You know, Yellow Hammer and Woodpecker both sound like they could be dick references, but in this case, they are not. The hammer is my penis. Was that was that where uh, Greg Valentine's nickname came from? <laughs> That's possible. Yeah. If there's one wrestler you know whose penis they, you probably don't want to see, it's probably Greg Valentine's. You know what they say, anything can happen in the World Wrestling Federation. That's that's right. Uh, except Greg Valentine showing his dick, hopefully. <laughs> let's Let's not make that a thing. So amusingly, when Steve Blackman emerges from backstage... Holly just runs up the aisle and starts fighting him at the top of the ramp because, hey, he's hardcore. I love Michael Cole's and, reaction to that. Well, I guess we're going to start in the aisle. Should be used to that by now, I think. I mean, basically, you know, wrestling rings are kind of for, for losers, right? <laughs> That's what your grandpappy likes is wrestling action in a wrestling ring. This is the hardcore division, folks. So, yes, they start brawling on the stage. And then, of course, they just go backstage. And unfortunately, it appears that they're having a bit of trouble cutting to the backstage camera, which leads to a whole 21 seconds of the arena camera being focused on the now empty stage area, <laughs> riveting television. Tell them not to go outside yet. Yeah. But they do actually go backstage after a little while where Holly and Blackman are brawling with each other. And yet again, Michael Cole references Holly's past gimmick of Sparky Plug, which Jerry Lawler doubles down on by saying, that's Thurman Sparky Plug to you. So memo to the commentary team. If you want us to forget his past shitty gimmick, <laughs> stop referencing his past shitty gimmick. <laughs> if Michael Cole had been the lead play-by-play -play guy in 1998, I feel like he would have been saying, if Stone Cold Steve Austin beats Shawn Michaels here on the main event of WrestleMania 14, it'll go a long way toward making fans forget about when he was the ringmaster. Yeah. Brilliant. It's like, we, it's like we talked about last night, where they talked about uh, many and formerly known as Dennis Knight, and whatever it was, completely not at all mentioning Phineas I. Godwin. Yeah, well, let's not. Yeah, exactly. Let's not. No more new generation referencing. <laughs> it is hereby it is hereby banned in the Attitude Era. So just like last night, Bob Holly once again wants to take this fight outside, and so they do. At one point, Blackman and Holly are fighting on top of what looks like one of those stretcher carts they occasionally have to drive out during football games when someone gets injured. <laughs> and from there, Blackman nails Holly with a bicycle kick, which causes the hardcore champion to go flying into a dumpster. However, before Blackman could capitalize on his advantage, Darren Drozdov showed up out of nowhere and hit Blackman with, uh, some giant piece of metal equipment. 
Now, remember that last week, Draws was beating up Kevin Kelly, and Blackman unfortunately came to Kelly's rescue, so clearly, Draws was none too pleased about that. But anyway, Holly then covered Blackman in the parking lot area. Referee Jimmy Corderas made the count, and yes, that was enough to secure the victory. Your winner, and still WWF Hardcore Champion, Thurman Sparky Plug. Oh, sorry, no, sorry. I mean, Bob Holly, Bob Holly, sorry. And then, as we discussed in part one, as is the custom for hardcore title matches, when someone wins backstage, they must then run <laughs> all the way back into the arena so they can celebrate in the ring. And that is indeed what Holly does once again. However, this time he grabs a microphone and says he's going to make this short and sweet, which, by the way, is exactly how Billy Gunn began his pre-match promo earlier tonight. <laughs> so clearly Bob Holly is learning from the best on the mic. And actually, you know what? I might as well go ahead and play his promo for you here as well, because it leads to something rather interesting happening. Yeah. Once again, Bob Holly has proved himself. I'm going to make this short and sweet. You know, ever since I've been here in the WWF, they gave me lousy gimmicks, goofy ass names. What? And weak, and I'm talking about weak tag team partners. You know, this is about Bob Holly now, and this right here is what Bob Holly's all about. And believe me, Bob Holly is hardcore. And with that, I'm issuing a challenge to anybody out there who wants a shot at my hardcore title. So bring it on! So Bob Holly with an open challenge to put the hardcore title on the line. And whoa, 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 whoa. What in the hell do you mean, weak-ass tag team partners, pal? That's Bart Gunn, You forget about me? Former partner of Bob Holly. Oh, no. Believe me, I didn't forget about you because... I'm the only one that your ass could not knock out in that brawl for all, boy. Well, he's got a point there. Bart Gunn, the winner of the brawl for all, and he didn't knock out Bob Holly. Well, Bob Holly, with that in mind, how about we take care of it next week on Raw? And I'll take that hardcore title from you, pal. Bring it on, baby, because I'm going to show you and everybody else what an Alabama ass kick is all about. Brother, you got it, too. So Bob Holly, the hardcore champion, will meet Bart Gunn next week on Raw for the hardcore title. He's hardcore Holly. So yes, Bob Holly cuts a quasi-shoot promo <laughs> where he says that the WWF saddled him with bad gimmicks and weak tag team partners, which brings out his former new Midnight Express tag team <laughs> partner, Bart Gunn. Now, Adam, as you recall, Bart Gunn won the Brawl for All on the August 24th, 1998 episode of Raw, the go-home show before SummerSlam, and this is literally the first time he's been on Raw since then. The guy straight up knocks out three dudes and looks like a total badass, and you keep him on ice for six fucking months. I don't want to hear creative had nothing for him. You mean to tell me they can't at least build off of that and make him a threat to the European title at minimum? Bull. Shit. I don't want to say it's because he knocked out JR's boy, but I'll just assume yeah. it's because he knocked out JR's boy. I would agree with that. Yes. 
But anyway, so what? actually what Bob Hawley says in his promo is the truth, because Bart Gunn did knock out Dr. Death, Steve Williams, The Godfather, and Bradshaw in the Brawl for All, but his fight with Bob Hawley went to a judge's decision, so Hawley was indeed the one man in the tournament who Bart Gunn couldn't knock out. And next week, Hawley will put his hardcore title on the line against Bart to determine who exactly was the stronger half of their tag team. And of course... Looking forward to that. Yeah. But of course, I would be remiss if I didn't point out Jerry Lawler's line at the end of that clip I played, where he referred to Bob as Hardcore Holly. Hmm. I wonder if that'll catch on. Hmm. Seems to have a nice ring to it. So, Adam, what do you think of the... Let me thumb and forefinger my chin and think about it for a moment. Yes. Hmm. Stroke that beard. (laughs) So, what did you think of the Hardcore title match and the subsequent confrontation between Holly and Bart Gunn? Uh, last night's match was to me more enjoyable than tonight's match, probably because of Steve Blackman. The only the only real note that I took was, did Draws just attack Blackman with a giant hash pipe? What the fuck was that thing? Yeah, it looked like I don't even know what it looked like. It was it kind of was like a um, I, I don't even fucking know what it was. It was it's, just a big piece of metal equipment that he swung at him. Enormous. I don't know if it was it's like a tire iron for like a semi trailer or some huge like. Some huge tired vehicle. I don't fucking know. It was yes. whatever it was. It looked like a fucking bowl that you would it smoke. It was pot cartoonishly out of. large. Yes. Yeah, it, r- ridiculous. My, one of my first thoughts was when Bart Gunn comes out, he's wearing like the WWF attitude shirt, <laughs> which is the sure sign, the sure sign that you're a jobber. Yeah. You know, more, more on brawl for all in, in just a moment. Yes, that's right. Oh, we will get into that. Yes. <laughs> But yeah, so the new Midnight Express powers explode here on Monday Night Raw. <laughs> Bombastic. But, yeah. Bodacious, but only one can survive. Yeah, who will be the hardcore champion after <laughs> next week? Spoiler yeah, alert: it's, it's it's not the bombastic, or is it? Which one was that? I can never remember which one was which. <laughs> but so you can't even spoil yourself because you don't know who the nicknames were. <laughs> I think it was I think bombastic Bob and bodacious Bart. See, I think it's the other way around. Yeah, I think it was bodacious Bob and bombastic Bart. Anyway, yeah, who how can we, how cares? I was gonna say, how can we forget such an awesome gimmick? <laughs> But yes, so next week, Bart Gunn finally returns to the ring after a fucking six-month absence. (laughs) I really do think it is inexcusable that the guy, they have a tough man tournament, and obviously the goal of the tournament was presumably to build someone up as a legitimate threat. Yeah, Steve Williams. Right, exactly. But I would assume whoever wins, you want to give that guy a push because he just made himself look like a complete fucking badass. Nope, fuck you, Steve Williams. Yeah, fuck fuck you for knocking out Steve Williams, making Dr. Death look like a bitch. So, yeah. But anyway, after a commercial break, Kevin Kelly is in the ring, (sighs) and he introduces us to your WWF women's champion, Sable. And Sable has a few things to say, so am I going to play her promo for you? Please don't. Please don't. Actually, I'm going to have to, because it marks a bit of a turn for Sable, I would say. So, So take a listen to what Sable has to say. That's right, Kevin. They're beating my door down, and I don't get a moment's peace. Well, of course, you'll be gracing the cover of Playboy. That's right, Kevin. Yours truly will be gracing the cover of Playboy magazine, which hits newsstands March 8th. Woohoo! 
And of course, I know there's so many. And of course, I will be appearing on the cover of TV Guide in Raw Magazine. And this Thursday, I will be appearing on Regis and Kathy Lee. And of course, there's the movie offers and the television series, and the list just goes on. Well, it seems as if you really are everywhere. Well, Kevin, it seems as if everyone wants Sable. She appeared in my dream last night. But of course, that would not be possible if it weren't for all of you. And for that, I love each and every one of you. I think she means it. Wait a minute. Right, look at this. Well, hold her back. Somebody just ran into the ranks. Okay, let her go. Well, King, I mean, we've seen her before. Yeah, we've seen her before. Okay, let her go. As a matter of okay. fact, that's the fan who was involved in the strap match at the Royal Rumble. I love you so much. You. you harassing me don't you get it you can never be like me you're just a wannabe just like all of them now get her out of here wow security going to escort this fan out of the ring and king i'm a bit taken aback here I didn't say was having her arrested. King, I've never ever seen Sable act like this before. A new demeanor for Sable. I barely recognize that attitude, but I like it. A new attitude for Sable. A new demeanor. What's going on? Alright, Henry, who's worse on the mic? Sable or Deborah? Yeah, <laughs> that's a that's a tough call. <laughs> I'll I'll have to say Deborah is worse because I don't think you could trust her to actually do a full like two minute promo like Sable does here. <laughs> I've seen I've seen the attempt. It's not good. But watch well, on that note. So Adam, as you probably heard me discuss on the Raw Attitude podcast recently, the prevailing notion backstage at this point in time is that Sable is starting to become a bit difficult to work with. And as I mentioned, no. she even asked for her release. Yes, that's true. <laughs> she even asked for her release from the WWF recently. And in addition to that, last on the last episode of this show, I played a clip at the end of the show from a talk show on TSN where Sable flat out accuses China of taking steroids, <laughs> yeah. which which I'm sure probably didn't endear her to many people in the company. Uh-huh. And so I guess what I'm assuming from this Sable promo is that now they're trying to portray Sable as a bit of an egocentric uh. heel to play off how she comes across backstage, maybe. I'm, I'm thinking that might be part of her logic. It was so but, it was so bizarre because she talks like a heel, but then, says, then, then thanks the crowd and tells them that she loves all of them. But then exactly. a little further on, and then Tori comes out and... Ugh, just uh, calling the fans wannabes, which no one seemed to hear. And then Michael right. Cole trying his best to sell this heel turn as if anybody gives a shit. The Sable super fan, Tori, if you will. We've spoiled it on the show before. It's Tori. Not not the good Tori, the T-O-R-I Tori. <laughs> is there, not, is there not a Tory good Tori? Yeah, Tori Wilson, who, by the way, also made an appearance at Evolution last night. But yes, yeah, so, so Tori basically interrupts to tell Sable how much she loves her, to which Sable shot her down by saying she's just another wannabe, which is kind of harsh considering the fact that Tori helped her retain her women's title at the Rumble a few weeks ago. So Sable then has security arrest her. No, making no, her look... let her go. Let her talk. No, let, let her talk. Yeah. 
And yep, I guess that the point yeah. is to make Sable look like even more of a heel. Although I have to say, it's pretty funny to see how backwards the booking here, because <laughs> the booking is here, I should say, because essentially a crazy fan has been running into the ring all across the country and trying to get to Sable, and yet now they're portraying the fan as the sympathetic <laughs> one in this scenario. So just remember that, kids. If you uh, run into the ring during a match, you're the good guy. You, you're the good guy. The WWF will consider you to be the good guy. <laughs> But I'm, I'm guessing you weren't a fan of Sable's uh, presumed heel turn here? I think you could have stopped that. Weren't a fan of Sable, but yeah. Never never a Sable fan? Not really. Not, honestly. Not even for uh, purely carnal purposes? <laughs> Would you stop it? Fair enough. <laughs> but so my one of the things that I've noticed going back on the Raw Attitude podcast and watching all these episodes of Raw... Sable, in my memory, was a huge part of the Attitude Era, and she was, like, a huge part of Raw every week. That is not the case at all. <laughs> if you watch, like, since this past summer, pretty much, like, you know, Fully Loaded, she had the big moment. But, like, pretty much right after Fully Loaded, she is pretty minimal on Raw. Like, she has been off TV for, like, many, many weeks at a time. She's probably, I would say, if you go back to August which is, I guess, what, about six months? She's probably only on about a third of the episodes of Raw since August. Like, I don't know if this is just a function of people thinking she's difficult and they don't want to put her on TV or whatever the hell the reason is, but she's missing from a lot of these Raws, and now they've obviously brought her back and kind of given her a heel turn. But yeah, it's it's just kind of funny to see, like, you know, in my recollection, Sable was, like, you know, one of the big names in the Attitude Era, and I guess she still is, obviously, but, like, she is, she's missing for a fair portion of the Attitude Era so far, so. What a, what a, kind of, what a fucking tragedy. I, I know, yes. What a shame. But, yeah, so I guess we'll see where Sable's new, new attitude goes. Mm. Hopefully it's not too much of a grind. Yeah, you get, you get that? No? Okay. Stop. <laughs> so after a commercial break, we go back into the arena for our six-man tag team match, Ministry of Darkness members The Acolytes and Midian versus Corporation members The Big Boss Man, Ken Shamrock, and Test, who is still wearing his Guns Don't Kill People, I Kill People <laughs> shirt. Stop it. Uh... And I have to say, though, I was a bit bummed when I saw that the members of the Ministry Wrestling would be the Acolytes and Midian. I was kind of hoping they'd put the brood out there, but alas. Yeah, and, the, the actual three-man faction within the Ministry. All right. Right. The actual three guys who can wrestle mm. in the Ministry. Well, maybe not Gangrel, <laughs> but, but you get the idea. And before the match begins, they show Butterbean <laughs> in the front row of the crowd, and Michael Cole then informs us, quote, There's a hot rumor flying around that Butterbean wants to fight Bart Gunn in a Brawl for All match. And that's rather timely considering, hey, wouldn't you know it, Bart Gunn just so happened huh? to return to Raw on this very night. How lucky. How lucky we were. What good fortune. Yeah, please. Like there's any truth. Like they would do Brawl for All at WrestleMania. Come on. It's ridiculous. It was such Bart a Gunn, huge failure. It's, yeah, I mean, and obviously <sighs> Bart Gunn would kick his ass. So there's no way. There's no way they'd do that. Actually, a fun fact for you, Adam. Do you recall that Butterbean has actually already done a match in the WWF? When you mentioned it, it sounds vaguely familiar. Yeah, it's it's easy to forget. I'll give you that. But Butterbean did indeed face Mark Merrow in a quote-unquote tough oh man match. Oh my god, that's right. Yep, at Degeneration X in your house in December of 97. It was not good. <laughs> yeah, if I recall correctly, I think they signed him to like a two-match deal. So he did the first one, and now like all these Here months later, they're like, two. yeah. Yeah, a year and a half later. Do you remember the, maybe you remember you can the do Tough Raw Man Raw. video game? I do not. Oh, my God. Back in the day. Was he in it? I think it was... It may have been PlayStation, but I'm pretty sure it was like Sega Genesis. Oh. 
And yeah, because apparently that was a series of fights. Like that was a fighting thing. That was actually a thing. And it starts with Butterbean and like his the digitized voice. Something. Is, oh. I think it says, "Wimps need not apply." Oh God! Yeah, it was not a good game. And also, are you gonna eat that? <laughs> uh, don't hurt me, Butterbean. Don't hurt me. But anyway, Butter so back to the corporation. Alive. Oh yeah, he's still alive. I mean, he's he's actually. I saw a picture of him when I was uh, googling information about him. He's uh, much bigger now. He's over four hundred pounds. Eric Esh. How old? How, Eric, how, how old do you think Butterbean is? Oh, okay. I didn't actually check his age when I was looking him up, but let's see. He looked. I mean, he looks already considerably old at this point. I think that's just his face. He just looks a little older. <laughs> you get pun- I'll you say get punched right now. Times. I'm gonna guess he's fifty-five. You're actually very close. He's fifty-two. Oh damn. Okay, I was up by three years. Do you think he can still go? Do you think he can still, you know, get the job done in a tough man competition? Uh, well, the picture on his uh, the picture on his Wikipedia page is from 2006, and it says from before Pride 32, so it's possible. Okay, all right. So he was doing like some MMA fights. Well, then? No, it looks like he retired in 2011. But ah, oh, shit. So we're not going to get Butterbean versus Bart Gun Redemption. <laughs> Sadly, we are not. Put it on pay per view. I'll buy it. It can be on the undercard to, like, the next Mayweather fight or something. I'm, I'm up for it. But anyway, back to the corporation ministry match. Now, at the start of the match, Michael Cole says something rather interesting, and I have to play it for you here because I had no idea that they made reference to this particular angle so early on. So take a listen. The Undertaker said that WWF will soon belong to me. The Undertaker also said that he's really not in charge. He's answering to a greater power what in the world is he talking about yes that's right the undertaker answers to a greater power i sure hope we find out who it is four months from now and i really hope it isn't a complete disappointment that makes zero <laughs> sense uh well we'll talk again then and see what happens there you go are, are you are you calling that episode didn't i already i thought i did oh i think you called king of the ring but well i think i called that too but we're not going to be there for a while well, we won't get to Greater Power either. They're about a couple weeks apart, I think, the King of the Ring and uh, and Greater Power, because they're both in June. Oh, okay. Spoiler alert. Yeah. So you'll have to pick one or the other. All right. Put you on the spot. Butterbean was featured on the cover of and was the final boss character in the EA Sports game Tough Man Contest, released in 1995 for the Sega Genesis and Sega wow. 32X. 95? Damn. I didn't realize he'd been around that long, quite frankly. But yes, anyway, even though this was a six-man tag team match, Bossman and Midian are literally the only two guys who wrestle each other in this match because, you know, that went so well last <laughs> night. You got to do it again. Yeah. But Boss, after only Boss a couple... Man gets kidnapped, escapes, and then just shows back up on Raw. You're like, hey, we're yeah. going to fight again. What a dumbass. <laughs> but after only a couple minutes of brawling, the lights go out <clears throat> and the Undertaker's music plays. Taker and Paul Bearer then do indeed walk to the top of the ramp, and when the lights come back on, we see that the Acolytes and Midian have now exited the ring, and they're standing near the bottom of the ramp as Bossman, Test, and Shamrock look on from the ring. And, and, then, and then they got poop dropped on them. No, that's, I think that's uh, about seven years from now when that happens. <laughs> and then the corporation does indeed get quite the surprise, so you know what? I'm going to go ahead and play that clip for you as well. The ministry looks on, the corporation looks on from the ring. There is serious trouble. Wait a minute. The ministry has abducted Shane McMahon. Wait a minute. They got the European champion. Shane. They are presenting Shane to the Undertaker. And the corporation is being headed off by the ministry. 
but I don't think your father would really give a damn. But then again... King! The Undertaker! He's not gonna sacrifice him, is he? Do have something for you. Don't call me! Please don't call me! Don't hurt me! What's he doing? Tell him it comes from the Lord of Darkness. King Shane McMahon is as white as a ghost. The Undertaker asking Shane McMahon to deliver that, that, that envelope. What's in it? To his father, the owner of the WWF. Keep in mind what The Undertaker said earlier on. The Undertaker claims the WWF will belong to him. So yes, as you heard there, The Brood and Viscera brought your new WWF European Champion Shane McMahon out from backstage and placed him at The Undertaker's feet. Taker then reaches inside of his robe and, once again, it kinda kills the Ministry's mystique a little bit because we can hear the sound of Velcro being (laughs) unfastened when Taker does that. I mean, really, a fucking Velcro robe? You can't just tie it! Whatever. So anyway, when The Undertaker reaches inside of his robe, Shane clearly appears to think that Taker is going to produce the dagger that he used to sacrifice Midian, because we can hear Shane yelling, Don't cut me! But instead, what Taker pulls out is some sort of envelope, which he then tells Shane, I know, and he then tells Shane to give the envelope to his father. So apparently, the ministry stopped at Kinko's on the way to the (laughs) arena. Which is a clip I would have loved to have seen, quite frankly. <laughs> so Shane Shane then does indeed run off backstage, and that is how we wrap up this segment. So, Adam, what did you think of the Corporation Ministry match and Shane McMahon briefly being abducted? So th- this is the point in the show where I made the, uh, ah, the Corporation versus the Ministry. I guarantee you that this will go down as one of the greatest and longest-lasting feuds in WWF history. No way these two groups will ever see eye-to-eye, joke. And for some, re- <laughs> and for some reason you didn't mention it in your in your coverage here but for some reason it's quite funny to me that shane mcmahon is still wearing the european championship yes yeah well he's so proud of it clearly it's it's just so funny to me it's so perfect for for shane's character that he would he wouldn't ever take it off i also forgot to mention that he's wearing like a dx jersey yeah but he has he has the phrase x-punk written on it same one from last night where you know he used he did he did that quite often where he would take the other guy's shirt typically the baseball jersey and then just vandalize it for his own means i seem to remember a steve austin one when that was a thing and x-punk when when he faces vince at wrestlemania x7 because they're in houston his shirt says vince we have a problem yeah Yeah. we talked about that on my episode of uh my recent episode of wrestlemania salvation that's right that's right that was such a terrible uh tagline for wrestlemania that they did not use it at all in the in the lead up to wrestlemania but the posters all said houston we have a problem well, it's certainly not as good as uh, WrestleMania 15's upcoming tagline, which is, if you recall correctly, the raging climax. Yeah. So WrestleMania fish. I heard that on an, on an episode of there was an episode of Three Way Theater where they they covered they talked about WrestleMania 15 and they had uh, uh, local wrestler Kellen Thomas as the guest and he he started calling it WrestleMania fish and now I cannot not call it WrestleMania fish because that's exactly what it is. 
Why is it a fish? Because the X and the V. They look like a fish? It looks like a fish. If you put the X and the oh. V together, end to end like that, it looks like it makes a fish. Oh, fair enough. I wish they would have called it that instead. <laughs> is three-way theater uh, paying you by the minute or to, to get the plugs no, in? Because this is the second one on this very show. It's just a really good podcast. All right, fair enough. <laughs> I wish I was getting paid by them. Well, quite frankly, they owe me at this point because <laughs> I'm, I'm giving them publicity. So, you know, I mean, the very the very least they could do is have me on, I suppose. Uh, I don't know if they could do by Skype. We'll find out. But yes, I was I was actually interested by this Shane McMahon abduction because I don't remember what happens with the envelope. I don't know what that is. But, I mean, next time, when you know Undertaker has a microphone, I don't know if he was using, like, a headset mic because he wasn't holding one. Yeah. But we could clearly hear what he was saying. I mean, it could have been, could have been Taker's, Taker's mic. That's what I mean, because Taker wasn't holding a mic, though. He might have just been oh, okay. wearing a headset under his robe. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. But if you're going to do that, if you know the microphone, there's going to be a microphone near him, why the hell would you have him wear a fucking Velcro robe? <laughs> yeah, it, it's not subtle. It is like the most unsubtle noise you could possibly have. So that was kind of just, again, one more way that they're just making the ministry look fucking stupid. But uh, I am actually interested to see where this angle with Shane goes. I know ultimately some of the stuff that happens in this feud, and it does some of it does get interesting, but I'm uh, I'm intrigued. I will admit I was intrigued by the Shane abduction, although obviously the, the, the match pretty much just ends as soon as Undertaker's lights go out. It's basically just like, well, the ministry left the ring, the corporation's still in the ring, and uh, there's no referee to even announce the match is over. So sure, why not? That's kind of like the Attitude Era in a nutshell. The match is secondary, yeah. quite literally. It's like, nobody, nobody cares. Just get to the angle. Pretty much. Thanks. Thanks, Vinny Russo. Exactly. So we'll see how that goes in the coming weeks. But uh, yes, once again, The Undertaker now making it personal, going after Vince's son in their budding feud here. So yeah, I, I shall see. I, I'm glad you mentioned it because yeah, Shane just going, sorry, I got to put my hand around my throat for the full effect here. Hey, don't cut me. Don't cut me. Don't cut me. It was quite entertaining to me. Don't tase me, bro. <laughs> no, Kane will do that in a, in a little while. Oh, wow. Good call. Good call. Yeah, about four years from now, yeah. we'll get around to that. They, and they were tagging together tonight. It all seems so nice. Seems like such a nice arrangement. So after a commercial break, we go back into the arena where it is now time for our WWF Championship ladder match. Champion Mankind versus Challenger The Rock in the final chapter of this amazing rivalry. Fun fact, Adam. Did you know that Rock and Mankind have actually competed in the last two ladder matches which have occurred in the WWF? As of as of this date or as of... As of this date. Oh, wow. That seems... Or as in, in, in 99, okay. I should say, not in 2018. Okay, I was going to say, because that seems like it shouldn't be right. But yes, Mankind lost his hardcore title to the big boss man in oh, a ladder match right. on... That's right. On, on the November 30th episode of Raw. And of course, you probably remember the one The Rock competed in which was, of course, that SummerSlam lost the Intercontinental title to Triple H. So, essentially, neither man has had much luck in ladder (laughs) matches lately, but clearly that's about to turn around for one of them. So, before the match, The Rock cuts one of his pre-match promos, and it's clear he is now making Finally The Rock Has Come Back and the millions and millions into recurring things. But I'm sure you noticed, Adam, that the crowd is not yet chanting along with him, so his catchphrases are still relatively Mm -hmm. new. But uh, don't worry, though, they'll get there eventually. (laughs) He'll be fine. Don't worry about it. I think so. And, of course, Rock is still wearing his black tracksuit, <laughs> so that means it's now been at least six weeks of him dressing like the forgotten fourth member of Run DMC. <laughs> but another important thing to note here is that the guest commentator for the latter match will be Stone Cold Steve Austin. 
Clearly, he wants a front row seat so he can see which of these two will end up being his opponent in the main event of WrestleMania 15. So early on in the match, both men brawl outside the ring where Rock Irish whips Mankind knees first into the steel steps. And yes, as a reminder, Mick Foley does not wear knee pads. (laughs) Good Lord. And from there, Rock brings a chair into the ring and puts it on the mat, and he then picks up Foley's knee and drives it right onto the chair. Ever the astute commentator, Stone Cold actually gives Rock credit. He injured Foley's knee last night at the pay-per-view, so he should definitely be working it over again tonight to make sure he can't climb the ladder. Why strategy? Why strategy? So Rock then grabs a ladder from the arena floor and brings it into the ring, but Mankind turns the tables on him by picking up the chair and smashing the ladder with it, knocking Rock to the ground. And then, with the ladder lying on top of Rock, Foley smashed it with the chair a few more times such, for good measure. Such a good spot. Absolutely. I, I don't know how much damage that would actually do, but the loud clanging of steel against steel really makes it sound devastating yeah. at the very least. I don't know how much damage it would do, but I'm sure it's considerably uncomfortable. Maybe on your ears, too, because you're like, ow, oh, it's loud, <laughs> it's ringing. And then, just like last night at St. Valentine's Day Massacre, Mankind went for his own version of the corporate elbow, but this time he actually hit yeah. it. And Now, granted, it looked shitty, <laughs> well, shittier than the move usually does, but it was effective. And after that, Mankind then did indeed set up the ladder, and it was at this point we could notice something rather bizarre. Instead of the WWF title being hung above the middle of the ring, it was actually hung above the left side of the ring, so basically the side of the ring closest to the entrance ramp. Very strange. Unfortunately for Mick, though, when he started climbing, Rock nailed him in the knee with the chair, causing him to fall to the canvas. From there, Rock continued working over Mankind's left knee, including sandwiching it between the rungs of the ladder, then wailing away on the ladder with the chair. Rock then set up the ladder under the title belt, and amusingly, you could hear him yell at someone to lower the title belt because he thought it was way too (laughs) high above the ring. And in fairness, I think he was actually right, because initially it looked like you probably would have had to stand on the literal top part of the ladder just to reach the belt. I think these days they typically put it just high enough so you can reach it if you stand on, like, the higher rungs, but this was this was way too high. They just fail on every count of where, where, where they put that title. It should it be in the middle? No, let's put it off to the side. Let's do it off to the side. Sixteen feet in the air. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. So basically, uh, a six foot a guy who like the Rock who is six foot five will have to stand on the top of yeah. the ladder to reach the title belt. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Better hope they got some twelve foot ladders. I know. Well, well, if Jeff Hardy was in it, maybe. But anyway, so this all ended up being a moot point because Mankind shoved Rock off the ladder, causing him to land throat first across the top rope. Foley then attempted to climb again, but Rock yet again nailed him in the leg with the chair, causing Foley to fly off and sail toward the ropes. But in this case, Mick's right arm ended up getting tangled in the mm-hmm. top and middle ropes when he fell. Bit of a bit of a strange spot, I thought that was. And then, because it's the Attitude Era, both men left the ring and started brawling through the crowd, which uh, doesn't really make much sense during <laughs> a ladder match, but sure, why not? At one point, they overturned the steel barricade, and Mankind put Rock on top of it. Then he hit him with an elbow drop. Foley then went for a second elbow drop, but Rock moved out of the way, causing Mankind to land on the steel barricade. Ouch. Both men then left the crowd and went back toward the ring, but instead of going back inside, they actually started fighting on the entrance ramp, where Rock hit Foley with a suplex right onto the steel. And then... In a funny moment, a fan in the crowd tosses his own version of Mr. Socko at the rock, so the people's champ picks it up, spits on it, and tosses it back (laughs) into the crowd. Quite the heelish move. 
So Foley then manages to regain the momentum by reversing an Irish whip, and this time, he sends the rock knees first into the steel steps. And from there, Mankind delivers his receipt from last night as he picks up the stairs and drops them right on the rock's back. I mean, quite frankly, Rock did kind of owe him yeah, one there, didn't yeah, he? A bit, yeah. yeah. So Mankind then put Rock on top of the Spanish announce table and set him up for his patented pile driver, but Rock reversed it by hitting Foley with a low blow. He then picked him up, and yes, he nailed Mankind with a rock bottom right through the announce table. And unlike the rock bottom on the table at the Royal Rumble, this one actually looked fantastic because the table didn't collapse early this time. So, great stuff. It actually looked really good. Eventually, Rock makes his way back into the ring where he starts climbing the ladder, but Mankind catches up to him and hits him with a low blow to knock him down. Foley then catches him with a double-arm DDT, but he's still hurting from that rock bottom, so both men end up laying on the mat for a little bit. When they return to their feet, Mankind puts Mr. Sacco on his hand, but before he can make use of it, Rock nails him with a DDT of his own. When they get back to their feet again, both men then start climbing up opposite sides of the ladder, and this time, Mankind does manage to put the Mr. Sacco mandible claw on the rock while they're on top of the ladder. And, well, let's take a listen to what happens next. So as you heard there, with Mankind putting the mandible claw on the rock on top of the ladder, Paul White emerged from backstage. He then snatched Mankind by the throat, and, because they were close to the ropes, he basically gave him a spinning choke slam to make sure that Foley would land further away. And my god, I thought that choke slam looked great, in my opinion. Did you did you like that choke slam? Yeah, I, I've said it on my show, and I'll say it here as well. I always thought that giant Paul White, Big Nasty, Big Show's choke slam looked better when he did that forcible drop when he went down with the opponent as opposed to just picking him up and dropping him. But yeah, I love that. I love that move. It did look really good. So from there, after Paul White did that, The Rock climbed the ladder and retrieved the WWF title. Your winner and now a three-time WWF champion, The Rock. And by the way, to this day, this is still the only time a WWF slash WWE world title has ever changed hands in the state of Alabama. So roll tight on that. And after the match ended, with The Rock posing on the turnbuckles, Stone Cold Steve Austin snuck into the ring behind him. Rock then turned around and, fun fact for you here, Adam, on the initial broadcast back in 1999, the show actually goes off the air right as The Rock turns around, But if you're watching on the network, we actually get a few extra seconds where Austin, as you might expect, 
hits the rock with a stunner. And yes, Adam, rock even does your all-time favorite cell job, where he essentially does a backward somersault after the stunner. And that is how we go off the air. Ah, but wait a minute. If you're watching on the WWE Network, we actually get five and a half minutes. Yeah, five and a half minutes of it, which is pretty good. Five and a half minutes of not much, though. Well, there's a little good stuff, a little bit of good stuff. Um, And as you said, it's called Extra Attitude that they do on the WWE Network. So we pretty much pick up the footage just a few seconds after Austin gives Rock the stunner. So Stone Cold then picks up the WWF title and poses with it for a second before throwing it to the ground. From there, someone tosses Austin a beer and he starts posing on the turnbuckles until the Rock recovers and slaps the beer out of his hands. However, Rock then puts his hands up in the air as if to say, hold on, hold on. So Rock exits the ring and grabs a few beers as well as a microphone. He tells Austin he wants to have a beer with him before they fight each other at WrestleMania. Mankind then also recovers and enters the ring, and he too has a microphone. And Foley says he wants in on the celebration as well. So in a fun moment, Stone Cold, Rock, and Foley all toast their beers together. However... Rock then tries to clothesline Austin, but Stone Cold ducks, and he hits Rock with another stunner, followed by Mankind putting the mandible claw on Rock once again, until the Great One rolls out of the ring. Mankind then leaves and heads backstage, so Austin exits the ring and goes over toward the commentary table, where Rock has now grabbed his newly won WWF title. Austin hands a beer to Rock, and he starts drinking it, so Austin punches Rock in the (laughs) face as soon as he takes a sip. Stone Cold then grabs another beer, walks up the entrance ramp, and chugs it. He flips the fans off one more time, and that is how we wrap things up. So, Adam, what did you think of our main event ladder match and the subsequent Extra Attitude segment? I think Mankind should have gotten the stunner, but... um... (laughs) Oh, God. I would have felt bad for him if he did, because he's already gotten several for no reason. The ladder match was was all right. Like I said said earlier, it was kind of a... Kind of an odd way to finish this this rivalry, even this you know how how, how great, how amazing, how long standing this feud was to go from you know the matches that we've had to just a ladder match. I mean, they tried you know to incorporate some of that other stuff. You know, like I said, they went into the crowd, they did the stuff on the on the aisle, on the stairs, on the barricades and whatnot. But I just don't think I, I, as a as a capper for this feud, I think it's it's still slightly disappointing. I think it was obvious that there was going to be some sort of interference, and then you know you had uh, you had Paul White come down and hit the choke slam. It was it was all right. Interesting. Okay, so you're not as high on the ladder match then. Not not compared to everything that's happened throughout this whole feud. It's not it's not my favorite. Yeah, that that's understandable. Yeah, it kind of is. I feel like this is one of the more forgotten matches in their rivalry, yeah. even though it is basically the blow off right. to the sure. feud. But uh, that being said, especially for a Monday Night Raw match, I thought this was really good because, I mean, watching this show, I'm so used to seeing the matches go two minutes. Yeah. <laughs> but in this case, you get basically, I think it was about a 12 or 13 minute match with uh, obviously the WWF title changing hands on free television, which does not happen very often. Yeah. I, I think if if you look at it by itself, like I said, it's not a bad match. The, the match itself is fine. Just as, like you said, as, as, as the capper of this feud, it just kind of, it doesn't, it doesn't push all the, the right buttons for me. That's fair. Okay. I was going to say too, I think the last time that WWF title changed hands on a free episode of Raw, free a free episode of TV, I should say, was uh, one of the episodes we did together the night after King of the Ring, if you recall, when Austin beat Kane. Remember yeah, that? Kane's 24-hour title reign. That's right. So I think that was the last time that we had uh, a title win on Thanks, Raw. Thanks, Helena Sell. But that's right. But yes, yeah, so I I did actually. I was very I 
in terms of it being a raw match, I was very high on the main event. I really liked the ladder match, but I, I will agree with you. This doesn't quite hold a candle to their to their rumble match. It doesn't have the same fond memories that I have of the the. Oh, actually, no, I'm an idiot. The, <laughs> I'm going back and like reliving the moments. Obviously, mankind beat the Rock on Raw for the title in early uh, in early January. Oh, right, in, clearly in, in Worcester. Yes, I I don't know how I could miss that when we're talking about the Mankind Rock feud, but obviously that was a title change yeah. <laughs> on on Monday Night Raw. Obviously, um, but yes, I I would say you know it, this the latter match is probably you know of, of their five or six matches. This one probably ranks five or six, but you know still still very enjoyable, just not yeah. quite as memorable as the other ones. Yeah. But now we have we have our path now for WrestleMania. It will be the Rock just, against Stone. It's Cold. just a path. It's not a, it's not a road. Path, road, bumpy, dirt highway. I don't know. <laughs> the walking trail to WrestleMania. Yeah, I guess it all depends on how good of a show they put on uh, in the weeks leading up <laughs> to WrestleMania. So hopefully we'll have some really good episodes of Raw. So we've certainly covered quite a bit in this episode, but we're not done yet. So on that note, let's take it to the wrap-up. Yo, I slayed them seas back in the rec room era. My style broke motherfucking backs like him for terror. A freak beat slamming like Iron Sheik. We dedicated to cast that's been thugging. Then he passed out more hoes than Jim Duggan. I'm bananas, out of my fucking mind. They won't let me back in. Cause I was down before the hype like Dusty Rose and Bob Backlund. Bruno San Martino, Stan Stasiak. Now I'm rocking Stone Cold on my favorite maniacs. The top rooster plucking. Chickens when they plucking. Cause WWF stands for women where we fucking. The Ratings Recap So last week, Raw was bumped to Saturday night due to the Westminster Kennel Club Dog Show, (laughs) meaning that WCW had Monday all to themselves, and that resulted in Nitro doing one of their highest ratings of all time, with a 5.67. So going into tonight, the question on people's minds was likely this. Did WCW put on a strong enough show last week when they were unopposed to get people to stay with Nitro instead of switching back to Raw? Well, the answer was an emphatic, fuck no. <laughs> Why? Because Nitro only managed to score a 3.9, their lowest rating since oh, last Jesus. June. Yeah, they go from 5.67 to 3.9. Now, meanwhile, this episode of Raw put up a ridiculous 5.9 rating. So for those for those scoring at home, that would be the highest rating Raw has ever done. And not only that, but Raw beating Nitro by two full ratings points is actually their largest ever victory in the Monday Night Wars up to this point. And spoiler alert, both Raw's ratings and that gap are going to get much bigger. So I think we can definitively say that not only did Nitro not capture more of the audience when they were unopposed last week, their lackluster show may have actually driven more people over to the <laughs> WWF. Not good times for WCW, but Adam, of course, host of Nitromania, for the sake of comparison, here is what you could have been watching over on Nitro on this night. Oh boy. Jerry Flynn defeated Perry Saturn. Hey, Jerry versus Perry. Blitzkrieg, Juventud Guerrera, and Psychosis defeated El Dandy, Hector Garza, and Super Callow in a match which actually got almost 18 minutes of ring time somehow. <laughs> Chris Benoit and Dean Malenko defeated Dave Taylor and Fit Finley. Bret Hart defeated <sighs> Will Sasso from Mad TV. Oh, God. And I swear this is true. This is how it ended. Will Sasso's Mad TV co-star Deborah Wilson swerved him and hit him with a chair. And Bret then put Will Sasso in the sharpshooter after that. This is what they're having Bret Hart do in WCW, <laughs> folks. I, I, uh, I watched that episode of Mad TV when it aired. 
And at no point during that episode did I ever did I ever think to myself, you know, I wish this they'd take this to the ring. Yeah, Hart versus Sasso. We need to blow this <laughs> off. It's actually funny because if you watch that episode of Mad TV, it starts off as like a skit where Will Sasso is being Jesse the Body Ventura, and Brett is basically like his um, campaign manager. And anytime a reporter asks a question, Brett Hart's basically like you know beating up the reporters. But essentially, what they do in the Mad TV skit is they try to make it look like Brett literally like goes nuts and starts attacking people. So it's, it's really bizarre because it's a comedy show, but they almost play it off as they're like, whoa, holy shit, this wrestler's gone crazy. Yeah. And they use that as the basis to like get Will Sasso into <laughs> into WCW, right. where last week he also cost Bret Hart the U.S. title. So clearly yeah. Will Sasso, a very big focus over the past couple of weeks. But uh, <sighs> but quoting quoting Bret the Hitman Hart, though, who are we to doubt, El- to doubt Will Sasso? So, you know. Give it a four out of ten. That That's generous. And after that match, we had another match, which I'm actually going to touch on in just a moment. But then in your final bout of the evening, it featured Benoit and Malenko pulling double duty, wrestling yet okay. again, as they then defeated Mike Enos and Scotty Riggs. He's an anus. <laughs> That's right. I was hoping you'd say that. <laughs> now, okay, Adam. So remember how Ric Flair is in control of WCW for 90 days because he defeated Eric Bischoff in a match, and he's been <laughs> humiliating Easy e since then? Control is a very broad use of the term. <laughs> yes. So this week, basically, Ric Flair is forcing Eric Bischoff to be his limo driver. So that's simple enough, right? Humiliating. Unfortunately for us, what that leads to this week is Bischoff driving Flair out into the middle of a field somewhere, and a bunch of Hummers then pull up as well. And from there, the NWO emerges dressed in ski masks and proceeds to lay a beating on Flair. And we actually get two separate camera views where they keep alternating between them. So one is on the ground for the close-up, and the other one is from a helicopter flying <laughs> above, which is shining a spotlight on the action below, because clearly this is what WCW needs to be spending their money on right now. So Adam, I'm going to ask you this. For, this is a segment where literally it's just the NWO ganging up and beating the shit out of Ric Flair in the middle of a field. So it's like a nine-on-one beatdown. So when it's just nine guys beating one guy, what would you say is the absolute maximum amount of time you think a segment like that should go on for? Twelve and a half minutes. I, well, I, you actually went a lot higher than I would have thought. <laughs> because the segment actually does go for ten minutes. <laughs> where it's literally, it is, I'm not joking, it's ten minutes of the NWO just kicking the shit out of Ric Flair. That's in a, in a field somewhere. That is the entirety of the segment. And so actually, on that note, if you recall the excerpt from the death of WCW I read last week, the commentators, for some reason, have been told to act as though they can't see yeah. Any of the pre-taped segments. So literally, yeah, well, literally, so this beatdown, not only is this beatdown going for 10 minutes, there's no commentary. So after the skit's over, they just move on as though WCW's most popular wrestler wasn't just murdered in front of them. So it's incredibly bizarre. And also, by the way, if you watch this episode of Nitro on the WWE Network, the segment is actually much shorter than that because they put up a message that says, quote, presented in the most complete form possible due to original production technical difficulties. So if you watch this on the network, it goes directly from a few minutes of the Flair beatdown right into the middle of the Benoit Malenko versus Finley and Taylor <laughs> match. Okay, then. But so, Adam, this actually leads me to that match I initially skipped over. So once the NWO leaves Flair for dead in that field, 
They go to the arena where your WCW World Heavyweight Champion Hulk Hogan comes to the ring and proceeds, of course, to call out Ric Flair, asking him to come to the ring for a match, which obviously won't happen since he's now a corpse. So Hogan basically starts giving Flair a 10 count to show up, but once he gets to 8, Rowdy Roddy Piper shows up instead. And from there, Piper literally tells Hogan that he'll be wrestling him tonight instead. So just to recap this, WCW is doing a Piper Hogan match on free TV with absolutely zero buildup. <laughs> this, this isn't even Piper coming out and saying like, you'll face me later on tonight. No, they fight right now. They have the match right then. So, I mean, you don't want to, you don't maybe want to advertise that one in advance. I mean, I realize both guys are older, but this was literally the feud that created WrestleMania. So yeah, right. may, maybe want to let the, the fans know in advance, maybe. So suddenly this low rating for them makes a lot of sense. But don't worry, though, because the match itself only went about five and a half minutes. Eventually, Piper put Hogan into a sleeper, so Hogan's NWO buddy Scott Hall ran down to the ring and zapped Piper with a cattle prod oh, to draw the disqualification. And by the way, let me just repeat that. <sighs> Hall. So Hall zapped Piper while Piper was holding Hogan. So shouldn't Hogan have also been electrocuted? <laughs> was Piper wearing gloves? And no, no, he was not. Was Hogan wearing gloves? He was not. Huh. And then so later on in the show, the NWO once again called out Ric Flair. And this time, Flair actually does make it to the arena, thanks to a dude in a pickup truck finding him in the middle of nowhere <laughs> and giving him a lift. Now, however, as you recall from earlier, the announcers have to act like they never saw the beating. So Tony Schiavone says, quote, something serious has gone down here. And it gets even better than that because when the wounded Flair is stumbling into the arena, Bobby the Brain Heenan then says, quote, is he smashed? He's staggering. He can't stand up. I mean, I'm not sure what the point is in having your commentators look like complete idiots. Yeah, seriously. But, uh, I'm, just, yeah. I, I'm just picturing the 10-minute the segment of Ric Flair getting the shit kicked out of him in a field and Tony and Bobby going, so what are you going to do later tonight? You know, after the show, you're just going to go back to the hotel? Just... <laughs> yeah. Yeah, what's uh, going to uh, the steakhouse afterwards or yeah, uh, what's going on? Yeah, I mean, we do have some, some time to kill this afternoon before before the the, sh the show started, before the big meet night. There's a pizza place around the corner. It's actually really good. They got uh, they got these cheese fries. <laughs> yeah. Yes. This leads because they have to pretend they don't see shit. Bobby the Brain Heenan then has to ask is basically he has to ask if Flair is drunk, which makes just <laughs> a, so much sense. So bad. So yes, good God. And then the show just closes with imagine this: the NWO doing. Another gang beatdown on Ric Flair, because clearly that whole thing in the field wasn't <laughs> enough, because earlier on I didn't quite get the notion that the NWO collectively is stronger than one guy. So you got to reinforce that right. point is what I'm saying. And that took another 10 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> Thankfully, this one was much shorter. But so, Adam, host of Nitromania, with all that being said, when this episode of Nitro comes up in your timeline, do you think it'll be one you're looking forward to? <laughs> Uh, I mean, part of the reason that I started doing Nitromania was to get to the really bad garbage of it. So, I mean, kind of, just for the <laughs> schadenfreude aspect of it. But uh sure sounds like a Cracker Jack episode of Nitro for sure. When you watch it, make sure you don't watch the network version that's cut out. Make sure you find the whole beatdown on <laughs> YouTube or something. Minutes. Yeah, because you don't want to you don't want to get you know screwed out of the opportunity to see such a masterful segment. If I remember that four years from now. Yes, when you finally get out to four years from now. There you go. 
And now, before moving on, Adam, will you indulge me as I read an excerpt from the book The Death of WCW by R.D. Reynolds and Brian Alvarez, which covers this very show? Absolutely. It's a, it's a fantastic piece of literature. So here we go. Quote, When the show was over, most involved thought it had been a huge success. But the ratings told a different story. There was no denying that wacky, skit-laden shows were not what the public wanted to see. Still, those in power felt there were other reasons for the 3.9 rating, pointing to guys like Flair... Brett, Benoit, Malenko, Jericho, and Raven, who, not surprisingly, also happened to be among the best workers on the roster. Those six, in addition to Canyon, Bam Bam Bigelow, and Roddy Piper, were singled out in a mid-February booking meeting as guys who needed to be cut off at the legs. Word spread, and the locker room morale sank lower than ever. <sighs> Benoit and Malenko were outraged when word got around that Kevin Nash had referred to them as Vanilla Midgets. Yes, but we're finally getting around to that term, the Vanilla Midgets. And it seemed more certain than ever that Chris Jericho, their close friend, would get the hell out of Dodge when his deal came due. There was also concern because Bischoff, seemingly having given up all hope himself, was spending less and less time at Nitro and more and more time in Hollywood. Everyone figured he knew the ship was going down and was working hard to make sure he'd have a lifeboat to fall back on when it was finally submerged. So there you go. And by the way, in that excerpt when they write about how the WCW insiders thought the episode was a success at the time... Dave Meltzer had a different take in that week's issue of the Wrestling Observer. And I quote, I can't express just how screwed up this company is right now. The February 15th Nitro may have been the worst episode of the show in history. I thought I was having nightmares about having been a horrible human being and being sent to hell. And when I got there, I was sent to this room with all the evil wrestling promoters past and present. And they made me sit in the chair next to people like Fritz von Erich, Herb Abrams, and Nick Goulas, and forced us to watch Nitro episodes like this 24 hours a day. So needless to say, he enjoyed the show. Yeah. So clearly good times all around for WCW on February 15th. He gave it 12 stars. 12 stars, that's right. And on that note, let's take it to the Raw Synopsis. So Adam, what were your overall thoughts on this episode of Monday Night Raw? A capsule synopolis. Sorry, that's from my show. Not a bad, uh, not a bad episode of Raw as a whole, mainly because of that shock title change at the end. And of course, Steve Austin and Shawn Michaels and The Rock and Mankind and Vince McMahon in the opening segment. And Paul uh, White? Sure. Uh, you <laughs> had, uh, you had the, the European title changed hands. You had a intercontinental title match. But yeah, I'd say, uh, I, hardcore title match. I would say, yeah. And I, like I said, uh, during the pay per view, I, I enjoy, I don't want to say the goofiness because it's not really goofy, but the just the the chaos of the the hardcore title back in the day, even before the twenty four seven rule. I was I'm a fan of that. So I would say a very solid episode of Raw, already a decent episode of Raw. Certainly one you can certainly go back and and watch in the archives and and enjoy. I'd say probably maybe like a, a solid B. Solid B. All yeah. right, high praise. Funny enough, I would go. Even higher for me. I would, I would even go so far as to say A-. And the reason I do is because I was pretty much entertained by almost everything that was on this show. Almost. Even starting off almost, almost everything. Even that like the beginning, like the, I said. The shit it was just awful. But yeah, that, that was garbage. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but like the begin, even the beginning match with like the, the intergender match, I, I got a rise. No, well, that's bad. Poor term, poor terminology. But I did get a rise out of it just seeing how into it the crowd was. Because yeah. even that made me be like, wow, okay, this is we got a really good crowd here tonight, and that sort of thing. P pretty much everything was at least 
serviceable. There was nothing terrible except, well, maybe, maybe Sable's promo. That wasn't so good. <laughs> but even the the notion of seeing like a newly healed Sable was kind of interesting to me. So yes, I, I was really very high on this episode. Obviously, you know, the matches on Raw are usually short. But as long as they're short and enjoyable, then I kind of grade it on that scale where it's like, you know, there's as long as they're fun to watch, I'm okay with it. And I just love you, and I'm thankful for all of you, you stupid wannabes. Well, they're beating down your door, Sable. Yes, and I can't get a moment's <laughs> peace. I felt so Jeez. fucking bad for Kevin Kelly during that. Well, you should feel bad for him anyway, for that fucking uh, goatee as on his <laughs> face right now. It's just atrocious. But again, if you go back, if you were to go back, I would highly recommend you watch this episode because there's nothing too offensive. The segments, it's Attitude Era, it's Crash TV, everything is happening pretty quickly. There's nothing that lingers for too long that's terrible. Again, four title matches, the uh, the very quick European title tag match. I shouldn't say very quick. It was probably about four or five minutes, like I said before, but it was enjoyable for what it was. Really good action there, except for Shane's punches. <laughs> and and uh, the hardcore title match, as you said, was fun. Intercontinental title match was short, but that was also fun too. And the ladder match, uh, a big thumbs up for me for the ladder match. So yes, I would say definitely I would recommend you go watch this episode of Raw because... Again, it's it's really good stuff. I I dare say I was even popping for the appearance of Bart Gunn <laughs> only only because it had been six months. <laughs> like, because I was like, holy shit, is this the first time? Yes, this is literally the first time since the brawl for all that Bart Gunn showed up. That's so I know it's just there's really no reason not to use a guy when you make him look well, or the, where he makes himself look like a legitimate ass kicker, and then you're like, eh, well, we can't do anything with him. You know, that makes no fucking sense. So, creative team, you kind of dropped the ball there. Even if he's not that good a wrestler, which for sure he is not, you still you still could have worked with him a little bit. You could, I mean, my God, you could have given him, I'm pretty sure he doesn't get a run with the hardcore title, but you probably could have put him in the hardcore title mix too. But whatever, just my personal opinion. So yes, really dropped the ball with Bart Gunn, but thankfully they didn't drop the ball on this episode of Raw. I thought, really good show. Solid A-. Go out of your way to check it out because it was light years better than the pay-per-view. Which, again, in the Attitude Era can also be a pretty common thing these days where the the show, the Raw after the pay-per-view is quite often better than the pay-per-view <laughs> itself. Which, when Sal and I did the show after Rock Bottom, that was pretty much the case. I think somewhat the case for the show after the Royal Rumble as well because the Royal Rumble was pretty lackluster too. Oh. So, basically, go check it out. And I think you will enjoy it as well. So on that note, I think we can wrap this episode up. What do you think? Yeah, and you were right. It was bombastic Bob and bodacious Bart. Ah, there we go. Clearly that needed to be answered for sure. <laughs> so yes, as always, thank you for listening to the Raw Attitude Podcast. I am Henry Hugepex, the suplex-throwing human duplex. And I will remind you once again to feel free to subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher like our friend a Palikio 99 send us an email at rawattitudepodcast at gmail.com, just like our friend Joseph Egan did, or tweet us at rawattitudepod. Or more importantly, write us a five-star review on iTunes, because that helps us find an even wider audience. And of course, if you do that, I will be sure to read the review on this very podcast and give you full credit for doing so. And of course, don't forget patreon.com slash rawattitudepodcast where you can get all sorts of bonus content. 
And before we wrap up, Adam, would you care to remind the fans of the Raw Attitude Podcast where they can find you outside of this fine show? I thought you were going to skip me. Uh, yes, at NitromaniaPod on Twitter, N-I-T-R-O-M-A-N-I-A-P-O-D. Uh, Nitromania, along with all the other shows on the Rundown Podcast feed, are available by searching for the Rundown Wrestling Podcast on your favorite podcast provider. Uh, we also have a Patreon at patreon.com slash rundownwrestling. Uh, I have a show on there as well there's one episode posted so far it's called the crap shoot it's very similar to nitromania where it's me and a guest recapping a uh, particular typically i'm gonna say probably typically a pay-per-view uh from a certain company a pay-per-view that is infamously bad for one reason or another if it's a specific match that was terrible or if the show as a whole is just thought of to be you know a piece of garbage uh we'll go back we'll watch that uh recap that and decide if it's truly worth uh, truly worthy of the reputation that it has garnered uh the first episode is me and andy covering halloween havoc 1991 and the infamous chamber of horrors match uh, so that is available, like I said, on our Patreon at patreon.com slash rundown wrestling. Just five bucks a month gets you access to that. More episodes to come in the future. Henry, I would love to have you on that show. Uh, we can pick a, sure. a terrible event to watch and, and talk about. And oh, great. as we, as we talked about during my mid show dump, I, I was able to procure new employment. And so I'm hoping, uh, now that things are going to be evening back out in my personal life that uh, I can get back to my online life. I'm hoping to have Nitromania, uh, running again by Thanksgiving. So that is, uh, that is my goal at this point. Excellent. Sounds good. And by the way, I have started listening to the uh, the bonus crapshoot episode I'm about half an hour in. So I've gotten pretty much to the end part where you're talking about the Chamber of Horrors, and it is pretty fucking funny. So I would recommend, uh, obviously you have to donate to get the uh, the crapshoot, but I would recommend that you do because I think it's, so far it is worth the price of admission because it's it's pretty funny stuff. It's it's really good. Yeah, I made... And the Chamber of Horrors is is just fucking, I don't even know what, what they were <laughs> thinking there. I made I made sure to pick Andy for the first episode because I knew how he would react that uh that that shocked horror that uh, andy is famous for so uh he, he was a good choice for the chamber of horrors yeah you should actually go back and watch pretty much all the halloween habits since the day <laughs> when we're taping this it's just right before halloween so why not go back and do a fucking halloween havoc marathon i do have a couple of other halloween havocs on my list thanks to uh our friend philip goad on twitter who did oh send God. me suggestions uh, I bet he's. I bet he suggested '98, didn't he? Uh, I don't have '98 because I'm gonna because because I'm gonna be covering '98 during Nitromania, anyways. Um, mm, but he true. did suggest '94, so oh, Havoc '94 okay. is on the list. Uh, Uncensored '95 is one that he suggested. Bash at the Beach '91. So and then I've got some own, some that I have chosen as well. But yeah, so if you have a if uh, you have a suggestion out there for a uh, a terrible event for me to cover on a, a Patreon only series, uh, you can send that to me via Twitter. At Nitromania Pod. Well, tying that all back in. Yeah. Um, by the way, I'm sure he. I, I mentioned '98 because '98 is the one that has that has the uh, infamous Hogan versus Warrior yes. rematch. So, but you and I actually on Nitromania, we did Halloween Havoc '95, which featured the in-ring debut of a certain giant slash Paul White. So, see how it all comes together. It does. It does indeed. <laughs> and Halloween Havoc '95 was indeed shit. <laughs> It's it's the one where the Yeti dry humps Hulk Hogan. It's yeah. you know it's but hey hey if you haven't gone back and listened to that episode yet go listen to that episode because that's some quality stuff. The Yeti. That is the Yeti. You're actually my so, yes. you're, you're my first guest on on Nitromania. That was the first Fall Brawl '95. Uh, I didn't have a guest for because I was still figuring out the format, and then I did that whole pay per view by by itself and thought yeah, I should really have another person here for this. So 
Yeah, that's pretty much what I've done on my show, yeah, too. exactly. Looking back on it now, I covered WrestleMania 14 by myself, and you can't cover WrestleMania by yourself. you got to bring in a special guest. And I will have a special guest for WrestleMania 15, but we'll, we'll get to that uh, a little bit closer to when the time comes around. So on that note, a big thank you once again to Adam for coming on the show. Oh, and of course, I, I would be remiss if I didn't point this out. Usually at the end of the show, I have a clip of my own to play at the end. But Adam, you inform me off the air that you have a special clip you'd like me to play and I specifically asked that you not tell me yep. what it is until now so please the, the floor is yours I actually thought of it in advance this time as opposed to the last four times that I've been on the show and have forgotten um, <laughs> given the uh, success of our uh, beloved Boston Red Sox in the uh, MLB playoffs and World Series uh, this year that ended last night as we record part two here uh, I would like you to play Pete Rose's promo from Wrestlemania 14 Ah, yes. Nice. How about it? How about it? <laughs> I left some tickets for Bill Buckner, but he couldn't bend down to pick them up. <laughs> How about it? By the way, I'm I'm going to go ahead and say really strong heel promo from Peter Rose. <laughs> not, not even joking. Like he, he was pissing the fans off because they were still at that point, like 80 something years without yeah, the Red 90, Sox winning a World Series. 95? 90, no, 14 would have been 98. 98. Yeah, yeah it was 98. And they hadn't won since 1918. Yeah, so that was, uh, years. well, yeah, 70 years, about 70 years mm -hmm. at that point. 80. So, mm -hmm. did, wait, did I do that right? 80 years, 80 sorry. Years. Yeah, I'm bad at math. How about it? Oh, man, so good. Do you want the part as well where uh, he gets tombstone? Of course. Or just the promo? Absolutely. Fantastic. <laughs> By the way, I'll go back and say it again. I said it during the WrestleMania 14 episode of this show. Pete Rose is a guy who fucking gets it, oh, yeah. okay? He he understands, you know, you come out there, you rile up the crowd, and then you get your payoff. And by the way, again, huge kudos to Pete Rose for taking a fucking tombstone, which is not exactly <laughs> the most safe move. You know what I'm talking about? Multiple years when, in a when, row. So, I mean, obviously, that's true, yeah. And I know, obviously, Kane is a, is a pro. He it's He's very safe with his tombstones, but, I mean, I can see a guy coming in from outside WWE and being like, what, you want me to drop me on my head? What the fuck? But, <laughs> well, all right. Pete Rose is a goddamn trooper, yeah. So fantastic. I will definitely play that. Enjoy that clip. Again, thank you to Adam for coming on for a record fourth time. And of course, we're going to have to do it a fifth time. So there you go. Enjoy Adam's clip. And I will catch you all next time. Bye, everybody. Here in Boston with the Red Sox. Well, they call it the curse of the Bambino. Right here. The city of losers. Easy. Okay, did, you help? did you prep Pete Rose? Well, we did have a couple of photos made before the matches. <laughs> and now, introducing.
Eagles can't talk. Cats got his tongue. He may think this is fun and games. Wait a minute. But this is how all. Oh, That's Pete Rose. Good God. Wait, no, no. That's Pete Rose. That's Pete Rose. Pete Rose just got tombstone. Pete Rose just got tombstone. And this crowd in Boston loved it. 